Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. I am Todd Dandruff with Telus. is being recorded live and broadcasted live on April 24th, 2021. The time right now, 10.17 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time. We do have a free roll. It is already running. It started seven minutes ago at 10.10, but you still have all the way till 10.35 Pacific Time to get in there. We have funded the free roll this week with forfeited money. It's entirely funded by forfeited money because the funny thing is, even though we had $775 to give away last week, I kid you not, that's what we gave away if you didn't listen last week, $775 with 700 of it coming from CalWatt. This week, we had a little bit less than that to give away. We had 0.0. So... I had to make do with funds that were never claimed. Remember, if you win in the free roll, you need to claim it within six months or otherwise at any point I can take it away and roll it back into the pool. So that's what I've done. I've gone back and taken $10 from Player123, $10 from McAllen18, $20 from Slick9, and $10 from Jay Acosta, and that makes $50. So... First place gets 25, second place gets 15, third gets 10. It's on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. You can find it near the top of the screen. To learn all about the free roll, go to pokerfraudalert.com slash free roll, all lowercase, pokerfraudalert.com slash free roll. And as I said, you can get in until 1035 with a full stack via late registration. So get in there. I imagine there will not be a large field because this was not the expected day of the show and I wasn't even <coughs> wasn't even sure very exactly the reason you just heard that we were going to have a show today but we are here we are started after 10 but we're going to do it we actually had two interviews set up and now we may have zero interviews we may have one and I'll talk about that in a second it's possible one of the other interviews will be pushed back to next week but that's what can happen when you can't make the show. So I'll tell you all about why it got delayed after we do the remainder of our intro. That'll be our first topic. If you want to call the show, the phone number is 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. There's also the Mount Charleston line. That's an old 70s rotary phone which sits on top of Mount Charleston and forwards to me wherever I go. That phone number is 702-430-1808, 702-430-1808 is that number. If you want to call the call to listen line, which is a number to just listen to the show with any phone that can dial, it does not need to be a smartphone, you don't need a data plan, you don't even need a strong signal, you can get one bar or zero bar as long as you can make the call, then you can listen, and with any provider except for T-Mobile, it's free. Any phone that can call the U.S., it can call for free. That phone number is 605-313-0736, 605-313-0736. The alternate number is 641-741-1095. They just work. You just call up, you listen, and it never buffers and never freezes. Unlike other streaming, where every so often it just stops and you got to wait until it catches up. Not this, just it works. It just runs doesn't use up any of your data. It's a perfect thing to use to listen to the show. If you want to listen to the show when we're not live, 
there are many ways to do it. You can listen in the archives by just going and finding our library of episodes, of almost 400 of them, that we have done in the history of this show that can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, iHeartMedia, Spotify, Bullhorn. In fact, that has its own call to listen line. So there's a lot of different ways to listen to the show. You can even download or play the MP3 of the show by just clicking on the MP3 button on the radio tab of PokerFraudAlert.com or going to the Radio Archives Forum, and you just click on the MP3, and with any device, it will automatically play, and you can download it, play it on whatever media you want. We have a chat room, which works with any device now. does not require Flash anymore. If you're listening live, just click the chat button near the top of the screen and chat in our chat room. I don't read the chat room that often during the show because I'm doing everything here, so I don't have time to pause and read it, but every so often I do. So just click the chat button. You need a Poker Fraud Alert account in good standing on the forum, meaning it has to be validated and not banned to get in there. But if you have such an account, you can go right in there and you can chat with the other members, or you can write a message in there to me, and every so often I will take a look and find it. I'll give you the agenda for this week, and then we will get going. I'm going to give you an update on the Mike Possel defamation case against me and several other defendants. We have been giving you regular updates ever since this began on October 1st, 2020. And to be honest, the best updates in that case have been found here on Poker Fraud Alert. There have been some outlets that have done some pretty good reporting on it. Like, uh, I know Jennifer Newell's been doing articles on this case, and I know Haley Hintz has done some, and they've done a good job. But here you're getting it from the source. Here you're getting it from someone who's actually living the case because I'm one of the defendants. And I have an update that has not been published anywhere else, and I'm going to give it to you tonight. Remember, this was supposed to be the week when the anti-slap was heard. So was the anti-slap heard this week? And if so, what happened? So I'll tell you what happened this week in the Mike Possel case. There is an update. Baccarat coaching scammer Christopher Mitchell is missing from YouTube. Yes, if you try to find him there on his channel called Changer of Life Vlog, you will find he's not there. It's just not there. The whole channel's gone. So what happened? I will tell you. Did he get banned? Did he just quit? Is there something else going on? Is he afraid of something? I will give you my best theory on the situation. I don't know for sure, but I'll give you my best theory on the situation when we get to that segment. The WSOP has announced that you will not see them on ESPN again, or at least not for quite some time, because they have decided to to leave ESPN, I guess their contract's over, and they have moved to CBS Sportsnet. So we'll talk about that move and what that means for poker. Bitcoin poker site Seals with Clubs, also known as SWC Poker, is alleged to have some recent deposit and withdrawal issues, which is pretty unusual for that site, which has been good at deposits and withdrawals in its uh, recent history. But right now, apparently it's not, according to some reports I'm reading on two different forums. I'll give you a bit of the history of Seals with Clubs. It 
has a little bit of a connection to me. I was never involved with it, but someone who is very involved with it was once very involved with me. Not romantically, but uh, forum-wise, radio show-wise, and friendship-wise. I think you know who I'm talking about. I don't know if this has to do with him at all, but we'll talk about what's going on there. It's a breaking story that I just learned about today. Mark Voss, remember him from 2000's Poker? He has a very public Twitter battle that is going on with an Aussie sports book. Now, he's an Australian himself, and he and a sports book that he uses are battling publicly on Twitter. So I'll read you what they're saying back and forth, and I'll tell you whose side I'm on. The Double Down Casino and the Big Fish Casino. Have you ever played in those casinos? I don't think you have, because they're not real casinos. They are apps, and they are, <clears throat> they're not for real money. You can buy chips on there for real money, but you cannot cash them out. There's no way to win anything on the Double Down or Big Fish casinos. But they are accused of causing addicted gamblers to lose big money there anyway. So I'll tell you how that's happening. And I'll tell you about some lawsuits that are going on against the two of them. Resorts World Las Vegas. It's going to be a very big deal on the Las Vegas Strip. We have an opening date. I will give that to you and I'll give you my prediction for what's going to happen with that property. We may have an interview tonight with UK Pro Lynn Beaumont. And she alleges that another poker player scammed her for over $200,000 in Bitcoin. So hopefully we can get her on. If I can't find her, then we will table this till next week. It's something that's ongoing with her, so it's not urgent to talk about, but I'd prefer to do it this week instead of next. So we will see if she shows up. She's in England, so right now presumably she's sleeping. It's like 6.30 in the morning there. But she is aware that we were hoping to have her on the show on Sunday, but she's also aware that the show possibly wasn't going to happen tonight, and I didn't get the message to her in time before she probably went to sleep that we really are doing this show. So it's not her fault, but hopefully she'll wake up around 8 or so, which will be midnight for us, and we'll find her, and then we'll have her on. We'll just do the whatever the next topic is will be her once she wakes up. And if she doesn't respond today, then we will do it next week. Then we'll have some coronavirus news, and then we will get going. So let me tell you what's going on here. I had the coronavirus vaccine, the Pfizer vaccine. I had the second shot of it on Sunday, the 18th. And you may say, I had no idea. How come you never told us you were going to do that? Well, I didn't. It wasn't a secret, but I had decided with the vaccine process that I was going to do like a full description of the experience I had. And I didn't want it to be like a running description of, okay, this is how I feel today. Okay, this is how I feel now. Okay, now the second shot's coming in three weeks, so I'll tell you then. Like I, I wanted to give like the whole story at once. So I decided to not announce it anywhere on the internet that I was getting it. And then when the second shot happened, uh, after I 
experienced what would happen from that after a few days passed. That was when I put the whole story out there. So that was the middle of this week. So anyway, I, I held the whole thing back just so I could give you guys a full story. Here's my experience with it, and it ended up having to do with why this show didn't happen yesterday and almost didn't happen today. So the first shot was pretty typical. Uh, I had the arm pain. Remember, this is the Pfizer, so you have to do two shots three weeks apart. So the first shot, I had the arm pain, and it was pretty bad. It was bad enough to where I couldn't sleep on that side that day, and it was pretty tough to sleep for that reason. I keep forgetting that I sleep on both sides. I usually sleep on my side, but not one side. So I, I will sleep on one side, and then I'll turn over without even thinking about it. And when I try to turn over and can't because there's a problem on one side or the other, then I have a hard time sleeping. And I remember this from when I broke my ribs seven years ago. And every time I would turn over to that side, I would immediately be woken up with pain. <laughs> and I'd turn back over. And it was very tough because I just really, really would want to turn back to that other side, and I just couldn't. And I'd keep fighting it. I'd turn, stop, turn, stop. And it was hard to get used to. So that happened with the first shot. But it only lasted for one day. The, the next night, I was able to go to sleep, and it didn't hurt that much anymore. So I was able to sleep on that side. Aside from that arm pain, which of course is very, very common for the first shot, the only side effect I had was some very minor chills. And when I say minor chills, I mean pretty minor, that I just noticed that I started getting cold about eh, 10 and a half hours after the first shot. But I wasn't like super cold. I just noticed I was colder than I should be for the temperature that the house was. And then it went away in about two hours. So pretty average experience for the most part with the first shot. Now, the second shot, I was dreading that. I sat for those three weeks dreading the second shot because I had known a number of people personally already that had a very bad experience with it. Not an experience that was going to harm them long term, but they were very, very, very sick and they hated it. Some described it to me as the sickest they had ever been. In addition, my mom and my sister had bad reactions to the second shot. So I thought, okay, well, if there's any hereditary element here, I see it in my family. Now, my dad and my brother, who also had it before me, they did not have very bad reactions. They had pretty mild reactions to the second shot. So it kind of seemed 50-50 from that standpoint, but I just had a feeling I was going to get it badly, and I was really dreading it. The only silver lining was that unlike other times when you get sick, you know when the end is. You know the finishing point. So I figured, all right, whatever it is, hopefully it's not going to be bad. But if it is, I'll endure the day, the 24 hours, it's going to be bad. And then I will know that it has an ending point. There's always a light at the end of the tunnel because you know how, exactly how long it's going to last. From what I'd seen, it was pretty predictable. Not with me, I'm talking about with other people. That if they're going to get a bad reaction, the bad reaction would start between six and nine hours from when they got the, first, the, the second shot. And then it would last another 24 hours, and then it would get rapidly better, and then a few hours after that, it would be completely gone, and they'd feel totally fine. So the whole thing would tend to last uh, 
30 to 36 hours, of which 24 of them are pretty bad. And it usually doesn't ramp up to get bad until the first six and sometimes the first nine. What I had seen from everybody I knew, that if you got to the nine-hour mark and your your side effects weren't bad, then you were pretty much home free. You knew you'd have a good experience with it, and it would be pretty mild. But I didn't think that would be my case, but I was keeping an eye on the clock. So on Sunday at 4.30, Sunday the 18th at 4.30, I got my second shot. Within 45 minutes, I developed some pretty significant muscle and joint pain, and some of it on the other side of my body. So I, I thought that's a terrible start, because if within 45 minutes I'm already getting significant pain, then I thought, uh-oh, I can only imagine in six hours what this is going to feel like. So pretty bad start there, but as the hours passed, I wasn't getting any worse. So we get to the two-hour mark, still pretty much the same. Three hours, same. Four hours, same. Five hours, same. Six hours, same. So we're at 10.30 now on Sunday night. And I still have muscle and joint pain, but there is no fever. There is no headache. There is no nausea. And I said, great. There was no fatigue. It was just muscle and joint pain. So I said, okay, great. This is way better than I expected. But I realize the night is still young and I probably have to tough this out for three more hours and hope that it doesn't get worse. And if we get to 1.30 a.m. and I'm not feeling like crap, then I'm probably going to get away with just this muscle and joint pain. So the next three hours ticked by and nothing, nothing got worse. Same muscle and joint pain, nothing else. No fever, no nausea, no headache, no fatigue. In fact, I was doing stuff around the house overnight. I was doing the dishes. I was uh, working on some things uh, regarding a vacation I'm planning. I was fully functional. I was kind of in pain. Not terrible pain, but I was in kind of ache type of pain. But I was able to function very well. And I said, okay, this isn't so bad. And look, uh, we're getting way past this nine-hour mark. And I'm fine because we got to 2.30, got to 3.30, we got to 4 o'clock, got to 4.30. No problem. So 12 hours passed, and I still didn't have anything but muscle and joint pain. So I thought, okay, after 12 hours, I could pretty much declare victory here. Well, not so fast. But a half an hour later, at 5 o'clock, I started getting very tired. But I said, well, it is 5 a.m. And I didn't get that much sleep. And I've had this muscle and joint pain. And also, I know I just got this shot. So it's not a surprise that I would feel pretty worn out. So, okay, I'll just go to sleep. So I went to bed. I woke up at 8.30. And when I woke up at 8.30, just three and a half hours later, I knew there was something wrong. I could feel some things had changed. First of all, the muscle and joint pain worsened. I did feel fatigued. And yeah, you always feel tired right when you wake up, but this was different. I just kind of felt like I didn't want to get out of bed. Not that I couldn't, but I really didn't want to. And I felt like I had the flu. I felt very cold. 
I had this feeling in my head and my body that like I just kind of felt like I've got a fever right now. And I said, oh, no, I bet if I get up and take my temperature, I'm going to have a fever. And keep in mind, I never get fevers. I probably haven't had a fever in over a decade. So I got up, took my temperature. Sure enough, I had 100 degrees, which is worse than it sounds because my normal temperature is not 98.6. I'm one of those people with a lower normal temperature. So my normal temperature these days is like 97.3. So I was close to three degrees above my norm. And I already knew that I wasn't going to get away that easy because now I have a fever. I have some pretty substantial chills. I've got fatigue. I've got muscle and joint pain a lot worse than before. And I just generally feel sick. Felt like I had the flu. Well, it just got worse from there. The fever then moved up to 101 and kind of hung between 101 and 101.5 throughout the entire day, never breaking. The fatigue I had during the day was pretty bad. The muscle and joint pain continued to be bad. And I started to develop a headache, not from the vaccine, but from the fact that I was in bed all day because I I really couldn't do much other than be in bed. Because once I'd get out of bed, I'd be up a short time and then I'd feel really tired and need to go back to bed. So I spent a lot of hours in bed, some of it sleeping, some not sleeping. But all those hours in bed gave me a tension headache. Now, I've had tension headaches for about 25 years. And I get a ton of those under normal circumstances. So getting a tension headache wasn't a big deal. But the problem was it got to be a pretty bad one because I was in bed so long. And every time I fell asleep in a position that would cause a tension headache, which was a number of times, then I, my tension headache kept getting any worse, kept getting worse. And then the problem was I couldn't take anything for it like I usually do. Could not take aspirin, could not take Advil. I didn't want to take anything. And this is, by the way, something so stupid about the vaccine and the information we're given. Try to find something definitive about taking medication after the vaccine, not before. They all say don't take it before, which, by the way, is another problem. They don't tell you how long before. Is it, is it an hour before, uh, six hours before, a day before, two days before, a week before? They don't say. Just say before. Well, before can mean anything. Before could mean 10 years ago. Before could mean 10 minutes ago. So to say don't do it before, what does that mean? I couldn't find a single article that could explain that. And after the vaccine, the advice all, is all over the place. Some of them say it's fine to take painkillers after the vaccine, just don't do it before. I've read you should avoid taking aspirin and Advil or anything that uh, brings down inflammation, but anything like Tylenol is okay. But then I've read other things saying, no, don't take any kind of painkillers. And I've read some things saying that they've actually shown in the lab that not with this vaccine, but with other vaccines, that when you take painkillers, that you don't get as many antibodies and that the immune response is not as good. So I would think that they would define it pretty well of what you should and shouldn't take, but they did not. So that was pretty lousy. So I just played it safe and said, no matter how I feel, I'm not going to take any painkillers. So I didn't take anything, didn't take aspirin, didn't take Tylenol, didn't take Advil. So whatever was happening to me, I knew I just had to deal with. Now, I was wondering how long was this going to last? Because I thought that within about 30 hours after the shot, 
that you're going to start feeling rapidly better. Well, for me, that was 10.30 p.m. Monday, but 10.30 p.m. Monday, it was still going strong. It wasn't beginning to fade. I still had the 101 plus temperature. I still had everything I had before. Nothing got the slightest bit better by Monday night. So all of Monday sucked. Then we get to Tuesday, and believe it or not, uh, I, I still wake up on Tuesday with that same 101 plus fever. It's just not going away. And I had all the same symptoms, and I started to develop a new one. I started to get nauseous. And I said, oh, no, uh, that's the last thing I want now. And, and I hate vomiting. I, I, I always don't understand the people who tell me that they enjoy vomiting because after you're done vomiting, you feel so much better. So, yeah, it's true. You do feel so much better after you're done vomiting, but I hate the process of vomiting so much. It's like your body's out of control. You can't breathe. It's, it's something I've hated ever since I was a kid, so I try to avoid it. Anyway, I, I started feeling sick to my stomach. I started feeling like I needed to throw up. This is on Tuesday morning. Keep in mind, I had the damn vaccine on Sunday. And here we are on Tuesday, and, and the symptoms are, are worse than ever. So this is already very unusual, because most people re- report that by the 36-hour mark, the side effects are gone. And here I am, uh, well past 36 hours now on Tuesday morning, and I looks like my symptoms are peaking. So uh, fortunately, I have this little handheld fan that I got for a different purpose, but I learned many years ago that... Once I start getting really hot, because whenever I get nauseous, I get really hot. So I knew that I was going to be throwing up very soon if I didn't do something. So I actually had my girlfriend go get that fan, and I used it, and it cooled me down. And it actually stopped me from throwing up, and then the nausea went away. Throughout Tuesday, I started to have some improvement, but it was slow improvement. So it went from like the worst it had been to... A little better, a little better, a little better. And my fever started to creep down also. By Tuesday night, the fever was gone. But I still didn't feel totally better. Still had the muscle and joint pain. Still had kind of just a generally sick feeling. Just a lesser version of it. And uh, Wednesday, I woke up and I was substantially better. Not all better, but substantially better. And that seemed to be that. But on Thursday, I discovered something I didn't like. On Thursday, I discovered that my voice was gone. Aha, now you might have an idea why radio didn't happen on Friday. It wasn't completely gone, but I could talk like a minute before my voice would start fading. In fact, the way it felt to me was as if I had just done radio for nine hours, but it was the opposite. I hadn't talked in a long time. I hadn't talked in hours, and yet I had very little ability to speak. And it went from having flu-like symptoms earlier in the week to now I had cold-like symptoms. So I had a cough and I had just an inability to talk. In fact, I had to make a few phone calls and I had a hard time getting through those. So I said, "Uh uh-oh, I bet I can't do radio tomorrow. Tomorrow meaning Friday. So all of Thursday, not only did I have that going on, but I was very tired again. So I slept most of Thursday. Thursday is just kind of missing for me. So then uh, with all that sleep, I got up early on Friday. And on Friday, I was uh, better somewhat, but the voice still wasn't quite there. And I was still coughing a lot. So I had to cancel the interviews we had planned for Friday. 
and I had to delay the show by one day. And then I had said, I said, well, I don't even know if I'll be okay on Saturday to do it. So we got to today, and I had to make a judgment call because I still have a cough. I still don't feel like I, I'm, I'm not 100%. So ever since I got that vaccine, I'm not 100%. And I don't know what's going on now with the cough and this uh, vocal fatigue I'm getting. It's very strange. So anyone who thinks it's trivial that the vaccine is safe, it doesn't affect you, see, it does. Like I, I haven't felt right ever since the vaccine. It's been six days, so I know we've got some time left, but uh, most people are, you know, it said you're supposed to be completely better within three days and mostly better within like one and a half. So, I mean, I had to do it, but I understand why some people are hesitating about it, especially if they're younger. There's a lot that isn't known about this vaccine, but I, I don't know what the hell it did to me, and I don't know why I had such an atypical situation where I got my symptoms later and where it lasted longer. It was like the whole thing was in slow motion. This wasn't the sickest I'd ever been. I was sick, but it was kind of like a mid-level flu is what it felt like. But it, it lasted longer than it was supposed to. Now, here's somebody who's gotten the second shot of the COVID vaccine much more recently than I have, and yet he's healthy enough to call into radio. Brandon. This, this, is this the fraud show? Yes. Were you talking about a fraud at the moment? I was talking about the fraud of the vaccine that uh, within a few days you're feeling better. Listen, that's why I'm calling. And I'm going to preface this by saying I'm not going to be on the air very long, but I may. I'll try, especially if your show is long, to call back in the early morning hours. But I just want to report I had written a couple of posts on PFA. I got the second vaccine yesterday at approximately 4.20 p.m. Pacific time uh, out of Walgreens. Um, it was not in a very good part of town, and I was a little concerned when I got there about maybe karma, whatever you want to call it, because maybe 30, 45 minutes, an hour at most before I had arrived, there had been a stabbing in the Walgreens parking lot, and that, that I walked through, <laughs> and we still had police tape, and they had a crime scene truck, and there was ambulances, and yeah, you know, there's a death involved, so that's never a good sign. You know, you're already kind of just a little uneasy walking in. But anyhow, I'll give Walgreens credit. Uh, it was a very, very smooth process. I had my, I had an appointment already made. I was maybe it took ten minutes to do the paperwork, the questions asked. Went in a little room with a nice young lady. She gave me the vaccine, and I left. I, I waited. I think they told me to wait 30 minutes, but I waited like 10 minutes, 15 minutes. I mean, I was with somebody else, so you know, not as if I'm going to drive and get sick and crash the car or whatever. So I got home, and I started eating. I had dinner. I stole an appetite. I'm like, you know, oh, you know, I do want to say one thing. Though. I want to preface this. I read on the CDC's website. I don't know how accurate it is. I know you, you're of the belief that some of their information was is inaccurate or they're con, it's con, contradicting whatever it may be but i read something about making sure that you eat a good meal before and you drink plenty of water before so i had a really big lunch about three hours before and you know i don't know if that even means anything that's what it said so i made sure i was full and i also drank uh, you know i like these core waters so i don't know if I, for those that know what those are i don't even know how big they are but they're big waters so I drank two of those 
you know, in the hour or two before. So I was really hydrated. I was taking a leak every 20, 30 minutes. So anyhow, get the shot. And after I get the shot, I eat maybe an hour later. I have dinner and I still feel fine. Around 9.30 last night, I, you know, I'm tired. But I've been up since like early that, that morning. So I, I, you know, wasn't necessarily tired from the shot. But around 9.30 at night and I'm feeling nothing, you know, no other symptoms, I fall asleep. I wake up around, I don't know, two o'clock in the morning last night. Part of it might have been some anxiety from the shop. Part of it was I just didn't sleep all. But whatever it is, I pop up and I start kind of just, you know, getting my, into, you know, being awake and noticing like anything hurts or, you know, I'm kind of just like checking out like, you know, my reflexes, but I don't notice anything. Like I, I feel fine. You know, I'm groggy, but like as the grogginess wears off, I don't notice anything. So, I start playing online poker. I, I flick around the TV. Nothing's on, on. So once I'm fully awake, start playing online poker. It's three in the morning, four in the morning, five in the morning. I get up. I take a leak again. I still feel fine. So anyhow, long story short, um, I, I came out of this really well. Now, I'm. let's see. I got it at four yesterday, and it's, what is it, around 11? So we're, what is that, uh, four or seven? So I'm 31 hours in now. So I assume, I mean, you could tell me because you probably read more about this than me. If nothing severe has happened after 31 hours, I'm probably. Oh, yeah, you're, you're totally going to be fine. See, uh, yeah. mine, I thought I was going to be fine but because I had 12 hours and it was okay. And then yeah. then it fell apart. But uh, so 31 is a big only thing. The only thing I can report, and again, I'm sorry, I am tired now. So if I did say this, forgive me. I did get the Pfizer uh, for those that, that are just curious about the different. Yeah, that's what I got. I, th- I think I, I said that too, yeah. but I, I also don't remember. Okay. The only thing I can really report is my arm is sore. It's, it's probably just as sore as the first one, maybe a little bit more, um, but nothing like you know. If I had to, if I had a job, had somewhere to be today, like as long as it wasn't probably like moving boxes or something, I could do anything. It's not like it's kind of annoying a little bit, but not really. Like it's not that bad that I need to take. And I didn't take anything, by the way. I haven't taken any Tylenol, no painkillers, nothing. And my body's a little achy. And then I had a stretch today for about maybe two or three hours where I felt a little nauseous and my stomach was, was hurting me a little bit, but that might've just been something different. I mean, I, and then I Googled it, I, you know, the no, it, probably, it was probably that symptom. Uh, I'm sorry. It was probably the shot. Yeah. So my stomach was a little upset and I had nausea, but it, 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 it passed within two or three hours. And I, like I said, the weird thing is, you know, I'm tired now and a little, little achy. Um, but the thing is, I've been up, you know, I took a nap during the day, but I didn't sleep all last night. So I'm probably just tired. Probably, you know, it's compounding it that I took the shot, but also because, you know, I didn't sleep long last night. So I'm going to bed soon and then I'm going to, you know, probably be up in a few hours. But all in all, from what I prepared my mind for and what others had told me, what you told me, uh, I'm thrilled because it was like on a scale of one to ten with ten being absolutely brutal and one being mild, I'd say it was like a one and a half. I mean, I I could have worked. I could have done anything I had to do today. It might have been a little bit of a struggle just because, you know, my arm sore and I was tired. I could have done anything I had to do. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, well, that's – I, I was kind of having that feeling too. Like I, was, I wasn't quite as mild as yours because I had some substantial joint and muscle pain. But other than – I had no sickness for the first 12 and a half hours. So I, well, I see, actually was doing things. The, well, see, that's a funny thing because I was thinking last night. Right around three, four in the morning, I'm like, you know, 
you know, I had a couple people that text me and they're like, oh, you're clear, you're clear. And I'm thinking in my head, Druff told me or Druff wrote on PFA that he went through the same thing. And so right at that 12 and 13 hour window, I was awake and I'm just thinking what you, what you, you know, what you <laughs> shared and I'm waiting for something to happen. You know, I'm preparing myself. I'm like, that's what I was doing I'm, like the six hour mark and then nothing happened. Yeah, I'm yeah. putting, like, I'm putting my my hand on my head to, to see if I'm a little warm. I'm like just checking if I'm sweating, nothing. Nope, none of it ever came. No hot flashes, cold flashes. And then I slept this afternoon and I slept maybe a good four hours straight. Didn't wake up, didn't have any weird dreams. I mean, it's fine. Like really one and a half out of 10, maybe even a one. Like it just wasn't bad. Yeah, well, so good. I'm very fortunate. It's you over. You are fortunate. Yeah. Like, like, so I'm, not to- I'm not good. even totally out of it. I've got, I've got all this weird stuff going on still that I'm not totally out of it. It's like, it's like it kind of shook my body in some way and now it's uh, – my body's kind of having a hard time writing now, itself. Now, the only thing I have a question about, and I'll let, I know, again, you've researched this. I did a little bit of reading, but you know what? I was doing my researching right up until the shot, and then it was just kind of making me even get more, not fluster, but it was just, I don't know. I don't even know what the word is. I, it wasn't like anxiety, but I was reading about all the symptoms and just things about it. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to. Not upset myself, but you know what I mean. I'm just going to get myself worked up. I'm going to stop reading about it. So, but one of the things I was reading was it was trying to explain how why they think older people versus younger people get worse symptoms, and part of that was because they have more to quote the CDC and and other doctors robust immune systems. And then, of course, I know you know this. They stated that it's actually healthy. It's a good sign if you get these symptoms because it means your body. So, but my question is, does it mean? If I felt nothing, that my immune system isn't per se as strong as someone else's that did, is there any kind of correlation between someone not feeling anything versus someone feeling something and both their immune systems being different? Well, okay, so that's – yeah, that's, that's a good question. question. Yeah, so it's not uh, – yeah. they're, they're claiming that uh, you shouldn't be worried if you didn't feel it that badly. But at the same time, they're claiming, oh, if you're feeling that, it's fine because it uh, shows your body is, is developing the antibodies. I, I think it's kind of like that it's expected it's going to happen either way. But if you feel that, then you really know it's happening. Otherwise, since it seems like almost everybody gets them anyway, you're probably going to still be fine. I think that's what they're trying to say. Like this is if you're feeling it, that's the process of your body doing it. And so then don't worry about it. Uh, but I, you should be fine there. I, I thought I had the same thought. I guess, I guess what I'm saying is like, is, is my, I guess that doesn't mean my immune system is weaker than yours or someone else's that did have symptoms or a younger person that, you know what I mean? Like, it, cause listen, I've told you this before and it's not, you know, to make fun of you or nothing when you've had colds and stuff. And of course you have a kid. I haven't had a cold in, in probably 15 years. I haven't had the flu since I was a child. Like, so I always have thought my immune system was probably pretty damn good. I never get sick, knock on wood. Well, okay, you know that uh, the, people make fun of me on PFA about this, but when you get a lot of response to colds, when you it's the same thing. They say mm-hmm. that it's showing the, the immune system is working well. However, with COVID, you actually don't want a strong response because that's actually what's been killing a lot of people is the strong response. It's been, it's oh, been wow. a number of things, but uh, for the older people, they, they don't get a stronger response because they, uh, they have weaker immune systems, but then, they, they, yeah. then COVID harms them in other ways. With, with younger people, uh, one problem is the immune system that's, uh, that has an over-response and, and kills them. So the Benjamin actually had an interesting theory. He said that he thinks that with how strong you get the 
symptoms from the second shot is that represents how badly you'd be getting COVID. <laughs> like that if, if you get a bad version of it, it means COVID probably would have been pretty bad for you. And if you get a mild version of it, that it means COVID probably wouldn't have been that bad. You know what, though? I don't think that's true. And I can tell you just I, I am friendly with a lot of older people that are seniors or, you know, 60 plus. I mean, and I've spent some time or I've talked or been around a lot of them since they've gotten the second shot. And I have not yet heard of one person over 60, which is the age group, obviously, that is more likely if they caught COVID. To, to oh, be no, no, I, I, have, I have a way to explain that one. That's uh, I, I was, okay, well, I, yeah, but let me just finish. None of them has, I mean, I'm talking over 20 people that are 60 plus, some in their 70s. Not one person told me they felt anything other than maybe a little arm pain and a little body ache. Well, Nothing right. And that's because they don't have, that's because they don't have as strong of immune systems. So uh, they're not getting the same response. So what what Benjamin was saying was more towards the younger people, the younger and middle-aged people who are going to get some kind of immune response. This is just his theory. This is a 10-year-old, so I wouldn't put too sure. much stock into well, it. He's but, a smart, he's a but, smart kid, though. But, uh, um, but I if don't even learn not to. If you can learn not to get hacked on that that on that Roblox video yeah. game, yeah, then he'll <laughs> he'll be good to go. But yeah, it's there's a lot that isn't known here. I, you should be fine. But I had the same thought as you when I thought I wasn't going to get very strong symptoms when we got to like the 12 hour mark. I thought, you know, in a way, I'm kind of disappointed because now I'm not going to know how well it worked. And then, and then the next morning, when I woke up at the at 8:30 in the morning and I and I felt flu like symptoms, I'm I'm like. Oh shit! Now I kind of, <laughs> I kind yeah. of wish I didn't wish for this because I. <laughs> and everything I've read is like twenty four hours, so I I wouldn't say I'm a hundred percent out of the woods, but more likely than not, if anything was going to happen, I assume. Yeah, I I would think so too. Now but, now one person on the forums, say, I feel I feel really really good, just from a mental standpoint after what you know we've I've been through is you know like everyone else the last year and a half, not like I have a superpower, but something kind of close where I just. I feel more confident, like just about the, you know what I mean? My, my life going out, like I'm just, I feel kind of at ease now. You know what I mean? I just feel a little bit more relaxed that I can live my life again. And although I, you know, I saw today, uh, Altuve from the Astros, he just got COVID even after being vaccinated. I think he only had the first shot though. That's different. Yes, he did. It was just, well, I mean, still at 80 something percent it's not much different than 90 no it's actually a huge difference because it's uh, it's like several times more immune wow okay well but anyway i feel a lot better just mentally knowing that you know i'm not it it won't be on my mind as much you know when i'm out oh yeah yeah and and i i see i i have a mixture of that and like just i i'm i can't be as good of a mood as you are because i still don't feel all the way back yet and so i if i felt totally good and i knew that in a very short time because basically may 1st is the time i'm just going to return which is actually 13 days instead of 14 days after the shot but i just it's a saturday i said you know what i'm just gonna i'm just gonna do it on may 1st that's when i'm gonna go back out and do things and uh um so that's that's the target date there and it's coming very soon it's a week but i at the same time i'm not feeling that good, so it's harder to be excited about this. Sure. Well, let me uh, let me just tell you a couple things real fast that you may want to talk about tonight. I didn't look at your agenda. These are just interesting things about Vegas that you may or may not know, especially since you, you haven't been feeling well, so I'm not sure how much you've researched. Uh, starting May 1st, 
Vegas is going to go back, is going to go now, casino occupancy is going to 80%. Then the plan is to go to 100. It was just announced today. It was in the paper this morning. The governor's order came out yesterday in consolation with uh, the gaming board. So that's good. Secondly, they're hiring crazy amounts of people in, in Las Vegas now. There's been about three or four articles I've read this week in the Review Journal about job fairs. Like MGM is having a job fair once a week uh, for an indefinite period of time. The quote that they said on the Review Journal was 30,000 jobs. Wow. That that they're, they're, you know, the Circa, I mean, everywhere. Now that they're reopening, because, you know, the, the problem is a lot of the employees that either got laid off or furloughed after, you know, COVID or the shutdown or, you know, right before, right after, they've left or they found other jobs. So they need, now again, these aren't like the best jobs in the world. We're not talking, you know, but I mean, we're talking, you know, everything from maids, housekeeping, definitely pool stuff, uh, you know, lifeguards. I mean, they don't have enough lifeguards and, and bar staff and support staff for, you know, cause all the swimming pools are going to be opening, but, but, but even dealers, uh, casino floor supervisors, security guards, like I said, the, the number they quoted was 30,000 and they said, that's not going to be enough. So, it's really, really interesting. If anyone really cares, go ahead and Google it because, you know, basically right now there is a, a shortage of employees. Like every casino they said now is operating at past capacity in terms of employees, that all employees are basically getting, you know, overtime or, you know, whatever the case may be. You know, they're just working at their peak because they don't have enough manpower. Uh, okay. Secondly, this is exciting even for me. Uh, Resort Worlds announced the middle of this week their opening date yeah that's it's actually that be, is that is a topic i have on the schedule okay resource World. and they're also they're also online now so if you just wanted to take a look at what their rooms look like the names of the restaurants, oh, really i didn't know that make a, or even make a reservation i looked yesterday and you could get a standard room for which you know it's funny on my bucket list of vegas of all the things that i've been to like implosions a, a couple times I've, I've been to grand openings i've never ever stayed at a casino during opening weekend. And I probably won't only because it, it just, I don't enjoy the madness of what that would be, especially a resort like this. But I was thinking maybe of staying there for a night or two during opening week, meaning like on the first Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Anyhow, so opening weekend right now, you can get a standard room for less than $400. I think it topped out at like 379 with tax and resort fees but it's all online you can go there and put in the dates and you can see the different kinds of rooms that they offer what they look like what they cost uh you know so on and so forth um so that is pretty interesting and a lot of people are you know getting excited about that and i guess lastly although it, it you know kind of just touches on the first subject um from being out and about a little bit you know not too much but a little bit i'd say the strip is probably we're probably close to 70 80 percent of what we would normally be uh you know if, if nothing had occurred it, things are really picking up here like they really are like when you go out there's more cars on the road there's more people walking up and down the strip uh trying to think earlier this week i had to go somewhere so i was on las vegas boulevard during the day briefly but just driving and i just saw throngs and throngs of people both sides of the roads in front of the Bellagio fountains crossing over from Harrah's. I mean, it, it, you know, if I, I know I said this before, but if I was in a time capsule or whatever it may be, and I didn't know what was going on, I would just think it was a normal, you know, a normal 
Monday, you know, just this time of year because the weather's so nice. People do tend to come here a lot. The well, you know what's funny? Like, the highs have been. What's funny is this weekend was very expensive for what I was reading. This weekend, a lot of well, people wanted to come. Yeah, yeah, they're well, they're jacking up the week. I mean, during the week, you can still get a really good value here, but during the weekend, they're bumping things up a couple hundred dollars uh, easily a night. And then, well, you know, that's all just based on you know the supply and demand. They know that enough people want to stay here, so you know they know what people will pay. I was I just mean, surprised like, it was. It was I saw it was, like, like Rio. Rio was like two hundred something, two hundred seventy. Right. I saw the Gold Coast was like one fifty five or something. Yeah, which always makes me laugh when you see the Rios almost three hundred dollars a night, and then like, and then as soon as Sunday night hit, it goes down to thirty bucks. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's, un- un- it's unbelievable. So, but. uh that I know there's one or two other Vegas stories. Um, I don't know. I think we talked about this on radio. Maybe we didn't, but if, if we did, it's really, really interesting. There is this hooker that's been in the news a lot lately, and she was arrested back in March at some point, but it made the news middle of April. And what she was doing was it didn't say in the article, said she was an escort, but didn't say if she was having sex with these men. But the story was that she was meeting men one-on-one, meaning like she didn't have a pimp or an accomplice, going up to their room, and she was targeting men that were wearing really expensive watches. Did, we, did you talk about this, or did I talk to you about this? Does it sound familiar? No, I, I don't think so. Okay. Well, anyhow, it made the news because she, was t- she got arrested for the same crime at several high-end properties at the Wynn and at the Cosmo. And what she was doing was she was targeting men all wearing like $40,000 plus watches. She was drinking with them and drugging them somehow, every single one. And they would pass out pretty fast and she'd steal the watch and any cash they have and take off. But the one issue about her was she had a couple of really unique tattoos on her face, her neck. And so it was easy to find her from surveillance and other means. And everyone that... Every victim that ended up going to the police all described these tattoos. So anyhow, it made the news because it was kind of brazen what she was doing, and she did it several times. So anyhow, she was released on bail. I don't remember how much the bail was, but it made a point of saying she was out on bail. But ironically, or whatever term you want to use, while on bail, okay, and, and you know, facing all these felonies, she did it again at the wind the other night <laughs> and she got rearrested the same reason because they described this tattoo and they knew exactly who she was, where she lived, you know, and they went and they got her. And, you know, I'll tell you, it may, it may be interesting to pull up the article. Just all you really have to Google is like Las Vegas escort watches and we'll actually do that now or Las Vegas. Okay. I will do that here to watches because listen, she's a pretty girl. Like she's really, really pretty. Like she doesn't look cracked out or, well, she has a face yeah, tattoo, though. That that doesn't. Huh? Sound, she has a face tattoo. It sounds like you're saying. Well, 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 Google her and look at her. Like you tell me. I think you're gonna tell me she's pretty. Like she looks like she's, you know, I don't know. But it's just the most bizarre thing that that she's that recognizable. I mean, she's been on every news station. She was on her picture was in the newspaper, and she went out and she still did it again and was arrested. Um, did you find the article? Yeah, I, I found it. Yeah, I, but I don't see any tattoos, at least not on her face. Okay, it, might, it might be, it might be on her neck. But if you read the article, they describe like a lion tattoo. That maybe it wasn't even on her face, but it said she has distinctive tattoos because that, that's what okay. all the victims describe. Yeah, and in, in this picture, she's pretty. In the, in the, it's actually a good mugshot. She actually looks good. Yeah, uh, it is right. I know it is a good mugshot. 
But it's so brazen that, like, I mean, because this got a lot of attention here. Like, because she just was on her own. And she, like, I think they said, like, she got, like, several hundred thousand dollars total, like, in watches. And then, like, all these cases she was charged with at the same time somehow makes bail. And then, nonetheless, goes right back out and does it again and gets instantly arrested. Like, you know, this is this is a problem. I know this this has nothing to do with cashless bail because there there was cash bail, but they have a problem with this in places where they've instituted cashless bail that a, a certain percentage of those they arrest they kick them loose so fast that uh, they go and they go right back out and commit the same crime, and uh, it's very frustrating. It's a lion tattoo, by the way. Maybe it wasn't on her face. But oh, it was on her. It was on her thigh. I see this. It says that uh, okay, yeah. she had distinctive tattoos, including a lion on her thigh. But it, it's just bizarre. <clears throat> Not only because you know she's by herself, they're saying doing this, but that she's young and that even with all the attention, she did it right away again. <laughs> did it right away again. It's it's that's kind of crazy, right? Yeah, it is. And yeah, I see she's twenty three. That's why she doesn't look all beat up yet. If, if you're a prostitute yeah. for like 15 years, you're not going to look very good. But um, she's probably earlier in the game here. But yeah, yeah, you think that uh, at this age and looking like this, that she could just make a lot of money doing that and not have to resort to all this well, stuff. Well, that's a thing. She probably could just write, just make it, I mean, you know, not to turn it into an ethical issue, but she could make a lot of money without having the theft aspect of it. Definitely. So. But who knows? It's really weird. The article didn't say if, and I, you know, I didn't look like up, up her name to see if she's, you know, she might not even be a prostitute. I mean, they're calling her an escort or maybe even the, a prostitute, but it doesn't say if she's actually exchanged money with these guys, that or if she was just going up and drinking and then just robbing them. Well, yeah, I, I noticed that. So it's possible that she's an escort, but in this case, she wasn't working right. as that to, to lure these guys. She just pretended to be interested in them, and then they'd go up and she she pull this, right. Um, but anyhow, I think that's all I got. I don't want to hijack your show. So what I'll do is, I don't know, you probably won't be on that late, but if I'm up at three, four in the morning, uh, and you still happen to be on, I'll call back and I'm glad you're feeling better. You sound fine. I never know. I'd never know you were experiencing anything. You, you know, sound, I, uh, I, I'll, I'll give you a little credit. Ever since you called in, I started feeling a little better, but, uh, my, my stomach good. still doesn't feel right. And, uh, no, I, I'm not right here. Oh, to, wait, so your stomach was bothering you too? It still is. Like when you say like, what you, did you have an upset stomach or cramping? Or yeah, right. Right working? now I have that. That's not what I had at the beginning, but uh, I have like a we- some weird after effects of the whole thing right now. Yeah. See. Okay. Because so I then I, then I, you know I wasn't sure because I I tried googling that as a symptom and not a lot came up, but I I did experience that. Like my stomach isn't great right now, and I didn't you know I didn't eat anything funky yesterday, and generally you know I'm okay with with that. So that's probably the worst symptom I'm I'm feeling now. I have a little bit of. Uh, you know, stomach pain. I've been a little, not to sound gross, a little gassy. Uh, um, and, you know, just a little, I don't know, it almost feels like kind of like mild, mild, mild food poisoning. But I'm not throwing up or anything like that. But it, it something just doesn't feel right in my stomach. No, I, I, um, I kind of feel like that too. So it's, it's good that we're doing this show remotely. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> funny stuff. So listen, uh, I will... Uh, talk with you soon i want to give a shout out to my friend the first lady of poker you know who that is yes of course yes she uh she just had linda johnson she just had some surgery on her foot and they found like a cancerous i can't remember the word but they got it in time and this isn't anything private it's on her public facebook 
So she had surgery yesterday, and the outlook is good. Hmm, that's uh, good. So give her a shout out, and uh, you have a great show. Listen, I'm sorry I can't stick uh, stick around, and, and I know it's probably better if you have someone to talk to, and maybe Trader Ruski will wake up in a few hours. But I'm just I'm too tired. No, that's fine. I, Andrew, I didn't myself. expect you to be here because of this uh, vaccine. So yeah. So okay. Well, thanks for answering. And like I said, if you happen to be up uh, in a few hours, I will uh, call back in. If not. Plan on me have being on next weekend. Well, you'll have to do. I sent you a text about this, but you never responded. I, I know you have a lot going on. Uh, Jeannie wants to come on, and for those of them that don't know, Jeannie's just a, a good friend of mine, a really good friend of mine. And she used to be the worldwide head of responsible gaming for Poker Stars up until last year, from almost uh, for over fifteen years, and she retired. And she wanted to come on, or she offered to come on and do an Ask Me Anything. Uh, segment about, about poker stars and you know not to like sit here and give too much away she knew and still knows isai on a very personal level i mean she you know worked with him for over a decade you know 15 years was friendly with him attended social events with him and just knows a lot of inside things a lot of funny stories just a lot of you know it's funny i've known Jeannie a long time and i learned something about her the other day that i didn't even know and I'll see if you knew this. I had no idea. Before Lee Jones took over, because I guess it became very popular, uh, his style. And, of course, I'm referring to announcing the uh, – doing the, the announcing and play-by-play of the Sunday Millions final table. Jeannie did it, and it was like on a rotating basis where she would do it, someone else would do it. But she did it about once a month for a number of years before Lee Jones – took it over full-time no i didn't did know you that. know that no i didn't i didn't know that either. <laughs> so she was so she was telling me because of the time differences when it was her day and i don't remember she might not have even told me how it was decided that she would do it this sunday or someone else would do it but what i found interesting is because of the time difference those days she would have to stay up all night because the sunday million would end around 9 10 11 o'clock in the morning isle of man time so she would have to be up all through the night in case there were issues or, you know, just whatever her, you know, for whatever her responsibilities entailed. And she'll talk more about that if people wanted to know. But I kind of found, found that was interesting. It was kind of like having to work the graveyard, graveyard. Yeah, shift. it is. Like, poker, you know what I mean? Like just, oh, you're doing the Sunday million. And, you know, <laughs> so you got to be up at three, four, five. So anyhow, all we'll have to do when we do this is because she does go to bed a little bit earlier than you start. We'll have to start a show at maybe eight o'clock, eight thirty at the latest. Yeah, that's fine. Because if we started any later, like at ten, she's going to be fading, and it, it you know, it'd be harder for her because she wakes yeah. up early and she, yeah. So, but that's something that I mean, she's told me a lot of stories just between us, you know, her and I talking that are really, really interesting. Um, you know, one I'll just tell you, you know, real fast, uh, and then you know, if anyone thinks this is funny, they can talk about it. The first year that Poker Stars was ever at the bahamas so that i guess the first i don't even know if it was called the pca but whatever it was the first iteration of it being at in the bahamas uh isai wasn't there at least not for the story but her isai son mark was and a bunch of the poker stars staff and this was like maybe 10 12 people it wasn't like 100 people went to nobu at paradise island have you ever eaten at the nobu in paradise island i have never been to paradise island Oh, wow. I, I figured you had been. Okay. So I've eaten there, and it's it's 
it's just like any other Nobu. I mean, it's just as good. The food is the same. Menu's the same. And I don't even think, surprisingly, it's not upcharged any more than what the normal upcharge is. But anyhow, so they were there the first year. And it was like 10, 12 of them. And they were trying to decide, you know, what to get, what to order. So literally, Mark, Isai's son, when the server came over, he told the server to literally bring them one of everything on the entire menu. And it came to like twelve thousand huh. dollars. And but they had every every single item. And it took about like two and a half hours, but literally every item they could make was brought and served. And of course he paid for it, he you know, he tipped generously. But a lot of the stories that, that you know, and most people that have followed it, and I guess it's kind of relevant now because of the anniversary of Black Friday. Uh, but anyway, most people that have followed anything in, 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 you know about Esai or his family. Uh, it's it's always been said that he's very, very generous. And Jeannie can just tell you some stories about things he's done that have never even made the news that were never reported about just kind gestures, whether it's to employees or people that he's just encountered uh, that, you know, would just, you know, I don't know, you could say they're heartwarming, you could just say they're funny, but you know, things like that that you just would never read about, you're not going to see in, you know, Card Player Magazine. And although it was kind of alluded to, I don't know if you read it, in this Pocket Fives article that was released right after, or as an interview, I should say, that was on Pocket Fives, I believe, with Esai. I don't know the name of the writer. Uh, Jeannie also told me, which was similar to what the writer suggested, that it's very likely Esai will be in Las Vegas for the first time since 1998 playing the World Series this year. Oh, wow. Hmm. Now that his crime in the, the the New York case is closed, and so yeah, he he wrote he said in the article, and I didn't know this, but I figured it it was somewhere along those lines. The last and only time, or I shouldn't say the only, the last time he played was at Binion's in 1998, and he has not been back to the United States nor to Vegas since then. Um, so there's reason to believe he'll be here this year, which would be kind of cool. Wouldn't it kind of be cool if you're at, yeah. you know, your head's up in a pot with, you know, <laughs> with, with, well, yeah. I mean, now let me ask you this with, with your history of just being outspoken and, and, you know, you did this once with Phil Hellmuth. If you were heads up in a pot TV table or not, would you bring up your disagreement with Esai over the FPP black Friday? No, I would I, I even have a feeling he doesn't even. He wasn't part of that decision. I have a feeling that someone under him okay. came to that decision and then told him, and he's like, oh, that sounds good. That's, that's what I think happened. So I, I don't even think Probably. he did this. And, uh, you know, it's it's something I didn't like, but th- there was a lot of good that Poker Stars did for the community and for poker and uh, all that. And, uh, I, I even have a soft spot because that was the first place that I was consistently winning in poker. Prior sure. to that, I was kind of like a break-even player, and I wasn't really going anywhere. And then it was in two that. last questions. Do you think he should, in your opinion, be in the Poker Hall of Fame? Second question: Do you think he will ever make the Poker Hall of Fame? He's been on the ballot the last couple of years, but hasn't really gained traction. Uh, you know, in terms of being. You know, like, oh, I feel like this is his year. He's going to get in. It, 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 there have always been a couple other candidates that you knew would get in before him. So do you think he will get in? Do you think he should get in? I think he should. I don't think he will because I think the the people who vote on it, on who gets in just don't seem to be pro bringing him in. It just isn't changing. 
So yeah, maybe so maybe over the years to a baseball. If you had to compare him to a baseball player that either languished and then got in the hall or never did but deserved to be, <laughs> can you think of someone offhand? I mean, because uh, he's not like a drug user, so we can't like call him like you know, uh, uh, you know, Barry Bonds or Roger Clemens. Who 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 could we compare him to? Uh, maybe Steve Garvey. <laughs> Minus the different various pregnant women. Yeah. With different well, he could have that, too. We don't know. Steve Garvey. <laughs> I don't even remember. Was Steve Garvey? Like, I remember he was good when I was a kid, but did he put up stats that are comparable to other Hall of Famers? Uh, like, did yeah, he have a convincing argument? Yes. He hit for a high average. He had kind of like like pretty good power, not like super great power, but he had like a, a high batting average of over th- over 300 career. So, And he, he held Garvey, it for a never, long time. <laughs> I never would have guessed that'd be your analogy. That's funny. That's funny. Real funny. Steve the Harvey. Dodgers were expecting it. The Dodgers wouldn't give his number six out for a long time. They finally gave up and did it. But for a long time, they wouldn't give anyone number six expecting to retire the number. Yeah. And, you know, I do want to also say what, while we were, I just, you know, I looked at my phone a minute ago. While we were trying to find the picture and the link, uh, I will give a shout out because you might not like this, Todd, but I'm still going to say it. Uh, I'll give a shout out because while we were looking for the prostitute that steals watches in Vegas picture before I could even find it. Before you could find it, Jay Searless sent me, text me uh, a link to it with her picture and the article and everything. So shout out. He's listening. What is it? What is it in uh, the Midwest there? It's Kansas city. What is it's it, uh, two uh, hours later. So it, it's so uh, one thirty. Right. Yeah. I mean, it is Saturday yeah, night. You know, so. Something like that always reminds me. Did you ever watch back in the day? The uh, Howard Stern private parts movie? Yeah. He kind of reminds me of, of pig vomit in, in the sense that, like, you'd be asking, if he doesn't like you, why is he listening? And then, well, the most commonly answer is they want to hear what you say next. But it's not, I mean, I'm just kidding. But it's funny that he's listening. I wouldn't think he'd be up at 1.30 checking out uh, Poker Fowler Radio. I know he listens sometimes. I'll get texts from him sometimes during the show. Oh, good. 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 Didn't he like uh, get you like a cell phone a couple years back that he ho- hooked you up with? I, I bought an old cell phone of his because I guess he was going to upgrade or had upgraded, and I happened to want an older, not super right. old, but at the time an older phone so I could jailbreak it. So, I, is that are you still using that phone? No, no, that's long gone. Oh, okay. All it's right. been too many years. Gotcha. Well, listen, I won't hold you up anymore. Thank you for uh, allowing me on. And again, I'll do my best. If I, you know, sometimes I only sleep three or four hours. So if you happen to be on, I'll come on. And for real, don't overdo it. If you really start feeling shitty, you could always pick up, you know, make it a short week. Don't kill yourself enough to suffer <laughs> the next couple of days just for radio. Yep. All right. So and talk about res- talk about resort worlds, maybe even if you have a second. You know, my quick impression was, and, you know, websites can sometimes be misleading when you're looking at, like, what rooms look like, especially if you've never been there. And I've never understood that. Like, I look at, like, sometimes a Hilton property or Marriott. And the pictures are like, you know, they'll show the bathroom and like one faraway shot of the bed. But anyhow, the, the point is you can't really tell. And you go ahead and do this, what the rooms look like. They're pictures of beds, but they're not close-ups. You can't really see. So my impression, my first impression was the rooms didn't look anything special. Like the furnishings. And like these are real pictures. They're not like video pictures or, you know, they're actual, they look like snapshots. But I wasn't that impressed. I'm like thinking... For a three hundred or four hundred dollar a night for a standard room, like it didn't look, I don't know. So, but anyhow, they have like a couple of the suites and standard rooms and queens and kings on there. So maybe pull that up and kind of talk about the rates and what the rooms look like, and just look at that website on radio if you have time. Yeah, okay. I like it. I will. 
Okay. All right. Have a great show, brother. Feel All right. And uh, if my condition changes, I'll post it on PFA or I'll let you know. All right. Thank you for good. checking in with me off air. All earlier. right. Good night. I appreciate it. All right. Good night, buddy. Bye. Okay. So we will go on to our regular schedule of topics here. The first thing I'm going to tell you here in our regular agenda is about Mike Possel. There is a Mike Possel update involving my case. Remember, he is suing me, or he was suing me. I guess he dropped the case, but we are not letting it completely drop because we are trying to get me dismissed off the case with prejudice, meaning he can't refile against me. And we're trying to get the attorney's fees, which have racked up to about $43,000 by this point. So we're trying to get him to pay those. If you remember, we made an attempt early on to offer to not go after him for the attorney's fees, which were much less at that point, but still we had racked up some. And we had offered that we will not go after him for the attorney's fees if I am dropped out of the case with prejudice, meaning drop me out and do it with prejudice so you can't hook me back. And he said no. So we did all we could to prevent a big bill from being run up for this whole anti-slap motion and the attempt to get me out of the case. So nobody could accuse me of attempting to just run up attorney's fees and then smack him with it because we made the offer and it was going to be a binding offer. Had he accepted it, it would have been on legal documents that he could have shown we would have had no way to ever collect any attorney's fees from him had he agreed to it. But he did not. Through his attorney, he said, no, I'm going forward. So we said, okay, then you may owe us the attorney's fees, and hopefully he will. I don't understand why I was dragged into this. I think I have an idea, because I was pretty vocal about this in September of 2020, around the time when uh, Justin Caradis appeared on Twitter and was trolling everybody. And so I was kind of vocal on Twitter about my opinion of the whole thing which is my right to do. I'm a member of the poker community. I'm a player. I've been around for two decades. I am also a member of the poker media. I do this show every week. So I have an interest in the whole thing. But I'm just a guy on the side. I was never in that game. And I never knew Postle prior to this. So obviously I didn't have any beef with him. I'm really uh, not involved in this matter, or I wasn't, until I got dragged into it by him. So I shouldn't have been sued. I mean, nobody should have been sued, is the truth, but especially not me. I had such a small part in it. In fact, by the time I even got involved, it was a number of days into it when the story had already blown up huge. See, he couldn't even say that I helped blow the whole thing up. By the time I said one word about it, by the time I wrote one word about it, this was already very prominent. So I was just one of countless people out there. You know, he listed 1,000 John Doe's. I was one of countless people who commented on the situation, and pretty much we all had the same opinion. So I don't know why I was picked for this, except maybe because I was uh, going back and forth with Justin Caradis and, and some of Postle's friends back in September. And they just slapped me on at the end. That That's my guess, but I, I'll never know. 
why I was included in this. But I was trying to get out. I was never demanding drop the whole case. I was never demanding any money. I just said, please drop me out and I won't go after you for any fees. And the answer was a big fat no. So, okay. That's the chance you take. So, where are we right now? If you remember, the anti-slap was supposed to be heard on April 20th. And then it was dropped in early April. I'm talking about the whole case, not just against me, but against everybody. It was dismissed without prejudice, meaning he could refile at any time. So it's dismissed without prejudice by Apostle himself. So at the moment, I'm no longer being sued. At the moment, there is no pending case against me. That's the good news. It's not that good a news because he could refile at any time. He didn't lose the case. He just ended it. And I also have these hefty attorney's fees. So if you win an anti-slap motion, the other party has to pay your attorney's fees as determined by the judge. So the anti-slap motion was supposed to be heard on April 20th after several delays all by Apostle. We, we have tried to get this done fast and he kept delaying it, which we've talked about before. But as you may have heard last time we had my attorney, Eric Benzamokin, on the show, since Apostle voluntarily dismissed the case, what happens to the anti-slap? And it's not 100% clear what does happen to it. Each court and judge can handle it differently. So we were hoping it would be heard in some way. It clearly wasn't going to be heard the same way since it had already been dismissed, but we were hoping it would be heard in some way on April 20th, but we weren't going to know until like right beforehand, so like the day before. So sure enough, on April 19th, we got the notice that they consider the anti-slap to be moot and it is not going to be heard on April 20th. Why is it moot? Well, because the case is dismissed. So as far as that judge is concerned, there's no point to hear it. So what about our fees? Well, we still have on calendar for May 12th, the hearing for the fees. And Eric already did that beforehand. So that has not been dropped. And that is going to be what looks like the big date that we've all been waiting for. And uh, Veronica, the same thing is going on with her. So her anti-slap also was not heard on the 20th as it was supposed to be. And uh, it also got dropped for being moot. And I don't know if on the 12th is their date. I haven't asked her. But they're going to have something similar where the judge is going to evaluate about the fees. Now, what they're going to use as a way to determine whether or not that I get awarded the fees is whether or not that we were likely to prevail on the anti-slap. And if the answer is yes, I was likely to prevail on the anti-slap, then the judge will award me attorney's fees and determine how much they feel should be awarded. It may be the entire 43K. It could be less than the 43K. It could even be more. Probably won't be more, but it could be. The judge can decide what she thinks is appropriate. You know, hopefully it's at least the 43K, but we will see. It could even be as low as 0.0. 0. 
But that wouldn't happen unless they were determining that I was not likely to prevail. If they determined I was likely to prevail, then they will give me something. So that's on May 12th. So basically, the judge thought, hey, there's no point to do both an anti-slap for something that's already been dismissed and uh, an attorney's fees uh, determination on the 12th. So since the whole thing's been dropped, we're just going to determine on the 12th whether the anti-slap would have won or likely would have won, and we'll go from there. That was what she decided to do. Now, you may be left with a question, well, what about the whole being dismissed with prejudice issue? Because isn't that what I've wanted? And yes. So will I be dismissed with prejudice? No, I'm not going to be dismissed with prejudice. So does that mean he could file the same lawsuit again? Yes, but he would be in a much weaker position if he did. So let's say, just hypothetically, let's say May 12th came and I win some award of attorney's fees based upon the belief by the judge that I would have prevailed in the anti-slap, which, by the way, is the most likely scenario. It's not a lock, but it's the most likely scenario. So let's assume that happens on May 12th. Then if he were to sue me again, then I could likely get it dismissed very quickly based upon, number one, that he dismissed it without prejudice just before the anti-slap was going to be heard. And two, that the anti-slap likely would have been granted as evidenced by the attorney's fees being given to me. So those two combined, it will not look good to the court that he's reviving this thing, and they'd probably drop me out of it pretty fast. That's according to Eric when I talked to him about it. Also, this whole thing just wouldn't look good for him, and uh, he probably wouldn't bother with this whole thing again because it didn't go well. It didn't go the way he was hoping. I'm not sure what his goal was with this. Only he knows that. But it wasn't this. <laughs> you know, this if if it ends with him owing attorney's fees and the case being dropped, then there's no way that could be seen as successful. So it's doubtful that he would start it up all over again just to get the same result. So it's one of these things that if you get stung once when you try something, you're not going to reach your hand into the beehive again because you're going to get stung a second time the same way. Now, of course, this is provided that I prevail in some way on the 12th. If I don't prevail on the 12th, then I guess there is a higher likelihood that he would do it again. But I still don't think it would happen because even if I don't win the anti-slap, or if I, it, okay, I'm not going to win the anti-slap because it's not going to technically be heard. But if it's determined I would not likely win the anti-slap and they don't award me any fees, which again, I don't think is that likely, then still he didn't get anywhere. So I I don't think that this is going to happen again, especially because I'm not a major figure in this whole thing, this whole issue. If he has an issue with me that I filed this anti-slap, you know, he had a way out of it and he knows it. It's not like the second I was named, I jumped at it to run up the fees. We we tried to get out. So I was, I was very responsible in the way this was handled. There was no trickery. There was no shenanigans. And you guys heard I was straightforward about the whole thing on this show. Everything we said we were going to do, we did. 
There were no surprises. And everything was done in an honest and straightforward fashion. And we even tried to mitigate the damages here several times. So what can we do? You know, he wasn't going to drop the whole thing. We had to defend ourselves. Hopefully it will be completely at an end on May 12th and I'll be awarded the fees and then we'll have to begin the process of collection, which may not be easy, but that's not going to stop us. So that's where it stands. That's where it stands for Veronica 2 at the moment. I don't think hers is scheduled for the 12th. Might be. I'll have to ask her, but I have a feeling hers is a bit later. And the reason I have that feeling is because Eric was very proactive and knowing this was uh, coming in some way, that there would be some hearing for the fees. He went and got that date on calendar like right away, where I'm not sure if Randazza did that for Veronica. But it's possible he did. I don't know. So I'll have to ask her where it stands for her. But it's, it's basically the same thing. It just may not be the same dates. Okay, let's move on. And I want to give you some Christopher Mitchell news. Christopher Mitchell, in case you don't know, I'm sure you do by now if you listen to the show regularly, Christopher Mitchell is a Baccarat coaching scammer. And it's not just Baccarat anymore. He's more of a gambling coaching scammer because recently his big kick has been roulette. Yes, he's actually been trying to coach people and charge the money for the privilege, trying to coach people on how to become winners at roulette. <laughs> Online roulette, no less. <laughs> so he tries all these different schemes regarding gambling systems. And uh, it's mainly been Baccarat, but sometimes it's been blackjack, sometimes it's been roulette. He even had a foray into Bitcoin briefly. He postures as a very rich, successful guy who doesn't have to work a nine-to-five job, that's living the dream life in Las Vegas as a professional gambler. And the truth is he's not very smart. And the truth is none of his systems work. And none of his systems are even complex. You can have a complex system that doesn't work. But his aren't even that. His are really, really simple. Type of thing like, okay, well, if you see this many reds in a row on the roulette wheel, bet black next time. It's just, it's dumb things like that. It's like a lot of times his strategies you could write out in one or two sentences and yet dummies are paying him a ton of money. Not a ton, but they're like hundreds of dollars or a thousand dollars or $2,000 to get quote coaching from him. He, he's just a guy who comes up with betting patterns and thinks that this is going to beat the casinos. And he's not even introspective enough to think about, wait a minute, I'm coming up with this now in 2020, 2021, how come Vegas has been around for so many decades and nobody else has done this and broken the casinos? Like, how has this not been discovered yet? Since I've come up with something like pretty simple that others had to have come up with by now, why has nobody else tried this except me if it's winning? And why hasn't word gotten around that this is all you have to do to beat the casinos? And you'll probably say, well, because he's a scammer. He knows it doesn't work and he's just trying to sell it. Well, he actually does play. Like, he really does play his own systems. He's dumb enough to believe his own lies. He thinks, this is my guess, but I, I believe that he thinks that he needs to trick people that he is successful so he can get enough of a bankroll to actually be successful. So he thinks if he has enough of a starting bankroll, then 
he can win all the money with his systems. That the only thing that's been holding him back has been bad luck and not enough of a bankroll. So he's just got to kind of like fake it till he makes it. Just got to he's got to pretend he's got a system that's made him a millionaire, so people will pay for the system. Then they can win, and then he can win too with the money they pay him, and everybody's happy. Of course, then he keeps losing, everybody else keeps losing, and then he just moves on to something else and won't admit that all the other systems are failures and that everything he's done has been a failure. So even though he believes in the strategies he creates, the losing strategies, the big unethical thing with him is that he lies about his results and sells people these systems based upon false results, which is illegal, by the way. He's actually committing wire fraud by doing this. When people send him money over state lines, which they have, then he's committing wire fraud and he's also committing other forms of fraud if he just accepts the money in person. So even if it's not sent through uh, electronic means, still he's committing fraud. And the fraud is that he's selling it based upon phony results. And you can't do that. It's actually not criminally illegal to sell just a bad system. You could be civilly liable. People could sue you if you sell them a, quote, winning system that actually doesn't win. And that's just a crap system. But if you really believe that it's a winning system, and he does have a defense for that because he actually plays it and you're just wrong, you just made a mistake, you're just not good, you're just not smart, that part's not illegal. But the illegal part is using phony results, phony claims to sell this system. And, and basically, he, he virtually guarantees you're going to win with it. He, he says, just you know, quit your job, this is the ticket to riches, this is how you can become a millionaire like me. So you've heard all this before if you've heard the segments I've done about him on this show. There's become a number of people that have been fascinated with him, some just for entertainment and some because they're legitimately annoyed with him doing this and scamming innocent people, and some a combination of both. I will admit I am in the camp that's a combination of both. I do find him entertaining because of how ridiculous he is, but I don't find it very funny when he rips off innocent people, and I get mad when I see that or think about that, that these poor usually like hardworking, normal people think that this is their ticket to financial freedom and they're being led by a delusional snake oil oil salesman who sometimes will use uh, things like Christianity to get credibility. So he's definitely not a good guy. And it seems like he's a career hustler, career scammer. He was involved in uh, multi-level marketing before that. And there's been a lot of people who have tried to get his channel taken off of YouTube because that's how he's making these sales is by making these uh, YouTube videos and he's built up uh, kind of a small following. But YouTube has not taken action. YouTube gets the reports and does nothing, which is pretty amazing to me because they're removing all this other stuff, things that shouldn't be removed, like political YouTube videos and videos about COVID and blah, blah, blah. But YouTube is full of scams, not just his. It's full of scams. And it's very hard to get YouTube to evaluate a scam. They do have a mechanism to report a scam, but it seems to do nothing. So you can run a scam on YouTube, but they're probably not going to shut you down. And I don't expect them to find all the scams on their own, 
But when people report the scam, especially multiple people report the scams with timestamps to where they can see it's a scam and with explanations, and you would think after enough time that the channel would get shut down, but it just wasn't happening. And it was very frustrating to those who were trying to get his channel closed down. However, I will say one thing. YouTube is very sensitive about one form of... Uh, they were sensitive about one thing that he was doing on his channel that was getting him into hot water. They have a real bug up their ass at YouTube about online gambling. Now, they don't mind so much if you talk about online gambling, but if you dare put a link to an online gambling site, whether it has an affiliate code or not, if you have any link to an online gambling site, YouTube freaks out and gives you a strike. And what this, the way the strike system works on YouTube is uh, with each strike, the consequences get worse. And um, by the time you get a third strike, then you are banned for good from the platform. So one of the reasons you can get a strike is by providing gambling links or by describing in your video how to get to the online site that you're showing that you're playing. So he was really, really taking a chance with his channel, which is really the only way he makes any money. He was really taking a chance by showing himself playing roulette on Bet Online, which is what he was doing. And at first he was dumb enough to have links and he got a strike and he was kicked off of YouTube for a week. So that was his first strike. He was suspended for a week. At first he wouldn't admit why he was suspended. He told someone in a comment that he's just taking a break or that uh, he's on vacation, some nonsense like that. But we knew we knew it was probably because of the bet online links. And sure enough, he admitted it was because of the bet online links in, in a subsequent video. After first lying about it, then he admitted that they banned him for the, for the links. So he said that he cannot give you guys these links directly anymore. But if you want the links, you can message him through one of the ways that he's giving you to message him in the description, which I thought was taking a chance. I don't know if that's explicitly against YouTube rules, but this really seems like he was circumventing the rule that he's not supposed to give out gambling links. So instead of giving out the gambling links, he's saying, well, message me at the email address I just provided you to get the gambling links. So to me, that sounds like he's violating the spirit of the rule. Now, it doesn't matter to me if someone gives out gambling links. I'm just saying that YouTube, this is where, what they're really sensitive about. They don't seem to care about scams, but they get really pissed if you try to give out online gambling links. So I thought he was taking a chance here. And several people on my forum, on Poker Fraud Alert, in the Christopher Mitchell thread, were trying to report him for this. But they really weren't seeing any progress. So that's where we stood. And as far as I believed... Christopher was never going to get banned from YouTube. He was just going to continually dodge it. He shouldn't be dodging it. He should be banned for life because he's scamming innocent people. And by the way, I've, I've made many offers to him. He's never had a direct conversation with me, but I've made many offers to him, and he definitely reads that thread, that if we are wrong about him and his system is legit and he's really winning with it, and I said, show the proof. If you show the proof that you've really been winning with your system for the last year, then okay, provided the proof is real and I can verify it, I will take down this thread and I'll post a public apology to you. But of course, he doesn't take me up on it because he knows I'm right. 
He knows he's not winning. He knows the whole thing's BS. So anyway, we thought that this was going to be something that was going to be there for the long term. The only upside to it is it, it was entertaining. It was funny. Like, it's just so ridiculous you have to laugh at it. It's kind of one of these things you laugh at and cry about at the same time. Like, you, you feel so bad for the people who are getting ripped off, but the guy is such a freaking clown. Like, it's, uh, it's actually humorous to watch how stupid he is and how stupid the scam is and some of the stuff he says that he lies about. It's just the whole thing's such a shit show and such a train wreck. It is entertaining to watch. But I would be glad to be done with all that to just have him gone and see that these innocent people weren't going to be scammed anymore. We noticed something weird was happening that was uh, about a week ago little less than a week ago, but he started moving his videos. He started moving his videos uh, from his main channel, this Change Your Life vlog channel. He was moving it over to a channel called Lavish Life. Lavish Life was just another channel of his that was kind of not really being used. So it was weird. Why was he taking his newer videos, his roulette videos, and instead of deleting them, he was taking it off his main Change Your Life vlog channel and moving it over to Lavish Life. Like, there had to be a reason. And what people on Poker Fraud Alert theorized was that he was about to get a second strike or had gotten a second strike and was appealing it. And in the meantime, he still wanted those roulette videos to be accessible, maybe for the people who've been paying for his coaching or whatever. So he wanted those videos on YouTube, but he didn't want to risk his main channel anymore. So he he abruptly moved these roulette videos over to his Lavish Life channel. So we thought, hmm, we wonder if he got the strike and he's appealing it. Well, it looked like the appeal was successful if this is what was happening, because all of a sudden the videos disappeared from Lavish Life and reappeared on his Change Your Life vlog channel. So we thought the whole thing was over. However, very shortly after that, like same day, the entire channel of Change Your Life vlog and Lavish Life disappeared. We weren't expecting that. (laughs) That was weird. If you searched for either of them, They were gone. And we actually know when this happened. This actually happened on April 19th at around noon. And we know this because people on the Poker Fraud Alert forum were watching what he was doing with moving videos back and forth. And they were commenting on it. And they were commenting throughout the morning. And then right around noon Pacific time, the channel just vanished. So the first thing we saw, the first report of this was uh, at uh, 12.11 p.m. Pacific from someone who made a screen name that's based upon Christopher's son that he puts in the video. Someone goes by Christopher Jr., a.k.a. Bubs. He said, both his channels have now been deleted. When I reported his new channel yesterday, I mentioned that he was ban evading after getting striked on his first channel, not saying that's why it got removed, just mentioning that they both got removed at the same time. Three strikes. We did it, boys. It was a long journey, but we did it. So then everybody was happy. Okay, it's gone. And we we thought it was over. We thought that Christopher Mitchell was no more on YouTube. That it, I mean, it looked like what had happened is he got his second strike. 
moved some other videos over to a channel he cares much less about. And then um, while he was appealing that they saw this report that he was trying to dodge the disciplinary action by moving the videos to a different channel, and they just said, you know, screw this guy and they banned him completely. That That's really what it looked like. Like, why else would he remove his channel? His channel is pretty much all he has. And that seemed to be the case. But sometimes the way something seems is not the way it really is. So initially, this was how he felt. It seemed like he was going to have to either move the act somewhere else or it was done. Truthfully, since YouTube's kind of a monopoly, it would be hard to really get people watching him on a different platform. And yeah, he could continue it through Instagram or Twitter or something like that, but it's just not the same because the way he was really reeling in the customers wasn't through writing or pictures. It was really through video. He was really getting people by talking for 20 minutes about how rich and successful he was and going around Vegas and showing himself eating expensive meals. That that was really the thing that would rope people in. So this was going to seriously harm him. Well, I decided to check something. There's a bunch of embedded YouTube videos on Poker Fraud Alert of his channel where you just put the YouTube address and the video automatically appears on Poker Fraud Alert. So we had a lot of broken videos now at this point. And I thought, you know what? What happens if I click one of these videos? So I clicked one of these broken videos, expecting to see that the channel was banned. And instead, it said, video unavailable. This video is private. Private? Wait a minute. I've never seen that on a band channel before. Private implies that he did it. Private implies that he shut down his own channel temporarily. He made his videos private and then he hid his channel from being able to be visited. Because I've never seen that from a channel that got deleted. If you try to go to a video of a channel that was deleted, it would say that this channel has been removed for terms of service violations or the channel's been banned, you're not going to see that the video is private. So I thought, "Uh uh-oh, he may not actually be dead. It's kind of like in a horror movie where you think the villain is dead and everybody walks away smiling and then you see him move his hand and he's still alive. So yes, Chrissy is still alive and he's not on YouTube at the moment, but he later verified that he, ver- he he deleted the videos himself. And I believe him. He, he lies all the time. But it seems like this time he's at least telling the truth about that, though the reason he gave for why he removed the videos is pretty hilarious. So this is what he wrote about why the video is gone. Okay, so this is on his Instagram, which is Change Your Life Vlog, ex- exactly as it sounds. Change Your Life Vlog, all one word. Lies, rumors, and gossip. It's petty, immature, and only pathetic losers take part in it. However, it actually makes me a lot of money. The lies, rumors, and gossip growing around that is, Crispo- that, is that Christopher Mitchell 
actually got banned from YouTube. I'm here to tell you from my own mouth that's a downright lie and not true at all. I, Christopher Mitchell, actually took my own YouTube channel down temporarily for the sake of a marketing tactic that I created to make even more money. It's all business. (laughs) Do not believe the lies, rumors, and gossip going around the internet. I promise you... I took my own YouTube channel down and only temporarily so my wife and I can travel and work on some other business ventures for a little bit. Okay, let me stop right here. That makes no sense because you can travel all you want. You can leave the YouTube up. Why do you have to take your YouTube down to travel? It runs itself. You don't need to be there maintaining it. In fact, I sometimes watch YouTube videos from people who are dead. Their channels work fine. These people are six feet under and they still run a YouTube channel because you don't need to do anything. Once it's there, it's there. And it actually makes a little bit of money for him because when people watch, he gets a small percentage of the ad revenue that generates. So to say he took it down while he pursues other business opportunities, that makes no sense at all because why would you need to do that even if you're too busy for it at the moment? My family and I are doing great. We're staying in a fabulous suite right now at a world-famous hotel, eating the finest of foods and spending quality time together as a family. My YouTube channel, Change Your Life Vlog, will be back, I promise. The Mitchells, and he put apostrophe S when he shouldn't, the Mitchells are doing absolutely fine, so don't pay attention to the lies, rumors, and gossip started by the dead, broke, jealous losers. Okay, so obviously there's a lot of lies here. He's lying about the business decision, He's lying about having to do this because he was traveling and looking to other opportunities at the moment. Uh, His family and him are doing great. I don't believe that either. But the one piece of truth that I believe is in that statement is that he took it down voluntarily and it will be back because that is consistent with the videos being private. So it looks like this is at least semi-voluntary. When I say semi-voluntary... Our current running theory is that there is a second strike and that he was either given the second strike or that he's appealing a second strike, but whatever it is, he really doesn't want to get a third strike. So he may have thought, crap, while I'm dealing with the second strike, I need to take the other videos down. In fact, I should take the whole channel down before people keep reporting me and get me a third strike before I can even go through my channel and see what I can do to retool it. So I'm not going to be having any kind of problem with uh, a third strike coming right after the second strike. Because I think that's what he's worried about, that right after the second strike, that they will find a third objectionable video and ban him for good. So that's the most likely theory because the disappearance was literally minutes after he was moving the stuff around. And... That seems too coincidental. It looks like that he was moving the stuff around and then just decided to get rid of it when he was aware of the fact that we knew of this channel. I think he just kind of realized that he needs to just shut it down and hide it all for right now to where we can't report it. Because with the channel down, we can't report it. It's true. So he needs to hide it either because he's going to redo the channel so videos will be up are what, will only be the ones that he thinks will not get him in trouble, or 
maybe he's just letting time pass because he needs X amount of time to pass after the second strike without being hit with the third strike. And uh, maybe he's waiting for some period of time to pass by to where he's not on the brink of being banned. It's something like this. There's no way that this is all coincidental. There's no way that the moving around of the videos has nothing to do with him taking his channel down. And there's no way he's taking his channel down because he's traveling or because it's a new business opportunity or whatever. It's nonsense. The, he's taking it down because he feels it's necessary to take it down. Because if he doesn't, something bad is going to happen. It's also possible that someone's suing him and he's taking down the videos so there's no evidence. It's even possible that he's fearing there's some kind of criminal case against him. I'm not, I don't know if there is, but I'm just saying that he could have taken it down out of concern that evidence can be used against him. There's a number of possibilities, but this is not something he wanted to do. So for the moment, there is no Christopher Mitchell. If you try to look up Christopher Mitchell or Change Your Life vlog on YouTube, you'll find channels talking about him, but none of him doing videos other than people copying them and commenting on them. So interesting development, and I'm glad at the moment that these suckers who follow him are not seeing it, that they're not running into the channel. Maybe it's going to save people some money. We don't know how long this will be, but I can't imagine it's too long. He has been posting on his Instagram pretty actively now that he has no YouTube channel. And uh, the funny thing is, I guess his bankroll at the moment is probably $2,600 because he's posted two like pictures with a lot of money in them or what's supposed to be a lot of $100 bills. And someone on the site counted that both pictures have exactly $2,600. Not $2,000, not $2,500, not $3,000, but exactly $2,600. <laughs> so it sounds like that's his entire role and he's walking around with it like he's a rich guy. What a douchebag. Hopefully he doesn't come back, but I do believe that he is going to come back. He said he's going to come back, and he voluntarily took his own channel down. So I think whenever whatever passes that he is concerned about, we will see him right back. Okay, I'm going to take a break here, and uh, we'll do the rest of the show. I thank Brandon for coming on earlier. Then we will continue with the rest of our scheduled topics, and maybe we'll even have our interview. So we will be right back. Okay, now most of you guys know that I'm very picky regarding which sponsors I take. If I don't believe in the product or service being offered, I don't take the ad. And that's why I lose money on the site every month, even though I'm a cheap Jew, and it kills me to send out that money every month knowing that it is not coming back in. But I'm really, really excited about this new Poker Fraud Alert sponsor because I feel he's providing a service to the poker community that they really, really need. Eric Bensamokin is an attorney and a longtime poker player who provides arbitration and mediation for poker and gambling-related disputes. Now, simply put, if someone owes you money, or if they think you owe them money, he's a fully impartial third party you can trust to listen, understand, and decide who's right. The reason you can trust him is because Eric is a licensed attorney in the state of California and federally, and he's able to arbitrate and mediate for you no matter where you live. So you don't have to be in California, you can be anywhere, and he can arbitrate or mediate for you. What makes Eric perfect for this is the fact that he's an attorney bound by the rules and ethics of the state bar, and he's also a longtime poker player, so he understands the issues of our community. 
And at the same time, he's an outsider, and he, he's probably not likely to know anybody connected to your dispute. So you're not going to have to worry that he's friends with a guy that you're disputing with, or even friends of a friend. He's really an outsider to the community who plays poker for fun, but knows the community really well. It's perfect, and he's a licensed attorney. You can't do better than that. This means you will get a completely impartial decision from a qualified attorney who understands everything. And I'll be honest, if I had a poker-related money dispute with someone, Eric is the exact type of arbitrator or mediator that I would be looking for. Take down his email address, eric at eblawfirm.us. That's eric at eblawfirm.us. If you feel you're being scammed or if someone owes you money or if someone's accusing you of owing them money, just send Eric an email. It's not going to cost you anything. It's not going to hurt you. Just send him an email and he'll tell you what he thinks of the whole situation and then he can go from there. Eric can perform both arbitration, where he decides who's right, and mediation, where he helps both of you figure out your own agreement. Keep the email address around, even if you don't have a dispute at the moment, because you never know when one will come up, and Eric is exactly the man you need for the job. That's eric at eblawfirm.us. That's attorney Eric Benzamokin, eric at eblawfirm.us. Okay, we're back, and I have some good news for everybody. We have found our guest. She has woken up, and she is willing to come on the show. So we are going to have our scheduled guest, Lynn Beaumont, to talk about how she is a scam victim. And the person who scammed her is another member of the poker community. So rather than tell you her story myself, since she's available to tell us, let's call her. All the way in England. Should be interesting. Hello, Hello is this uh, Lynn Beaumont? Yes, it is. Hi. Hello, welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. I am Todd Dandruff Wittellis, and uh, I thank you for coming on the show. Okay, pleased to be here. Yes, it's uh, you know when I first talked to her about coming on the show, she she wasn't sure about uh, you know getting ready for it and everything, but she thought it was going to be a, a video show like like everything else these days. But now I, I I'm it's I'm been a long lockdown. Yeah, I know that's the same for me here. But that, the good thing is I don't have to worry about how I look, and that's why I do this format. So this way, uh, I I. I I could not have a haircut for a year. I can be in my underwear. I can gain weight. No problem. I I always sound the same. So, uh, and also I can call people at eight thirty in the morning, which it is there in England. Isn't that correct? It is. It is. Yeah. Lovely yeah, sunny day here. Yeah, it's uh, twelve thirty a.m. here in the Los Angeles area. So uh, I I don't believe we've ever uh, played poker before or had any interaction before. Uh, we just had conversation a few days ago, right? Yes, as far as I know, I've not met you before. Yeah, I haven't either. But uh, I was brought to your story by a friend of mine, uh, Brandon Gerson, who uh, was on the show earlier, but he had to go to sleep. But uh, he may be back a little bit later. But anyway, he brought my attention to a story which I thought, which he thought that I would find interesting for this show, and indeed I did. Because I, I always like a good scam story, and I always like uh, to expose <laughs> any scam that occurs within our community 
and that's yes. the, that's the main purpose here of Poker Fraud Alert. We we do other things, but uh, I always like to shine a light on these things. And usually, when one of these stories is brought to me, I end up having to explain the whole thing myself, and the n- neither party comes on, and I just describe it, and then I uh, take a position on it. And uh, I'm actually being sued over one of the times I did that uh, over the Mike Postle thing. I'm sure you heard of that. Oh yes, absolutely. I thought that had died down a bit now, hasn't it? Well, it sort of. On? It sort of has, but he's he's sued people for defamation. So uh, we're we're going after him right now for the attorney's fees. He he dropped the case, but not after we ran up. Uh, not until we ran up substantial fees defending it. So uh, we're going after him for that in May, and so that's not completely done, but. You know, it's a chance I take with doing a show like this. But anyway, I always like to yeah. give people the uh, the platform to call out anybody that they feel has wronged them, whether it's an individual or a company, whatever it is. And, uh, you know, if if what you have to say is the truth, which I, I, I'm not doubting it is, then, uh, you know, the truth is always the defense in everything, including in court. So uh, – and it's it's sometimes valuable – to put out this information so other people aren't victimized in the same way because unfortunately poker has a lot of scammers there's a lot of people who join poker because they perceive it to be easy money and when the money doesn't come so easily then they want to stay in action and unfortunately some people resort to scamming and uh, sometimes they can be very friendly they can be very likable and very believable, and then uh, they'll keep hitting victims until the word gets out. And then when the word gets out, what they tend to do is just run off and disappear. So, uh, yeah. So anyway, I, I was glad to see you were putting out uh, the word about what happened to you. So rather than, and then I'm, I'm going to play some of the videos, by the way, that I saw in this uh, these articles. It was pretty crazy. But uh, why don't you tell us? I, I guess I can ask you some questions, and you can tell us uh, exactly what happened. So, um. Who is the person that uh, we're going to be discussing here? It's a guy called Tarek Brown, uh, also known as Tizzy. Um, he live well. He was living in Las Vegas uh, when I met him. I don't know if he still is. I think he's from Washington originally. And um, I kept bumping into him at the poker tables, and uh, he saw that I was trading some crypto stuff. You know, I was constantly getting my piece of paper out and writing down prices and this sort of stuff. And we seemed to just keep bumping into into each other. And of course, he had an interest in crypto as well. So we got chatting. And he said that he had a business where he was trading for people. And I wasn't very good at trading. I, I find it quite an emotional thing. It's a bit of, you know what I mean? If the market took a bit of a dip, I would panic <laughs> and kind of dump everything. So, um, you know, I was managing to buy high and sell low, which isn't the ideal plan. So, you know, I was kind of interested, really, uh, in this guy. And he seemed to know quite a few people that I knew. He knew quite a few or he appeared to know quite a few high profile poker players. So I said, well, look, I'll give you six thousand um, dollars to have a go with, if you like. Uh, he um, I he seemed very plausible, but, you know, I'm the first to admit here, it's not easy putting it, putting this story out there because obviously I make myself look a complete idiot for trusting this guy. So I sent him $6,000 in April 2019, direct to his Binance account from mine. Um, and then he did very well with that. 
So uh, I took a few dollars out. And then in early June, I said, well, look, I'll uh, send you more money. I'll make it up to, a, it was about $40,000. I know, <laughs> please, I can't believe how stupid well, I so, was. Let, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Let me uh, just stop you for a second. So what happened to the first 6,000? Uh, he did well with that. He turned that into about 10 um, fairly quickly. So I took some dollars out while I was in Vegas. And um, and I said to him, look, if this goes well, I'm interested in investing with you further. I see. So I then sent more money, made it up to approximately $40,000 in uh, early June 2019. Um, throughout the summer, uh, he had software on, on his business, Bank of Crypto, which showed you where your money was sitting, you know, how you were doing. And it was going down some. Um, but, you know, I'm in for the long haul in crypto. Uh, you know, I'm a bit of a technophobe, but I do believe long term that crypto is the way to go. So I wasn't panicking at all, but I was then going back out to Vegas in September of that year and said to him, you know, can you get a couple of thousand dollars for me um, just to get myself going in the cash tables? Um, you know, because one of the reasons I thought this was particularly handy is to have, you know, easy dollars waiting for me in, in Vegas. Yeah, that's, so, a good, um, that's a good point because you're, you're from the UK, so it's not easy to, to get money over to Las Vegas uh, no, and I, I like to kind of go hungry, if you know what I mean. If I go out there with too much money, then I start playing pretty badly. <laughs> so I like to start with a couple of thousand dollars and get myself going. So um, he agreed, yes, that would be fine. And of course, I got into Vegas um, at the end of September 2019. And for a week, I couldn't catch up with him anywhere. I'd say, look, hey, I'm in the Venetian, I'm in the Orleans, I'm in the Wynn. And before, it had never been a problem you know, for us to meet up. So, you know, I said, look, what on earth is going on? This is only $2,000. <laughs> so he said, oh, yes, you know, I'm very busy, blah, de, blah. So um, by the 4th of October, about a week later, I said, look, this really isn't working for me. Um, you know, I've lost complete faith here. If you can't even meet up with me to give me $2,000, what's happening? And so on the 15th of October, when I still hadn't received this money, I said, that's it. You know, I've lost all faith. Um, can we just convert what was in the account at that time, which was about $27,000, put it into Bitcoin and send it to me. He asked for my Bitcoin address and I waited and I waited. And then on the 20th of October, he said he needed to sell positions. And I said, well, look, I don't care. I understand I'm losing. It's not a problem. I'm taking the hit. You know, I'm prepared to take the hit. And a few days later, then he said he refused to take the loss. He said, I'm not selling out of positions. So, of course, this soon turned very worrying. And I've really, you know, long story short, I've been chasing this money ever since, which is now coming up to, well, a year and a half. And he eventually, in uh, December, paid me uh, $1,500 in Bitcoin. Huh. Um, now, now, did, yeah. he, so he paid you 1500 and how did he explain why that's all he's giving you when he owes you, uh, this is December 2019? Yeah, which at that point, of course, nearly four Bitcoin is what he owed me. And at that point, it was worth about $27,000. And of course, now it's worth, you know, between two hundred and $250,000. So um, he kept saying, you know, yes, I'm sorting it out. I'm sorting it out. I'll get it to you. And he agreed a couple of times on repayment uh, schemes. You know, he would pay me so much a month, so much a week. 
that didn't happen. So eventually I got very, very frustrated, uh, spoke to members of, uh, spoke to a member of his family who said, look, this guy is not to be trusted. Um, you know, his family hardly speak to him. He's kind of been in all sorts of trouble in the past. So um, he had now by this time, sorry, I've kind of forgotten by this time, because he's blocked me everywhere. He's blocked me on the phone, on WhatsApp, on Messenger. He's blocked me on Facebook, obviously. Um, he's blocked me on WhatsApp. So I can't get hold of this guy at all. So which was really the reason I contacted his family, you know, a member of his family to say, look, please, can you tell this guy he needs to get in touch with me to sort this out? Uh, then I contacted a couple of uh, friends that he had that I knew of, and they tried to do the same. You know, they nudged him and said, look, if you don't pay this lady, she's going to start kicking off. And he just said to them, you know, I'm a crazy bitch. Um, I've threatened his family, apparently, I'm trying to extort him. I'm delusional, you know, all of this. But no actual real defense, if you know what I mean, just insulting me, but not actually saying, look, I don't know. I don't owe this lady a penny. So um, in February of this year, when I'm still not getting anywhere and I still can't contact him at all, I then put a post on Facebook that gets picked up fairly quickly, uh, kind of outlining the situation. Um, I was hoping that that would provoke him into actually getting in touch because that's really all I want him to do is get in touch and pay me. Um, now, that might be a very naive thing to believe I'm going to get this money back. Um, however, I'm not prepared to give up on this. Recently, it's turned a bit more serious because he sent somebody to my old address. Yeah, we're, we're actually going to, I'm sorry, I don't want to interrupt you here. Uh, we're going to play that. I'm going to play the for everybody here, those videos. I have them in front of me too and about being sent to you. But before we get to that, uh, a few questions here. So, well, a few questions and comments. Uh, first of all, I think anybody listening to this story would conclude the same thing. And that was that he spent all the money that he actually wasn't uh, holding it. And then uh, he was hoping you'd never just come. He wouldn't come asking for it for a while. And then uh, uh, that's why when you wanted even $2,000, he didn't have it anymore and was stalling you. And then, yeah. and then when when he paid you the fifteen hundred, he was barely able to scrape that up to kind of uh, just to stop me posting every yeah to yeah. to buy your silence for some more time and hoping if you uh, get that that you'll give him more time to uh, scrape together little amounts. Uh, th now the biggest challenge at this point, before we get to the rest of this, is that uh, you had asked him to cash you out for a 27k back then right yeah 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 so i'm sure what he's gonna say is that uh even if he were to concede the entire story as you're telling it as being true he would claim well um you actually the only thing i would owe you is 27k because uh you were cashing it out so you can't say that you get the benefit of uh bitcoin rising all this much and he'd probably even say hey if bitcoin had fallen i bet you'd still want 27k so how, how would you respond if if this were his answer i'm not defending him by the way i, th I think this is a no, terrible I, story and but... i absolutely i absolutely understand where you're coming from but when you know i've got all of this in text messages obviously through whatsapp where he agrees yes he will convert this into bitcoin and he will send that to me well had he sent it then, obviously, it would have cost him $27,000 if he's not sitting with actual Bitcoin in his account. Of course, if he'd waited until March of last year, he could have bought Bitcoin for $4,000 each. 
you know, it would have cost him 16,000. So it depends which way you look at it. Right. I just oh, so, oh, okay. So, so he owed you the, so he actually owed you Bitcoin back, not the uh, value of it at the time. It, it was expected yes. he'd send you the, okay. Then, 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 then you're right. Then it, uh, it's pretty clear that he owes you the four Bitcoin rather than the 27,000. Because otherwise I would think, I would think that he would, if he were ever to try to, uh, make a compromise. He'd say, "Okay, here's twenty-seven thousand. Which, if he were supposed to send you twenty-seven thousand, may actually have like a little bit of merit, but not when he's supposed to send you four Bitcoin because he can't assume that you would have sold them. He can't assume what no. you would have done. So exactly. Uh, so yeah, yeah and okay. He, agreed he would send it in Bitcoin. And as I said, you know, had he not got it in Bitcoin at that time, if he had, you know, he could have bought this mega cheap back in March two thousand and twenty. Yeah. You know, when there was a huge crash. Yeah. He's had so many chances, Todd. You know, it's just very, very frustrating. Well, yes. Now, I don't know what he's done with this money. I don't know if he's paid off other people with my money. Um, I just have no idea. You know, he was talking about having a new customer coming on board <laughs> with $100,000 to invest. And, you know, I, I understand this makes me sound like a complete idiot. And I'm actually fairly shrewd most of the time. So I do. And I guess this is kind of part of his thing. He assumed that I would just go away quietly because I'm going to make myself look a complete fool. But, you know, I'm also a stubborn fool. <laughs> well, no, it's, it's very good not. you're calling this out. That, that's, that's most, a lot of people just say nothing either out of uh, being ashamed or because they think by calling out the person that lowers their chance of getting paid back. And I always say with scammers that your chance of getting paid back is zero unless you make a big deal. And and being cooperative with them will never work. With with scammers, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. If any, if sometimes there's no grease at all. But if anybody's going to get paid back, it's the one who makes a lot of noise. With scammers, the the only exception to this is if an actual personal friend borrows money from you, and then they they, they claim they can pay you. It turns out they can't, and they were just in a desperate situation, and they lied to you. There sometimes it's better not to call them out for a while because. Uh, because of the friendship element, they may want to pay you as long as you don't humili humiliate them. But, but someone who's like a stranger or a business transaction um, or someone who's a career scammer, the only way you're going to get a penny out of them is if you make a lot more noise than anybody else. So, And also you're saving other people uh, from it, even if you never get anything back. So you've definitely done the right thing here. There's no question. And, uh, yeah. And, and um, yeah, regarding the Bitcoin this isn't your fault, of course, but uh, since it's gone up so much, this unfortunately lowers the chance he's going to pay you because now yeah, for him to I pay you, there, there's, uh, there's so much money involved, being over 200K, that he's going to look at this and go, oh my God, maybe I could have scammed 27K out of people to pay her back, but uh, there's no way I'm going to come up with 200K to get out of this one. So screw it. I'd rather, I'd rather keep the 200 than pay. So had Bitcoin gone down or even stayed the same since then, uh, you would have a better shot at it. I always say that people who owe money, whether, whether it's scammed or not, it, you know, it could be a loan, it could be a scam, but people who owe money in any way the less it is, the more likely they are to even start paying it back. Because if it just seems like the end total of what they have to pay back is too high, they just say, eh, forget it. So yeah, that's, just it's, can't even go there. Yeah, it's no, I be understand that. You know, and, and that's why my messages got more and more frantic to him. You know, I kept saying, look, please, I know that Bitcoin is going to take off fairly soon. You know, in the <laughs> next year or so, this is going to go crazy. And then you will never have a chance of paying me back if you don't have Bitcoin in your account. And he would just fob me off again. Yes, yes, I'm sorting it. I'm sorting it. You know, so as I said, I'm done. You know, I 
I don't like, I haven't wanted to call him out. I really haven't. Because as you said, once I've called him out, I've kind of lost the leverage that I felt I had. Look, if you don't pay me, I will out you everywhere, you know, on any poker groups, crypto groups. Um, and so I did everything I could not to do that. But I give up with the guy, you know, as I very much doubt I will get my money, but he's not going to walk away scot-free, that's for sure. Now, I don't know if I have um, a claim here for theft or fraud. I have no idea. When does somebody owing you some money? Oh, no, you definitely become, do. Become theft or no, this, fraud? No, this is you know, like... This looks like either a Ponzi scheme or just an outright scam, if it's the way you're telling it. And uh, yeah. and, and I have no reason to doubt you. But uh, so I'm saying, if it went down this way, th- this definitely um, would you would definitely have a good civil case here, and uh, e- even a criminal case possibly, because uh, now he could claim that uh, uh, he could make some claims to try to get him out of out of any criminal case. And I would think this would be something that would land more civil, unless. It could be shown this is a pattern for him, but um, yeah, but yeah, you would have a case. The only problem is uh, collecting. I have a feeling that uh, yeah. it's like getting blood from a stone. In this for this one, uh, ha- has he been back in poker since uh, all this? Have you heard of him playing poker for any significant I have, stakes? Yeah, I have heard from him. When I posted in February, I had a few people message me saying I've seen him playing in Vegas. I've seen him playing in Florida. Nobody seems to know where he's living right now, so I don't know if he's just keeping on the move. I have no idea. Yeah. Um, so that's yeah. But it, I mean, I would have thought though, if I can have him for fraud or theft, then you're talking about prison time, I would guess. And I, yeah, and that can. I mean, I, I watch the cop shows. You know, the American prisons don't look like fun. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the, the problem is, see, if if a case were to be brought against him, especially if he's done this to other people. Uh, I, I would think that there would be a decent chance for a conviction. The problem is getting anyone interested enough to uh, go after this and not kind of push you towards a lawsuit because he can – this is a little confusing for the average uh, police officer or detective to understand. Um, right. And this can, this can sound like maybe it just uh, – he lost it and he can claim you just misunderstood and it was invested in a different way and the, you know, your, story, your story is inaccurate. So it would be these, this type of thing where I could easily see where you're pushed to just go file a civil lawsuit and uh, unless you could prevent – And he'll go bankrupt, I guess. <clears throat> well, I, I think that um, what – would happen is if you sued him and won that uh, you would have a hard time collecting. Now you could continue to be after him. And one good thing about having a civil judgment against him is like, for example, if he won, if he was on the way to winning a poker tournament, you could actually uh, get the casino to hold up the money. If you have a court judgment and pay you instead. So things like that to where he'll never be able to play a tournament again without this, hanging over his head and he could even try think he won't catch it and then you can catch it it can be things like that uh and and also if you have a court judgment against him this you could share this anywhere you want online it's in the public record so you can share yeah. any court document related to the case and you can uh, uh especially if you win a judgment you could post this everywhere online and there'd be nothing you could do about it and this would uh, look very bad for him of course you you telling this story already looks pretty bad for him and uh, well he's never you know he hasn't come out and tried to defend himself has he you know so what do you do if you if if you were perfectly innocent and somebody did this to you you know plastered this story all over facebook you know, you jump on me so fast to shut this down 
Yeah, and that's you usually and what happens. I'm lying, and he's done nothing. That's usually what happens in these cases. When someone, we, I mean, I've seen for so many years, I've seen for two decades, where people come out and say, such and such person in poker scam me this way, and the vast, vast majority of them get no response because the person who did it, the scammer knows that they're guilty, and they know if they try to defend it, that if they lie, then the evidence is going to show that they're lying and that people yes. aren't going to buy it. Yes, okay. it's easier to call me a crazy bitch, you know, who's delusional and this sort of thing. Yeah, and then that's not going to fly, like, on the forums and on Facebook and on Twitter. Like, people aren't going to be that stupid. So people are going to people are going to really need to see something from him that is believable, that shows that you're making this up or incorrect, and he's not going to be able to show it. And then uh, he's going to look bad. So that's why in almost all these cases, they just kind of disappear and, and go silent. And... Uh, so the best thing you can do at that point is say, well, okay, I may have to just eat this. Uh, I may never yeah. get this back, but at least he won't be able to continue doing it. And that's what's uh, good about coming forward here. Now, I know there's more to this here, and I'm going to play you guys uh, a video. Let me get this ready here. It's, it, this is a crazy part of the story. See, up till now, everybody thinks, okay, this is probably interesting. But this is still kind of a run-of-the-mill uh, one poker player scamming another story. I know it's for a lot of money at this point, and I feel bad for you. But this story, yep. up up until this point, the story doesn't really stand out. But it's mm-hmm. about to it's about to stand out here. So uh, for those of you who haven't turned this off yet, you're going to be happy. So I've got some videos in my possession which are uh, on PokerTube, and. I'm, I'm going to play them, but uh, this this was at uh, these videos were actually at your is it from your present house or a house you once lived at? Wh- which house is this? Um, it's at a house that I was living in until uh, the end of January, and that's them going up to my neighbor, you know, and, who lives upstairs. And and, and when was this? Uh, that was um, the second of March. Okay, so I'm going to play this these videos here. Of it's, it's from like a like a ring camera or something like that. Yes, that's right. He's got a camera on his door. Yeah. So so this is your upstairs neighbor, and this is about a month after you moved out, and they don't realize it, right? Yes, that's right. Okay. They so managed I, to find my old address. Okay. So there. So a uh, to set this up here, a you, you guys can only hear this. You can't see it. A woman in uh, dressed in black with a mask on. <laughs> Uh, a bad hairdo. With a Barrett hairdo, I agree, I agree with that too. She uh, so this car pulls up, and she gets out, walks up the stairs. She's got her phone in her hand for some reason, like in kind of a weird way. She's holding the phone in one hand. Exactly, she's recording him. Isn't yeah, she's it's, videoing it. Yeah, it does look like videoing. Yeah, and uh, and she goes up the stairs and knocks on the door. You could say see there's a fifteen on the door. This is her upstairs neighbor, and she tries to pump him for information. Listen to this. Is her walking up the stairs, and you'll hear when she asks for the info, she doesn't say, "Hey, I'm a, fra- a friend of this uh, Tizzy guy." No, she makes up a lie about why she wants the information. That was the doorbell you heard ringing. Can you hear this too? There's a lot of birds. <laughs> yeah, okay, you can hear it. I would make, wanted to make sure it's coming through on your end. Yes, it is. Hello, good morning. Hi, or good morning. Good afternoon. Hi. Um, I just spoke to one of your neighbours. Yeah. I'm looking for Mrs. Beaumont. I've got a special delivery for her. It needs to be signed. Yeah. And they said you might know where she is. What, the forwarding address, because she's moved out a week ago. 
Oh yeah, well I see her tonight. If you want me to sign for it, I can't. I can't get you to sign for it. I'm afraid. Um, Oh, right, okay. So she's there asking for <laughs> about this special delivery, and yet <laughs> she's got no package. She's walking up with nothing except her phone, and uh, oh, I've, got, I've got this uh, special delivery here. Um, <laughs> want you to sign for it, and uh, the, at least at least this upstairs roommate wasn't falling for it. So listen to this. Yeah, that was the he part. He smelled one. a rat. Yeah, yeah right. He so, smelled a rat. And here, here's here's the continuation. All right. Yeah, because uh, it's just I don't know what the. No worries. I understand. No, no, it's okay. I'll speak to my office. Okay, no problem. Thanks very much. Cheers for that. Bye bye. And then she's walking away. So, yeah, he basically said no. That uh, <laughs> I'm not giving you that info, and he and she's just oh no 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 I'm I'm that's it I'm 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 gone uh, goodbye bye. I'm out of here. Yeah. So she she realized that he wasn't buying it, and she just wanted to scram. But uh, now, did you have any idea who this person was? You saw her on the video. Do you know her? No, not at all. Because funnily enough, my neighbor then immediately called me and said that this had happened. And, you know, I just thought, Christ, who do I owe money to? Because you know, it seemed like somebody's like a, I don't know, like a um, a bailiff or something is all I could think of. I, you know, and I was racking my brains for what this could be and couldn't think of anything at all. Um and bizarrely, he went into um, the local village uh, to get himself a coffee. And he saw the woman in the local village um, talking to a guy in a big white Bentley. <laughs> so presumably they were together. I presume he was the guy who'd been wandering around downstairs. Anyway, so then the next day, um, I got a phone call from um, this same woman, because obviously I've seen the videos by now. I recognize the voice. And she said, you don't have to say anything. Um, it's about the bank of crypto. Uh, you know, I've been told to come and give you a message that, um, oh, no, sorry, it starts off, you know, are you uh, Mrs. Beaumont? Well, I'm not. I've never been married. But anyway, um, of and gave my old address, you know, very clearly gave my old address. So it's kind of a bit intimidating in a way. She's letting me know that she knows where I live or lived. And um, she said, you know, you are not to post contact family contact anybody, defame this guy. And I, and I started to say, hang on, it's not defamation though, is it? Because this is all true. And she just immediately hung up. So following that phone call, I spoke to the police, you know, the British police and just let them know and let them know where this car had been parked so that they could get the registration number of it in case it was ever needed later, you know, through security cameras in the town. Um, and then I got silent, you know, didn't hear anything else um, for weeks. Um, it just seemed to go very, very quiet. And then I got a phone call, supposedly, from the council tax office um, on my mobile, uh, cell phone, sorry. And uh, he said, oh, you have a refund. And I said, oh, that's nice. Um, you know, from when you've moved, what is your new address? And immediately again, uh. <laughs> The smell of rat, and the number was blocked again, the same as it was when the lady had called me the, the previous time. And um, I said, "Well, don't worry, just send it to my old address, and it'll get forwarded to me." And that kind of closed him down, and he said goodbye, and that was it. Um, and then this week, was it last week? Um, on the twentieth of April, I came home from playing golf, and there's a car parked outside the gateway. It's like a little gated community of seven houses. And um, I pulled up, used my clicker to open the gate so I could squeeze past. 
And um, as I'm doing that, waiting for the gate to open, suddenly somebody knocks on the window, the passenger side window. Oh, and it's clearly this same woman. You know, she's got her mask on again. Oh, so, so you actually had an encounter with her then? Yes. Oh, exactly. wow. Uh, last week. So she knocks on the window. I put the window down and she said, are you Lynn Beaumont? And I said, why? What's this about? And she said, oh, I've got a message for you. And I said, well, can you come on in off the road? Because we're blocking the driveway. And she said, no, 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 I'll do it here. And I said, well, okay, hang on a minute then, because I want to record this conversation. And I'm frantically trying to find my phone. And she starts talking again, you know, bank of crypto. Um, and I said, look, please just stop, because I want to record this. Don't say another word until I have this set up. I want to record this. And she just continued to talk again. You know, don't post, don't talk to anybody. Um, she said, nobody's trying to avoid me. Well, Tizzy, then get in touch. <laughs> um, and she also I said something about I will be followed when I'm in Vegas, which is pretty intimidating. And she also said, if you continue, um, it will be taken out of their hands. Now, <laughs> I have no idea what this is supposed to mean. Anyway, with that, she turned around and ran back to the car that was waiting for her. It was a different car this time, bizarrely, not the white Bentley. So I jumped out of my car <laughs> to challenge her and say, look, what? repeat what you had to say. And um, they just screeched off down the road. I managed to get the registration number of the car. So again, the police have been given that just in case this escalates. Because I have no idea how serious these people are. You know, it could just be a friend of a friend of a friend who's trying to intimidate me. But you just don't know, do you? I'm not used to this kind of. Yeah, it's very business. weird, especially <laughs> since he's in the U.S., that he's got someone in England who's this dedicated to doing this because she's been all over the place uh, trying exactly. to hit yeah, you with this. Over a couple of months. Yeah. So I wonder I wonder who she is. And uh, I, I don't believe these different story she's telling I, I believe that this this sounds like someone who just doesn't want the word to get out and and is trying to make you scared and is trying to make it seem like yeah. a, a big organization is behind it and that this this is your last chance before this goes to the, the big people above them and uh yes exactly well they waited there apparently for three hours too because i was off playing golf and um apparently they'd spoken to my immediately neighbor my immediate neighbor and told him that uh she was a solicitor uh, and so he said to her, well, I know she's gone to play golf. She'll be back later. Um, and yet the neighbor at the end of the road, um, the first house you see as you come in, she told him that she was a friend of mine. She tried to contact me on the phone. Um, you know, they'll just wait outside the gate. And they waited there for three hours. You know, they're pretty determined, aren't they, to get me a message. <laughs> yeah. And, and it looks like they're trying to do this in an intimidating fashion. So, you know, more than just over the phone or by email here, here exactly. you're getting someone yeah. uh, approaching you. It, it's funny they're sending a woman to do this. I would think that sending a man would be more intimidating, but uh, maybe, yes. maybe that's who he's got there. Yeah, Maybe that's a, a touch too far for them. I don't know. I haven't got a clue, but it was a guy driving. Yeah, so then if there was a guy driving, that probably was intentional. That maybe they think if you do the, if they do this with a woman, that they're the police are less likely to take it seriously or something like that. Maybe it's uh, yeah, and possibly I wouldn't have opened the window if there's a heavy guy standing there. Yeah, the it, car it, window. I don't right, know. That, that may be it too. They think you're more willing to talk to this person, but uh, but then again, you've 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 had a few dealings with this person already. 
you think yeah. that they would uh, that you'd know who it is, and it, this whole thing's very strange. So yeah, I, I, this... but of course it backfired on him in a way. You know, I presume you know he's trying to shut me up, but instead of that, it just made me so angry. <laughs> I came into the house and immediately sat down and typed out another update to go on Facebook. You know, a new post. Yeah. So it's kind of backfired on him. It's not got the reaction he wants. Now I might be shooting myself in the foot because this might escalate. But I would hope not. You know, I'll just have to wait and see, I guess. But, you know, the police know all about it. So they know both of the cars. I'm kind of guessing if it was some heavy from London, they would take it a bit more seriously. So, you know, who owns the cars? Yeah, <laughs> it's guessing. it's very possible that, that this, uh, this woman is close with uh, the guy that you have the issue with and that the guys driving are just some dudes that she they, that she got to drive her around and that uh, that I really exactly. don't have much involvement in this yeah. at all. Uh, now, this whole thing about you being followed in Vegas, I, I, I won't say it's impossible if we got someone to do this uh, across the, the Atlantic uh, f- for you, for him. But uh, yeah. the thing is, in Vegas, uh, there's... As long as you just stay away from places you can be followed. The good thing is you'll – like if you go to Vegas for the World Series, uh, there will be a lot of people there. And um, if people are harassing you, all you have to do is start yelling about uh, <laughs> get away from me and, and a ton of guys will run over there and, uh, and say what the hell's going on. So um, it, it's a lot harder to do that as long as you're away – as long as you're not somewhere that you're alone – then, yes. uh, then this it's going to be hard for them to pull this off, and that's what I suggest. If you see any of this going on in Vegas, male or female following you, I, I would recommend just making a scene right away, and then, um, and and then even complaining to security that you you know then trying to make a scene, then try to get security there and say this person's following me and I've had this problem and and that'll be the end of it. They'll they'll eighty six them from the casino and that'll be that and uh, and who knows? This also could just be a lot of a. a big threat over nothing that he doesn't he doesn't have anybody to do it in vegas or who's willing to do it in vegas and um this to me if now yeah you can say at this point maybe because of the money that's it's the value has appreciated so much these four bitcoin that it's a bigger deal to have to pay that back but back then there was twenty seven thousand dollars worth of bitcoin and as you said, even at one yeah. point, it could have he could have bought in for uh, sixteen thousand to pay you back. So there, it doesn't sound like there's a lot of money behind this whole thing. <laughs> no, and that's the, that's that's another point to think about is that if the if there was uh, enough money to hire all these henchmen and everything that they would they just pay you and be done with it because it, it, well, exactly because yeah, he knows what he them, like. Look, would you mind giving me a payment? <laughs> yeah, we see. You know, they know what they did. And that's that's the thing here is they. Uh, um, I, I really do think is one if this is someone who is managing to support themselves by posturing as a businessman that people can trust and then you're out there saying don't trust this person that's extremely damaging and that's uh yes. that's, so that's why it, it makes perfect sense why they want you to not say anything and and they're going through these lengths so that's it's a pretty fresh disturbing and frustrating story that you're going through this both losing the money and then being harassed by this uh, weird woman there in uh uh in your country yes crazy situation but please nobody trust this guy um message to tizzy i'm not going anywhere you know you really have picked the wrong person yeah and to to this uh 
this guy who uh, this Tizzy guy that you're accusing of having done this. Yeah, Tarek if, Brown. If yes. you if you want to come on this show, this is to him. If if he wants yeah. to come on here and give his side, uh, he's welcome to come on here. I always allow anyone who's accused of anything to come on and give their side, and I'll listen yes. with an open mind. And uh, I, I have a feeling he won't, but uh, the invitation is open, so I don't want him to think. And I, I don't even know Lynn here. I didn't know she existed until a few days ago, so that this isn't a close friend of mine. So uh, I, I admit the story doesn't sound very good. I, if I had to guess, I would guess you were in the wrong at the moment, but may, maybe you have your own side that could convince me differently or at least cast some doubt. So if you would like to come on and uh, rebut this, I will give you an opportunity to do so, and I will respectfully yes. listen. I'm not going to – I will have some questions for you. I'm going to have some important questions for you to answer. I'm not going to just sit there and uh, not comment, but I will give you a chance to say everything you want to say, and then I'll have some questions for you if you'd like to come on. I have a feeling you won't, but I'm opening this floor to you if you wish to do it. So um, – and really, the now, so here's the question for you next. Mm-hmm. Let's say he wakes up tomorrow and he says, okay, I want to find a way to put an end to this whole thing. I'm, I'm going to stop with the weird women following you and I'm not, and, and, and I'm going to stop blocking you off of all this social media. I, I'm just going to try to put an end, but I don't have anywhere near uh, $200 something thousand dollars to pay back for Bitcoin. Uh, so what what type of thing would you be open to as far as uh, settling or, or a payment plan or what, what sort of things would you be open to in order to get that done? Um, golly, it's difficult, really, because, of course, with the Bitcoin thing, it's very hard to prove that he doesn't have it or that he hasn't got that tied up in other altcoins. Um, you know, so I'd be having to take his word for the fact that he has not got any crypto at all. Um, but I guess... Oh, gosh, I really wouldn't actually even want to say on here. Okay, well, you don't have to say. I was show. just curious. I, I, it's just going to say, my, from my observation of stories like these, because there's a lot of stories like these in poker, a lot yeah. of, uh, the, minus the thing with the woman coming to the door, there's a lot of stories like these. So in just about every single one of them, the person being accused is flat broke. And that's yeah. just about everything. I think if he was sitting there in other crypto, even if he really didn't want to sell certain altcoins, I think he would have done it, especially as it started to appear that you you could call him out. I mean, it's the last. This really looked to me like someone who just uh, can't pay. So um, yeah. I, I would keep that in mind. You don't have to state on here what you'd accept or wouldn't accept. And uh, of course, he can just contact you and th- that could be worked out. And I'm sure he knows that. But that would be my guess, and uh, if I had to give any advice here, and you could take it or not take it, would be if he's ever willing to do this, which may never happen, to come up with something that it, that seems uh, reasonable, but not even if it's not ideal, and then um, as long as there's a good faith effort to pay back that is... Uh, continuous and not just once and then a disappearance again not like another 1500 and then followed by uh months of uh, or years of disappearance 
but uh, yeah. something with like a, a something that's worked out of, of a payment on a regular basis until it's all down, then uh, th- that could be considered settling. That means I, I think that's the only way you're ever going to get it back. And and this adds up fast. Like let, let's say just hypothetically, let's say he were to agree tomorrow. Okay, I'll I'll pay you back. Uh, uh, two hundred thousand dollars, but I have nowhere near that. So I'll send you uh, two thousand dollars a month. Well, that's, that sounds like you'll never get there. But the truth is, a hundred months is um, it does know, add up. It's no, it's it's, it's a little more than eight years. So that's that's a long time. But you know, in four years, you'll be you'll be uh, close to halfway back rather than at zero. So uh, so that's that's where it. I, I've even had people before that have owed me money where I've said to them. You know, I'm not even joking here. Not not for the amount that's owed to you here, but uh, I'll say like I'm not even joking here. Send me fifty dollars a month. I'd rather that than zero. Send me a hundred dollars a month. Yeah. Just to, do it every month. Don't send it one month. That's not going to mean anything to me. But if you just anybody can afford a hundred dollars a month, so just send that. Uh, and yeah, and then they'll act insulted, and I'll say no, you shouldn't act insulted because you're you promised me you're going to pay this a long time ago, and you paid me nothing. So yeah, so just start sending. So if someone owes me like five thousand dollars. And I'll take a hundred a month. It's, it seems like peanuts, but yeah, in four years, it's it's paid back. So uh, I'll I'll make those offers to people. Uh, often they won't take it, which is baffling to me because if, if I was ever in that position, I would feel so bad, and I'd want I'd want to pay it, and I'd say, okay, well, I, you know, let's get it down to something I can handle every month, and I I would I would send it every month. But some people they just uh, they prefer just to run away from it, which is too bad. So yes, which is what he's done here. Yeah. yeah, you know, he's just running through, running away from his problems, isn't he? Yeah, well, that's... that's of course, what, they're escalating very fast. Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of what it looks like to me here from this story. So uh, so anyway, and and if he's listening here, I don't know if he's ever going to hear this. He might once he hears this, this the segment's been done. But if, if you're listening here, uh, Miss, you should contact Lynn and, and come up with something with her that uh and don't let me down this time yeah and and and, and stick, <laughs> stick to, it. to it and and so you know realize that whatever happened you didn't stick to it provided her story's true again i you know i'm i i have yes, no reason I to thought, doubt her i did have um, a friend of mine who uh, has quite a big following with poker players on his facebook site uh he sent him a message um saying uh right so this is um a friend of mine called james sending this to tizzy because tizzy told him basically do not share any uh facebook posts because he had seen that james had shared it hey so can you let me know how she's blackmailing you or extorting you it's just right now from all your whatsapp chats you look like you're a bad guy for the record i'm getting harassed by journalists over this and they are going to write a story one way or the other but there are two sides to everything you sound like you want to be heard I am told they would love to speak to you to get your side of the story. I can add one to our conversation right now with your consent. So it's one of those you're going to get famous situations. The other thing is, this is where he's mistaken. He says she's a U.S. citizen. Of course, I'm not a U.K. citizen. So after this pandemic, she's just going to go to the cops. If she comes to the conclusion she's not getting paid, as then she has zero to lose. And she's going with what seems to be a big pile of evidence. Do you really want that to happen, fella? Do you really want to sit there waiting for them to pull up? Now, sorry, I'm a pain in the ass, but I give a shit about what's right here. So here's my opinion. This story appears to run out only two ways. You sort out what you owe or come to an arrangement to pay and stick to it. Or you get famous as a thief. You sit and worry for a few months and then go to jail, ruining any future you have, which I guess isn't fun for you. So why not explain from your side what's gone on? 
clear everything up. Maybe then everyone realizes that she has harassed, harassed you. Maybe you are the victim here. Me, I'd explain or pay what she cut out of those chats. Show me, please, and end this horrible situation. Otherwise, personally, I'd not want to walk into a poker room, work, or a bar for the rest of my life known as that shitty guy that robs women. Have a think. If I hear nothing within six hours, I'll assume she's 100% right. There's no blackmail or extortion and that you're guilty of everything she says and will let the journo know. I've given up trying to help resolve this for both of you. And that's it. Obviously, he didn't get wow. any reply from uh, it. Was a good, it was a good message, but <laughs> it looks like it didn't uh, affect him very much. But the other exactly. Guy, but you know what I mean? He's had the chance. He's had so many chances to explain himself, and he clearly can't. So. <laughs> All right. Well, good <laughs> luck with it. That's where we're at. Yeah, I, but uh, thank you so much for allowing me to come on here. You yeah, know, no problem. And share that's my it. story. And who knows? It might rattle somebody else out of the woodwork who's had the same problem with him. Yeah, maybe. Um, yeah, definitely. By the way, if anybody uh, did, how, should they get a hold of you if they had a problem with them, or should they contact me? What, what would you like them to do? Any listener? That- um, well, they can certainly uh, find me on Facebook, Lynn Beaumont, L Y N N E B E A U M O N T. So they can uh, get to me through there, or if they want to message you, Todd, and you pass them on to me, that would be great. Yeah, yeah, I can um, do that. You, you guys can text me seven seven five three seven two eight three five five, the text number to the show. And if you've ever had any dealings that uh, you would like Lynn to know about, then I can put you in contact with her. You can just directly talk to her on Facebook if you don't want to involve me. That's Lynn Beaumont. That's L Y N N E. And uh, I, I really hope this gets resolved. Really hope you get your four Bitcoin back. And uh, it's a pretty bad story. Hopefully. At the very least, uh, they, they leave, leave you alone and stop uh, hassling you. Uh, by the way, before you go here, uh, what uh, what is your history in poker? How long have you been in the community? Have you won any uh, major tournaments? What What is your story? Um, I'm just a really just a uh, a keen amateur, really. But I did have one big result in the first monster stack that they had um, in the World Series in 2014. Yeah. Um, I was uh, sixth in that, so that was oh wow, that was good. Yeah. So that was cool, <laughs> but that's the only big result I've had. I, but um, I do like my poker. <laughs> no, that's good, and and uh, so you so you think you will come to the World Series then in uh, uh, in the fall? Yes, yes, I will be there. Um, you know, frankly, I don't have a huge bankroll, even though I had a lovely win then. Um, you know, so I'll just be playing the smaller ones probably. And other stuff around town. You know, I just thoroughly enjoy playing. You know, I yeah. love Vegas. It's a great place. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it hasn't been as great lately since uh, a lot of problems there ever since, yeah. ever since the uh, the pandemic started. But ho- hopefully it gets back to normal soon. And, yeah, so I hope things go better as far as the situation. I hope at, at the very least the harassment stops, even if you never get the money back. And, and you've done the right thing putting the story out. And now the ball is in... Uh, to Rick Brown's uh, court to either respond and explain what uh, you are inaccurate about or to just make it right. And I think yes. I think he should just get a hold of you and make it right. And I'm sure that if he does that, then, then that word can be put out and then his reputation can uh, be a little bit better than it is right now. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, actually, can I just give a quick shout out as well to Scott, a.k.a. S-double? Um, he kindly told me about your uh, radio show. Oh, really? Okay. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> Thanks very much indeed for your time, Todd. Okay. Well, thank you for coming on. All right, then. Take All right. Care. Good morning. Bye.
I was about to say good night, and I realized it's uh, 9.17 there. That was interesting. I think it's crazy that they were sending this woman to stalk her. I didn't know it was, It went on as long as it did. I knew about the thing with uh, guy, the, the guy at the door refusing to give out her info, but uh, I, I didn't know that she. this same woman knocked on her window another time and then started making threats. That was crazy. Well, I'm sure you guys know, but you should not ever trust anyone who you don't know very well with your money or crypto for investments, what they call investments, because a lot of times it ends like this. A lot of times these guys uh, running these investment schemes are just uh, using it to fund themselves. And then when you come to get your money or your crypto, it's not there. I mean, look, we just had a recent story about Max Silver and how he lost uh, like a few Bitcoin in a scam involving sports betting, where he was sharing an account with someone who appeared to have premeditated just to outright steal it. I don't know what this was. I don't know if it was premeditated. I don't know, but it, it doesn't sound good. Whatever it is, it doesn't sound good, but Tizzy, Tarek Brown, whatever, you know, you are welcome to come forward with your own version of the story. I would like to hear it. If you say you want to come on the show, I will make sure to get you on. No question. I like all the info out there. I am not one who has a bias. Okay, let's move on to our next story. The WSOP is moving. And I'm not talking about moving out of the Rio, though that's probably happening next year. I'm talking about it is moving its broadcast location from ESPN to CBS. The WSOP has been on ESPN for probably as long as you can remember watching poker on TV. It has been on ever since poker was televised. And that relationship has now ended. And this came as a shock to people. There was no warning that this might happen. Nobody was even thinking about it. You just kind of take for granted that the World Series of Poker is on ESPN until it's not. WSOP actually put this out themselves on April 19th. Uh, com tweeted, CBS Sports Network becomes the exclusive U.S. home of WSOP. CBS Sports Network will be the new television partner for the main event and select bracelet events coming up for this year. So this was a tweet from the WSOP.com account. And this is actually pretty big as far as the exposure poker gets to the public. And it's not good. ESPN is a very well-rated sports network. There's no question that ESPN is much bigger than CBS Sports Network. It's bigger than Fox Sports 1. It's bigger than all of them. It's a longtime respected brand and channel. It's been around forever. And this is what people think of first, ESPN, when you talk about a sports cable channel. Like just about anybody you ask, tell me the name of a sports cable channel, their answer will be ESPN. 
there are many people who leave ESPN ESPN on just in the background who are sports fans. And then poker comes on and they go, oh, cool, I'll watch this. And then, wow, you see all the people winning all this money. And when you're watching someone play poker, you're watching a table play poker and all the whole cards are exposed. It is so easy to feel like you're better than everybody at the table because you see all the information. So, yeah, you know you can see the whole cards and they can't. But it's so much easier for you to say, oh, if I were in this position, I'd do this because you can really see. You can really see who's ahead and who's behind. So this encourages people from watching it on TV to think it's easier than it is, and then they want to go play themselves. I can tell you that there are a ton of amateurs in the World Series of Poker main event every year that leave me scratching my head how they possibly thought they had a chance. I'm talking about just really bad players. Now, they fall out of the field eventually. By the time you get to day three, day four, day five, uh, you mostly have good players around you, or at least decent players. There's a few lousy ones who slip through who've just been really lucky. But for the most part, the fish fall out in the first two days. However, it's pretty amazing to me where I can put up $10,000 for a poker event where I'm normally going to be sitting with very tough competition, and then I sit down and it's me and a bunch of amateurs. (laughs) Now, I've gotten a few bad table draws before where I get me and a bunch of good players, but I'll also get table draws which are really, really good. Like the one I had in 2019 was a really good table draw. In fact, for a while, I was the youngest guy at the table, and I was 47. (laughs) Can you imagine? I was the youngest guy at the table. And then on late day four, I was the oldest guy at the table. How quickly that changes. So the reason this happens is people see this on TV. They see this on ESPN. And they're doing well. You know, they're successful businessmen or whatever. And they say, hey, this looks fun. Hey, I'll put 10K up and go do this. And they'll come to Vegas and they'll put up the 10K. And they'll play. But on CBS Sports Network, they're never going to see it. The ratings of the CBS Sports Network are a fraction of the World Series of Poker. So that's a, a tremendous change. Now, why would the World Series do this? Why would they downgrade like this? Because it definitely is a downgrade, but why would they? What would possibly be the reason that they would want to do this? Well, it's because the contract ran out and the ESPN probably either just didn't want it there anymore or they were not willing to pay much for it, and CBS was willing to pay more. That's got to be the reason. It's, it would not be because the World Series is delusional and thinks CBS Sports Network is a, a better place for it to be. So it's it's all about money, and the World Series just doesn't have a home on ESPN anymore because they couldn't come to terms that either side agreed upon. Uh, how different is it likely to be? It seems likely that they'll bring back a lot of the same people. Like I I probably have to imagine that uh, Lon and uh, Norm are going to come back. I I haven't seen confirmation of this, but just because it's moving over to another network doesn't mean that uh, it's going to lose the same broadcasters, but it's just the audience is going to be different. Now people are going to really have to look for it. Now, you may think, why would ESPN move to CBS? There's all this tradition on ESPN. Well, there is a lot of tradition on ESPN. However, 
believe it or not, the WSOP main event had been broadcast before on TV, going all the way back to the mid-1970s. And it was originally on CBS. And, of course, there was not a cable CBS then. It was just regular CBS. It was on a show called the CBS Sports Spectacular, hosted by Jack Whitaker. I did not watch that in the mid-70s. I could have, I guess, but uh, I didn't have an interest in poker when I was a little kid. The WSOP was first broadcast on CBS. And I guess in a way you could say it's coming back home, but... Really, if you think about what's the network that's known for broadcasting the World Series, and it would not only would it be ESPN, but if you asked like 10 people which network was the first to broadcast the World Series, I think like at least nine would say ESPN, even though that's not the answer. ESPN first covered the main event in 1987 when Johnny Chan won, and they covered it all the way through 2020. So it was a 34-year relationship. What's interesting is that CBS actually owns 20% of ESPN because uh, ESPN is 20% owned by Viacom CBS, but it's a different brand and different management. And uh, I'm just, I have to imagine that whatever deal that ESPN was willing to give them, if there even was one. ESPN could have just said, look, we have other content we want to run that just isn't lucrative enough for us anymore. So we're just, we just don't want it. Or they could have said, we'll pay you a pittance for it at this point, and then CBS was willing to pay more, so they put it on CBS. CBS claims there will be at least 50 hours of coverage, maybe more, in 2021 of the World Series of Poker. The agreement is officially with CBS Sports. The executive VP of programming, Dan Weinberg, said, Following our past success with Poker Go, we are excited to expand our relationship with the highest profile and richest event in competitive tournament poker featuring the best players in the world. The reason that he mentioned Poker Go is that uh, they collaborated with... uh, live stream coverage of bracelet events and that featured uh, Lon McCarron, Ali Najad, and David Tuckman. Ty Stewart, who's the executive director of the World Series, basically the World Series boss, said uh, CBS Sports is a pioneer in covering a broad range of championship sports. We couldn't be more excited to see increased television coverage of the WSOP in the coming years and benefit from their growing media platforms. But I I just don't see this being in a high-profile spot. So they are going to cover 15 hours of the main event and 36 hours of other events. I'm not sure how much of it's going to be live. I'm not sure how much of it is going to be broadcast on delay. That really hasn't been announced yet. Just that they claim that uh, right now they have uh, 51 hours that they plan to broadcast. They have also not announced which events are going to be broadcast. They also have not announced who's going to be broadcasting. So again, I'm kind of guessing Lon and Norm will be back, provided that Norm is healthy enough to do it. By the way, Norm did send me 
a Twitter message, a DM, private message there, about his condition. A while after I talked about him, but he said, he's like, hey, somebody directed me to the show, and I went and listened to it, and I had no idea your show is this long, but uh, he gave me a long explanation of what's going on with him, and he basically said he's he's more healthy than people are believing at the moment, that he actually physically could have done it, but it would have been a struggle, so he decided to just kind of sit this one out and let... Uh, Jamie do it, but that he could easily come back in the future. So it looks like he's leaving the door open. If you remember, he has a long-haul COVID. He's not a young guy. He's in his early 60s. So I guess it depends where his long-haul COVID goes and also how much of an itch he has to get back to doing the broadcasting. He could just be sick of it by now. I think he kind of just wanted a break while he's not feeling that well anyway but he also didn't want to completely quit. So we'll see if that impacts it as well. Make no mistake, this is a sign that interest in poker is waning. Because if poker was as big as it was back in the 2000s, this would not be happening. But ESPN realized it's not 2005 anymore, and they don't want to take up prime broadcast hours with poker that people don't really want to see for the most part. So they either just said, sorry, not interested, or we'll barely pay you for it. Because those hours that they broadcast the World Series, those are valuable hours. They could be broadcasting other programming and they could be reaping in some good sponsor money that they may not be able to reap with the World Series of Poker. So they have people analyzing this stuff and whoever it was at ESPN decided that they're done, or at least they're done under the previous terms they had. I'm not exactly sure where you're going to find this. Like, it's the deals with CBS Sports Network, but I'm not sure if it's going to be on... uh, an online version. I'm not sure if it's going to be the actual CBS Sports Network. That's what I'm guessing. That's that's a cable channel, the CBS Sports Network. But it could possibly be an online version. I don't know. Maybe it'll be partially an online version. As I said, I don't know if it's going to be live or pre-recorded or both. It's it's hard to tell. Oh, something else from Lon, which is interesting. I had stated on my show that it's actually easier for him to do the commentating because they do this on things that are already recorded so that they can rehearse it and write funny lines in advance. And he said he'd actually prefer to do a live broadcast because uh, it's a lot more stressful to have to do one that is pre-recorded and make sure everything's perfect. That he kind of would love to just do a live broadcast and his comment off the cuff, that he prefers that, which I wouldn't have guessed, but I believe him if he says it. So we will see. But it's definitely going to be part of the CVS Sports Network now and no longer part of ESPN. Okay. Let's talk about what's going on with SEALs, or known as SWC Poker these days. SEALs with clubs, which as I said is called SWC Poker now, and I'll explain why in a second. That was and is a Bitcoin poker site. 
A lot of people thought it was started by Brian Mikon. It was not. It was started by some other guy who called himself, I think, Free Money. And when it was started, I don't even know if the guy knew who Brian Mikon was, but Mikon found it. And remember, Mikon was very early on the Bitcoin train. Mikon found it. He found it right around the time we stopped being friends. It must have been like right after because he didn't mention it to me. And he would have mentioned it to me while we were friends. So he must, he must have found it like right after we stopped being friends in the middle of 2011. And at the time, it was a very, very small site. Very, very little traffic. And Mikon struck some deal with the guy that he will be the face of it. He'll promote it. He'll get people over there in exchange for some percentage ownership of the site. And that's what Mikon did for several years till he was busted in 2015 for running an illegal gambling site in Nevada because Nevada is very touchy about this. So he was not busted by federal authorities. He was busted by state authorities in Nevada. They did not arrest him initially. They seized a lot of his stuff. But right after they seized his stuff and then just said, okay, goodbye, we'll be in touch, <laughs> he, he fled the country. What they should have done, if they were smart, they should have arrested him on the spot and then taken his passport. But they did not, so he was free to leave the country, which he did. And then by the time they put out a warrant for his arrest, he was no longer in the country and was refusing to come back. So that actually gave him some leverage. And uh, he hired a very effective law firm for criminal matters in Las Vegas, which is a Chesnoff and Schoenfeld. And they got him out of it. I think it cost him like a hundred grand or maybe even more, but he got out of it with a slap on the wrist. He, he was very lucky. And then he was able to return back to the U.S., which he did. And he had to stay in the U.S. while he was on probation. Basically, he, gets, he just got sentenced to probation, which was, and paid a very small fine. You know, he really got off easy other than the, expensive legal fees. By this point, uh, he really wanted to live in Antigua, where he had kind of set up a new home. So he had to still stick around for two years in the U.S. And uh, once his probation was over, then he bounced and went back to Antigua. He is able to come back to the U.S. at any time. And uh, that's where it stands today. He still lives in Antigua, last I heard. But what about SEALs? What happened to that? Well, when he moved to Antigua the first time, when he fled to Antigua, shall I say, uh, he made a defiant video just basically telling the government to fuck off and that uh, they may have seized his compute, his equipment and that the other, the other owners of SEALs may have uh, taken it down, which they did, but that uh, he's starting a new SEALs. And that's when SWC Poker was born, SWC standing for SEALs with Clubs. So it went from SEALswithClubs.eu to SWC Poker. And SWC Poker was a completely different site, but basically under their new management. And eventually they developed new software. Originally it was running on the same software that you can just buy off the shelf, this uh, Maven software, which we run for the Poker Fraud Alert uh, Poker Room. But they eventually had their own custom software made. I don't know who made it for them, but... Uh, they eventually had their own customer so- software made. And uh, Mikon claimed later on that he sold it to some Europeans. He would never say who. He never gave many details. 
the last we heard was, oh, he's stepping away, and then all of a sudden one day he claims he sold it. I don't know if that's true. He may have sold it. He may have not sold it. He says he sold it, but that doesn't mean he sold it. It also doesn't mean he didn't sell it. I don't know. I really don't know if... I've, I've wondered this. I have wondered, does he have any involvement? Does he have any connection? Does he make any money from it still? I don't know. He might, he might not. Could go either way. But this story isn't really about MyCon. It's it's about uh, Seal of the Clubs slash SWC Poker. They never grew to be a huge site. It was always a small site. But it probably generated a, a steady revenue stream. Uh, it's Bitcoin only. And... You do not have to give any personal info. Unlike other poker sites where you have to give a bunch of info about yourself, on SWC Poker, you really can just create an account with no info, fund it with Bitcoin, and then withdraw when you want. Now, even though it was was not a very active site, some people liked it because it's a crypto site and that you don't have to give your info. You can play anonymously. And that they tended to be pretty fast with cash outs. So people liked all that. Well, one of the big things they liked, the fast cash outs, may not be the case anymore as people are complaining that their cash outs are not coming. Now, I want to be clear, this is not a long-term issue yet, but it's the first time it's ever happened here. And there's definitely some strange stuff going on at SWC Poker and... I can't even completely make sense of it. So here's what happened. This was brought to my attention today, and I don't know much about it yet, but here's what I've seen so far. On April 23rd, which is now about a day and a half ago, a guy named Mr. Bug, who's on Twitter as MR, like Mr., Mr. Bug BTC, like Bitcoin, MR Bug BTC, tweeted this. Has anyone received a cash out from SWC Poker this week? My withdrawal has been pending for over a week because they used a one cent fee. See a bunch of people complaining nonstop about cash outs. And then a guy named Henry Tran responded, I am waiting on two, one for over 1.5 weeks. Let me stop here. What does Mr. Bug mean by a one cent fee? Well, whenever you send Bitcoin... You, you basically select what fee you're paying as far as the cost of sending the Bitcoin through the network. And the higher fee you pay, the higher priority you pay, uh, that you have for the transaction. When the network is very busy, you have to pay a high fee. But when the network is not very busy, you can get away with paying a low fee. Sometimes you can get away with paying just a few cents and transfer a lot of Bitcoin that way. Sometimes, though, the Bitcoin fee can be like 30 bucks. I just saw that the other day. It was 30 bucks to send like $400 in Bitcoin. It's crazy. If the network is very congested, as it has been recently, the fee is going to be perpetually high until that finally cools down, if it ever does. But again, this is not a fixed fee. It's not like if you don't pay the $30, you can't send Bitcoin. You can. It'll just be slower. In fact, you could pay $60. It'll be faster. So if you have a wallet through a website like blockchain.com, it will actually suggest what you pay. You can adjust it, 
but it'll give you a suggestion based upon the traffic. And this way, it's always getting there in a reasonable amount of time. You're paying the correct fee to do that. But he's saying that they are sending him the withdrawal, but he's never getting it because they used a one-cent fee rather than paying the $30 or whatever is necessary to get it over. So they're not stupid over there. Why would they do a one-cent fee at a time like this that would make it last priority and there's no one's going to get any withdrawals? It's, it's very bizarre. And sure enough, this Henry Tran guy then says he's been waiting for two withdrawals. One of the two is uh, one and a half weeks old. Another person named uh, JTK responded, I cannot withdraw as well. Is there anyone who got in the last days? And Mr. Bug said back, I've seen no successful cash outs. So that's not good. On 2 plus 2, a poster who's been around since 2007, but has only made 26 posts, including this one, M. Frumar, I don't know if he's one of the people in the Twitter thread or not, but he created this uh, in the afternoon on April 24th. He said, SWC Poker has been taking deposits for 48 hours without a single person saying it has hit their account, despite over 20 confirmations for both. Support emails have been gone on, have gone unanswered, and they've made no comment in their social media despite being quite active. Is it possible they're in trouble? Apparently, withdrawals have been taken up to a week instead of the usual 6 to 12 hours. All I know is that whatever you do, you should not be depositing there until they come out and comment on the situation being reflected and why this has taken place. So it looks like this has been also affecting deposits, and not just withdrawals, that if you deposit there, that uh, it doesn't even show up. Then a person named 8GameIsFun responded back, It is entirely possible that they're in financial trouble. Games have been drying up, and they admitted that withdrawal fees were, quote, too expensive for them, which is a ridiculous statement for any poker site to make. Quote, with the increase in Bitcoin usage, the fee became a big expense. Some players made lots of withdrawals. We would pay the fee. And they said, to respond to your question, the SWC deposit system has 99% uptime where deposits are credited after one confirmation. He goes on to say, I'm assuming that number is going down recently. Now, Bitcoin has had a recent spike in blockchain traffic due to mining hash rate effectively being halved during a power outage in China, and that caused a traffic jam, not unlike the Evergreen. That being said, this shouldn't affect deposits at all. I would second your words of caution when it comes to SWC in recent months. A person named Kalea responded, said, while it's right to be cautious, if they were intending to steal player funds, the deposit page would still be up. The fact that they've taken it down suggests a software issue. I agree. As for the fees, when it's common practice for a lot of players to deposit and withdraw after each session, the Bitcoin price spiking and blockchain fees rising, it was eventually going to be an issue. That said, they have handled communication about the issue horribly, so it's only natural players are getting suspicious and pissed off. Hopefully, they will get it sorted soon. Yeah, that's a good post from this Kalea. I agree with him. That was the first thing I thought was, okay, if they're not processing withdrawals, it's a bad sign. That could show they just don't have the money. But if people are depositing and the deposits are not showing in their account, why would they do that? They want deposits. They want to encourage deposits. So if they're getting deposits and they're not putting people's the balance in people's accounts, you got to think that's some kind of glitch, some kind of problem they're having and not that they're broke. Now, you could say 
that uh, they just don't want this money in circulation at the moment. So what they're trying to do is get deposits and actually not have the deposits lost right back on the poker table and then withdrawn. They got the problem all over again. So if they could kind of hold these deposits in limbo, then they could, if they get enough of them, they could use them to pay out the pending withdrawals. So don't completely let them off the hook. It is possible that this really is an issue of them being insolvent for the reason I just said. It is weird that they've become unresponsive about this, given that it's a very big issue. On Bitcoin Talk, which is a big forum for crypto enthusiasts, there is a very long SWC poker thread, which is uh, 79 pages long. Not about this, but it's just, this is one of the topics that's come up in the last uh, page or two. And here is a really weird post from the SWC poker account, which is like the official support account there, which from what I've seen in the past is always written well and looks like it's written by a native English speaker. And from what other people have seen, they think the same thing. Listen to this weird post. Developers are reviewing cash out strategy and will make changes. Player feedback has been negative on 50 block target. Mempool became congested and exacerbated the issue. Internal talks discuss player selects fee with high, medium, low options. Micro players want low fee. High players want fast confirmation. What the hell are they talking about? (laughs) Is this English? Players with unconfirmed withdrawal transactions can do child pays for a parent to speed up withdrawal confirmation. Batching transactions was discussed, but there is privacy issue with that method. Not there's a privacy issue. There's, There's privacy issue. Now there's privacy issues. There's just there's privacy issue, like the one issue. We are looking at UTXO management. For the angry player making demands, if you do not trust SWC poker, then withdraw your funds or don't play. Not withdraw your funds, withdraw your funds. Developers and engineers are Developers and engineers see the long roadmap of bug squash and feature building. (laughs) Team is strong and will keep building and show players improvement. Useful helps is for players to list the features you want to see and tell us where we can improve. Yeah, those are the useful helps, guys. That's how you give useful helps. We will keep building for you because we are dedicated to SWC poker. Okay, so either this was someone just screwing around trying to make it look like uh, it's a foreigner on the account now, or it really is someone who is not a native English speaker. But like, why did they take over the account all of a sudden? And this prompted some people to become concerned that maybe SWC poker has been sold and that the new owners are not very trustworthy. Maybe it was sold by ones who are the native English speakers to whoever's running this thing and that in addition, in addition to speaking poor English that they're running into the ground. So this this is kind of disturbing if you have any money on there. My guess is they'll be okay, but this is really weird and the fact that they have no communication during this and it's been going on for weeks is a big problem. So that's kind of odd and Mycon hasn't commented, but I understand that because if he is running it behind the scenes or owning it behind the scenes or owns a piece of it at this point, he's never going to admit that publicly ever again after what happened to him in 2015. So we're going to have to wait to see what happens. The longer time that passes that they continue to have this problem, the higher chance is that the whole thing 
is crashing down. If they get this ship righted in the next week or two, then it was probably just some sort of technical fail that just wasn't communicated well. It's too early to hit the panic button and say SWC is done or that it's about to rip everybody off. But I agree with people on Bitcoin Talk that it is not the right time to deposit there. So if you have an account on SWC Poker, I strongly recommend that you do not put anything further on there and that also maybe you should take your money off there. Of course, it seems pretty hard to do that, but you should try to take your money off there and wait until things stabilize. And that's all I can say about it for right now. Okay, let's move on to our next topic here. Mark Voss, remember him? He is having a public Twitter battle with an Aussie-based sports book. He's in Australia, so he's betting with a sports book in Australia, a licensed book there, and fighting with them on Twitter. I'll admit I haven't thought of Mark Voss in a while. He was a World Series of Poker bracelet winner in 2006. He was a full-tilt red pro. And uh, apparently right now he is a sports better. Uh, he claims to still play poker. I hadn't really heard much about him in a while. Taking a look at his Hended Mob shows that he has uh, 1.351 million in caches which isn't that far ahead of me at this point. And he has not cashed in anything in... Uh, well, I guess he cashed in one tournament in uh, 2020, but he only has two caches since 2011. In fact, since January 2011. He had one in January two th 2017 and another in January 2020. It looks like he plays the Aussie Millions in January and probably not even every year because he only has those two caches. So it looks like his days of coming to the U.S. to play poker seem to be over. He hasn't cashed at the World Series since 2008. In fact, he did well at the World Series main event in 08, getting 80th place and finishing with uh, 77,200. That's roughly equivalent to how I did in 2010. I got 88th, but it was a bigger field, and we cashed about the same thing, cashed slightly more, but since then, he hasn't had a single World Series cash, and now that's been uh, getting close to 13 years. And as I said, he fell off the map tournament-wise. Now, he may still be playing cash, but anyway, he's definitely sports betting, as we got to see with this uh, Twitter fight that he was having with the sports book. It's very bizarre. This was brought to my attention by Blissey69, who is a listener to this show. So thank you, Blissey. See, here's what happened. A sports book called Southern Cross Bet, which is on Twitter is scbet.com.au. <laughs> SC, like Southern Cross, scbet.com, C-O-M-A-U, which they're trying to say it's uh, southerncrossbet.com.au. That's what they're... Uh, Twitter is referencing. So they wrote, A huge day of AFL kicks off in less than an hour with Gold Coast S the Gold Coast Suns taking on the Sydney Swans. Down at Geelong, the Geelong Cats take on the West Coast Eagles. The money has been all for Victorians. 
We are market leading minus 17.5 and keen to lay the cats. So they're, they're trying to promote various uh, AFL games. That's Australian rules football. And they're saying that the minus 17.5 is the best line you can find. That's what they say. They, they were a market leading minus 17.5. That that's the best line you can find if you want to bet on the Geelong cats. So Mark Voss responded Hey guys, I call your minus 17.5 and I raise you. And then he posted a screenshot of some bets he attempted to place. Then it says Cronulla uh, Sharks and uh, Canberra Raiders do both win by more than 10 points. The Saturday footy special. And it was rejected. And it says uh, no promos, whatever that means. But the more important one is below it where it shows he tried to bet on the Geelong Cats minus 17.5, and it says status partially accepted, and it's showing that the stake is $56, which is presumably 56 Australian dollars. So then he went on to explain what the screenshot was. He said, if you're unwilling to take action from me, that's fine. But if you're going to brag about being keen to lay and then giving me $56, it's pretty weak. So he's he's giving them shit for tweeting this out that they've got such a wonderful bet and that they're keen to take bets on the Geelong Cats. They actually wrote that, we're keen to lay the Cats. And then he tried to put 565 and they gave him 56 so they, they gave him a partial acceptance, which I don't see U.S.-facing sportsbooks ever doing. I always either just get accepted or rejected. But they gave him a partial where they said, okay, uh, we'll take 10% of your action, but um, nope, you're not getting the, the 90%. So he got a whopping $56 down on it and wasn't very happy. And then he was kind of annoyed to see them promoting that they're looking for more action on this. So... They responded. This is all public. I think you know why, Mark. Happy to let you know privately or publicly if you don't. Good luck. So they're saying, you know why we didn't take your action. So then I guess he wasn't sure. So he said back, because I bet some golf matchups after day one and you canceled them? Or because I'm up 20K versus you? I saw the markets, odds seemed juicy, you accepted them and then canceled them. This is why? So let me explain what he means by that. So first of all, he's saying that he's up 20K on them overall, that so far against their sports book, he's winning 20K. Second, he's claiming that they previously canceled one of his bets recently where there was uh, some kind of uh, golf-related bet during a golf tournament and that uh, the odds looked good. He bet on them, and they accepted it, but then canceled the bets after they accepted them. So he feels that uh, they're punishing him. But then you may say, wait a minute, why, why would they punish him for this? It sounds like they did, had the wrongdoing if they accepted the bets and then canceled them. So they responded back. Or actually, he, he went on to write one other thing before they responded. He wrote, FYI, other sites like Sportsbet offer tournament matchups after day one, after day two, etc. at new odds. If your odds weren't were the new odds, I saw value. If they were not, you could cancel them as they did. I bet with you because I saw this value, it was no different. 
So basically, he was already answering their potential response to him because it looks like to me that this was a multi-day golf tournament and that they had to update the odds on certain players winning based upon how they did on day one. And apparently they didn't. So they were taking these bets on the tournament that they hadn't updated the odds yet. So he went and saw this and said, okay, I'm going to pull an angle. I'm going to bet on these lines, which are all wrong presently because of uh, we've seen how it's gone on day one already, and these odds were based before day one. So he started betting on the golfers that uh, were already doing well and that uh, they accepted the bet initially and then realized the mistake and canceled his bet. So he's saying he's not mad that they canceled them, but that they shouldn't be mad at him for betting at what looked like good odds. And he was claiming that he wasn't doing what's known as past posting, which is where you're betting on a match after it's already started. Uh, He said that he wasn't doing that because there's a number of Australian books, and he named one of them being sports bets, that actually do update their odds after day one, and you can bet at that point. So he claimed he wasn't sure if it was uh, just a mistake that they hadn't updated their odds yet, or if they had and they just didn't do a good job of it. So he bet it, and he figured that if they accept, they accept. If they reject, they reject. No hard feelings either way. But he doesn't understand why they're mad at him for it. So Southern Cross Bet actually responded and said, yes, that's the reason. Other pros, and they put pros in quotes, will notify us if we have a market blatantly wrong, which we appreciate. We certainly do want your business. Don't let that lesson fool you. As for the 20K number, if that's what your ledger says, you should be happy with that. Good luck. That's a pretty nasty tweet. They're, they're first of all, mocking him that uh, he's claiming to be up 20K and that he's not and kind of implying that he's a loser there. <laughs> so, like, all right, well, if, if you think you won 20K, then um, sleep well. All right, very good, very good. Keep on betting here. If you, and keep believing you're up. That's all right. It's all right with us. You can think what you wish. <laughs> so... They, they, you said, if that's your ledger, that's your ledger says, you'd be happy with that. And then they're saying that other pros like him are ethical enough, they didn't use those words, but that's the way they're trying to say here, to instead of trying to angle shoot them on a line they didn't update, to tell them, hey, you've got a blatantly wrong set of lines here, you better fix this. And they're saying, we appreciate it. So we do want your business. We think you're not a very good sports better. We, we enjoy taking bets from you because you lose. That's what they're trying to imply here. But when you do find a line that we just made a blatant mistake on, uh, please just let us know about it instead of trying to angle us because all the other ethical pros do and you don't. That's what they were trying to say to him. And they, they even put pros in quotes to kind of indicate that he's not one. That was a pretty inflammatory tweet. So then... Mark Voss is clearly taken aback by that. He said, is the lesson that you, you will attempt to publicly shame winning punters, that means betters, for their betting habits? And then they wrote back, no, maybe teaching a lesson to punters in ethics that they should go both ways. Anyway, have you another example of a partial bet and we'll be happy to explain why. So they're basically saying, you want to do this again? You want to show another bet that we lowered for you? So they claim they're trying to teach him a lesson because he's like, wait, why are you mocking me here? Is this what you do to all your players? And they're like, 
no, we're teaching you a lesson because you don't have any ethics, so we have to teach you a lesson in ethics. Wow. He says ethics should go both ways. So the the way they're looking at it is that he's expecting them to be ethical, but then when he finds an opportunity to angle them, that he takes it. And I see their point, and online sports books are very, very touchy about this. They're really, really touchy about people jumping on errors on their part and trying to make a ton of money off of clear mistakes. And I can understand the books feeling this way. Like five dimes, they had zero tolerance of this. In fact, uh, Tony, when he was alive, before he was murdered, and he ran five dimes, he would actually close people's accounts and take their money if he felt that they were doing things like this. Like Tony had a pretty good reputation for not just outright cheating people, but if he found evidence you were trying to angle or cheat him, then he would cheat you. So this... That was one book where they really had no tolerance for it. But in general, these online books get real pissed off if they think that you're trying to jump on a just a mistake or an oversight on their part. So the Southern Cross bet, even though it's a legalized book there in Australia, is the same way. They seem they they seem to believe that it's the responsibility of the better either not to take advantage of a mistake like this or to email them and let them know. And they feel that he is not this way. This still doesn't make sense for why they partialed his bet on the Geelong Cats, because that was not any kind of angle. That was something they were advertising. They say, hey, go bet minus 17 and a half on the Geelong Cats. We're offering the best line in town. So he tried and they gave him 10% of it. And I don't see what's wrong with betting on that. He was betting on exactly what they told him in the way they told him to. So I have to guess they just did this to give him a middle finger to kind of punish him where they were offering a good line and promoting it and they're like ah no 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 that's for our good customers not for the jerks who try to angle us so you know what we have no reason but just because we don't like you we're gonna not let you place 90 percent of the action you want to place on this (laughs) they didn't outright reject it they just let him have 10 percent so that's why they're saying mark you should know the reason Basically, we're punishing you. It's kind of like if you tweeted to a girl on Twitter, hey, you know, how come uh, how come you don't answer my calls anymore? I thought we had a pretty good time when we went out. I'm just really surprised you don't answer me. Is it ghosting me, that's just not very nice. You won't even, If you don't want to see me anymore, tell me. And then she's like, um, I think you know why. And then, and then it comes out you like you she caught you cheating on her, and that's why she doesn't respond to you anymore. And that, like, all plays out in public. Actually, I, I guess in a way it kind of did that recently with Prolot, except kind of the other way around. But uh, never mind with that. But you know, it's a sports book shouldn't do this. They shouldn't be calling him out. What they should have done is just ignored this. I understand why they're annoyed with him. At the same time, I kind of understand why he took the shot because a lot of people do. There's a lot of people who just generally take the belief that whatever a posted line is, they can try to bet. And if it doesn't get accepted, fine. But if it does get accepted, then they've got a great spot. There were actual situations like this in Vegas, like when a kiosk malfunctioned recently and some bettors started hammering it and uh, Nevada Gaming had to rule on it. But you didn't see... MGM taunting the people on Twitter. Now, yeah, 
Mark Voss started first by saying that it's weak, they won't take his action. And that's what, I, I guess they didn't want to let it go, that they were promoting this and then not taking action. So they kind of wanted to put it out there that we think he's an angle shooter and we just don't like him. <laughs> so, a lot of drama there over a $565 bet that didn't get accepted. But that's what happened there. Yeah, it's all because of the bets he tried to place on stale lines. So Southern Cross bet, they don't take shit. They will call you out if they think you're a jerk, even if you're a customer of theirs that uh, they claim they want action from. And it's interesting because they say, well, yeah, we still want your business, Mark, but maybe not because they cut 90% of the bet. But (coughs) I think they cut it because they were giving an unusually good line, this time intentionally. But they're like, no, we're not giving this good line to him because he doesn't deserve it. He can can bet the regular line is all he wants, but we're not going to give him anything special. Anything special we're advertising, he's not getting. It's kind of like uh, if you're welcome to come to a restaurant, but you're not allowed to use any coupons there. Everybody else is, but you can't. And you can't have the special of the day. Okay, moving on. I want to talk about the Double Down Casino and the Big Fish Casino, which if you heard in the intro, are not quite what they sound you would picture that these are real casinos where you can play, or maybe at least online casinos where you can play and win big money if you get really lucky. But no, you can play in these casinos and you can play in them online, but you cannot win any money because the Double Down Casino and Big Fish Casinos are free play casinos, or shall I say free money casinos, where there is no prize. So who would do this? Who would play in a casino, an online casino, where there's nothing you can win? Well, people who just enjoy playing slot machines and don't necessarily have to win money. To me, that would be really boring. To me, the only exciting part of slot machines, and they're not very exciting anyway, but the only thing that's even moderately exciting about them is the fact that you can win money or maybe even win a huge jackpot. But if the total money you can win by playing slots is 0.0 then I don't see why you would ever I don't see why you would ever want to play it nevertheless these do very well and I see ads for them all the time when I play other mobile games which are fun not gambling games but I'll be playing like sports games or whatever and I will see constant ads for the Double Down Casino. I haven't really seen the Big Fish, but I've seen the Double Down Casino advertised constantly. I've never downloaded it. I have no interest in it, but I've seen it advertised. So apparently these are creating addicted gamblers anyway, even though there's nothing to win. And people have lost as much as $400,000 on the Double Down Casino and Big Fish Casino. And these are two totally separate apps, by the way. They, they have nothing to do with one another. They're actually competitors. But they both do the same thing, and they're both accused of the same thing. This is a bizarre and honestly somewhat sad story. So these look very much like online casino apps, but they're not. And you win coins on these apps, but you cannot exchange the coins for any kind of real money. You can't exchange them for money, 
cryptocurrency. You can't sell them anywhere. They, they're stuck on the app, and there's nothing you can do with them other than just kind of have them representing points. So there's zero upside to winning these coins. But people spend money on them. So what happens if you download the Double Down Casino, it will give you a number of free coins to wager on there. And then when you run out, you can either wait a certain amount of time and it'll reload your account with these free coins again, or you can buy coins on the spot. So some people who are impatient or enjoying playing on the Double Down Casino, or maybe they want to win the coins back that they lost, even though they don't have any value, they will spend real money on more coins. And some people go so crazy with this that they end up spending big money, which is just insane. So they end up being like compulsive gamblers, and yet they're gambling to not win anything. What? Apparently, the companies running these apps are aware of this, and they design these apps so they appeal to these type of addicted gamblers, that these apps are designed specifically to take advantage of people's desires to win something, even if they're really not winning anything. Just people scoring points, accumulating a lot of coins, feeling good. Like it's the, the same mechanisms that make people into compulsive gamblers make them into compulsive spenders on an app like this. Now, you can't say it's gambling because it is missing one of the major three elements which define gambling. Ask yourself, what defines gambling? It may sound like a simple question, but it's not all that simple. There are actually three important elements, all three of which have to be present for it to be considered gambling. It has to be chance, consideration, and prize. Chance means there's a random element to winning or losing. And it's not at all skill-related. And, or should I say, it's not, uh, it's not all or uh, mostly skill-related. That there's a large element of chance. There's been some argument whether poker is a game of chance or not, but it somewhat is. There's skill, but there's also a lot of chance. Consideration means that the player is putting up something of value to possibly lose, and prize means the player receives something of value if they win. Those are the three elements of gambling. If any of these are missing, then it's not gambling. Like the No Fraud Online Poker Room on PokerFraudAlert.com. That's a poker room. So does this is this a gambling room? No, because there is no consideration. There is chance, because we have a deck of cards that's randomly shuffled. And we do have prize. I pay you money if you win the free roll but we have no consideration because it's a free roll. You don't ever put up anything of value because you play for free. So for that reason, it's not gambling. For that reason, I could not be arrested for running an illegal gambling operation. Now, there's definitely chance and consideration for these slot apps that we're talking about because the chance is whether the slots will hit the jackpot or whatever you're playing for on there. And then the consideration is the chips that you're buying in in the first place, these coins that you're actually purchasing once you run out. So definitely there's chance and consideration. However, what they're missing on these apps is prize. There's no prize element because you only win more worthless coins. 
and you can't do anything with them, and you can't exchange them for anything, and you can't sell them to anyone. So for that reason, the companies that run these apps have a very good argument to claim that there really is no prize, and therefore it is not gambling. And that's why they feel safe offering such a thing. However, in various lawsuits that are being filed against the companies that run the Double Down Casino and the Big Fish Casino, the plaintiff's attorneys are arguing that these coins do have value. And the reason they argue that they have value is that winning coins on the app is equivalent to the coins you would win if you were to spend money. Not win, but the coins you would get if you were to spend money on them. So let's say let's say you win uh, 100,000 coins, and had you not won that, you would have spent money to buy 100,000 coins. Well, this just saved you money. So you could end up looking at it like, hey, I, this is my entertainment, and now I get to have this entertainment for free for the next X number of days because I just won these free coins uh, through winning on the slot machine. So that it actually is something of value because it is something you buy. It's something you re- routinely buy for the app, and now you're winning the ability to not have to do that for a while. So that basically they're saying the coins do have value if you're buying them for real money in the first place, even if you can't cash them out. That's been the argument from the attorneys. I don't really agree, but that's their argument. Do I think these are illegal gambling apps as they are claiming in these lawsuits, which I'll talk about shortly? No, I don't agree these are illegal gambling apps because there is no prize. I do believe there needs to be massive reform involving these in-app purchases. That is where you download an app and then there's things to buy while you're in the app. I think there's a lot of abuse, that is, a lot of uh, consumer abuses that are committed by these companies. And unfortunately, the law governing this is very, very, very immature because it's a new thing. It's relatively new. It's not super new, but it's it's some it's not like it's something that's been here for twenty years. So they really need to update the law to govern in app purchases because there's a lot I would change if I were in charge of writing that legislation. So I do think there needs to be massive reform for in app purchases, but for this, you can't call it illegal gambling. You can <coughs> you can bring other complaints on the way they are behaving here, but I don't think it really resembles gambling. A good example of an app that at the moment runs legally, but I do believe is gambling, is 21 Blitz. And we've talked about that on this show, and there was that lawsuit that was filed against them where the attorney for the plaintiffs was Mac Verstandick. I feel 21 Blitz is gambling, and I've, I've played that before. I've played it a lot, actually. I feel that's gambling because you are putting up real money, you are trying to win a prize, and while there is a skill element to it, there also is sort of a random element, because it's a random deck of cards, and you play the identical deck of cards to your opponent, so that's where they claim there's no chance, but there is chance, because if you make a different move than your opponent, then it changes the way the deck deals out to you. You're going to get the cards in the same order, but what they mean at that point is different. So there really is a chance element that you do a certain thing, your opponent does it differently, you're going to get a different run of cards 
for what you need compared to what he will. So from that point, he may get far better luck than you just because you made one marginally different move at the beginning. And that's actually how two like completely equivalent players will beat each other, where the second one doesn't make a marginal move the first one does, and then that throws off the whole deck for one of the two people. And there's no way to tell till it happens. So for that reason, it really is gambling. And I feel it should be treated as a gambling app. But this, these casinos where there's nothing you can win, I don't agree. In March, March of this year, there was a settlement in a class action lawsuit against uh, Big Fish, where the company that runs Big Fish settled. The settlement was for a lot of money. It was actually for... One million dollars. No, no, no. Actually, way more. The settlement was for... One hundred billion dollars. No, it was actually $155 million was the settlement in this massive lawsuit. Wow. And in this class action lawsuit, it kind of established for other lawsuits that would follow it that uh, this is considered real gambling. And that could be big trouble for other apps like the Double Down Casino, which, as I said, is run by a separate company. But they can go refer to this case at this point whenever people want to sue them. Um, There are some attempts to sue Double Down at the moment. One of these attempts is attempting to use an old law in Washington state, which allows all money won through illegal gambling to be refunded. That's exactly what Kentucky is using to go after poker stars, and they've already collected $100 million off of them, and they're trying to get more. They, they have a judgment for more, but they've already collected $100 million of it. But uh, this uh, lawsuit that was filed against the Double Down Casino is actually three years old. It was filed in April of 2018, And it attempts to claim that the Double Down Casino is illegal gambling and therefore any money people spent on it are that they need to get a refund by Washington state law. I think that's stretching it. I think it's really stretching it. There is a woman who recently did an interview with NBC News more recently. Her name is Kathleen Wilkinson. She's a grandmother from Montana and she claims she, she lost her life savings of $50,000 by playing on the Double Down Casino. Wow. And I actually saw the segment, and she was saying that she was going to retire and now has to take a full-time job to pay back what she lost. She said, first it was fun, then I started spending money on it a little bit, then it got to be more and more. She told that to NBC News. Her name is Kathleen Wilkinson. She said it ruined her life. She says, you become addicted like anybody that had never been in a casino before, and they go back there every single day. And they said that others told NBC that they lost anywhere between uh, 10000 to forty to 400000 playing similar games on similar apps. Double Down Interactive is the company that owns Double Down, and they reported an annual revenue of 
over $273 million in 2020. On a financial statement, this shows you how sleazy they are, in a financial statement, Double Down Interactive said, once a player is acquired, our our proprietary analytic tools dissect their playing behavior on a granular level. So this is kind of nasty that they're actually looking for ways to hook these potentially addicted gamblers. So they offer them these free chimps up front and then find ways to get them to keep reloading. That they basically have manipulating these people down to a science. So watch out for these fake casino apps. These free money apps and say, hey, what's the harm? I'll just spin a few slots. I don't think many listeners to this show would be ones likely to fall for it. I know a lot of you, in fact, most of you aren't uh, poker pros or Casino Advantage players. However, I, I know if you listen to a show like this, you're probably not the type to sink all your money on a free money uh, app where you can't even win anything. But still, these apps are targeting people. They're trying to target people who are those types who would spend this type of money on an app where you cannot win. So we'll have to see where these latest lawsuits go. There's very little reporting on this. In fact, uh, I wasn't even aware of this until I happened to see that NBC News segment, which is kind of coincidence. So we'll have to see if this results in any victories like the one against Big Fish. And I kind of hope they succeed because not only do I think these companies are sleazy, but I also think this is the only way that these companies in general will have to change their behavior and that maybe there will be some legislation finally popping up to regulate these things. So we have, we have to see some pain first. We have to see some uh, progress made against these companies that provide these pseudo-gambling apps that really screw people. Okay, so moving on. As Brandon mentioned earlier in the show, Resorts World is opening and has an official opening date that they have already announced. They have announced the date of June 24th as their opening date. Normally this would be the middle of the World Series of Poker, but not this year. But this first surfaced on a report from Yahoo that June 24th was the date. And then after that, it was uh, more formally announced that that is indeed the date. It still says on a billboard outside of the resorts world that it's opening, quote, summer 2021, which if it is the 24th of June, that is accurate. It's barely summer, but it's summer. It's a $4.3 billion resort. It's been under construction now for six years. It began in May 2015. It is on the north end of the Strip. And I've had this discussion with some people. They say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Isn't that kind of like the ghetto area of the Strip? Isn't this the area you don't really want to go to? I said, well, kind of is, but this is going to change everything. First of all, they're not really, really at the very north part, but they are close to the north end of the Strip. They're kind of across the street from the wind, so it's definitely going to be a competition there between the two of them. And 
if you remember, Wynn sued the owner of Resorts World, which is the Genting Group. They sued him for copyright infringement, claiming that the architecture of the building was too similar to the Wynn and Encore. It was settled a month later when they actually agreed to change several aspects of the way Resorts World looked. Resorts World is actually going to be a few different independent hotels, independently operating hotels, uh, together on one property. So there is going to be Las Vegas Resort, the Las Vegas Hilton at Resorts World that's going to have 1774 rooms. There's going to be Conrad Las Vegas at Resorts World with 1,496 rooms. And then there's going to be Crockford's Las Vegas with 236 rooms. So a few things about that. First of all, it is going to be mostly Hilton-related. So Hilton's going to have a property now in Resorts World. You don't really think of it as a Hilton, but it's going to be mostly a Hilton. And uh, these buildings are each going to have their own separate brand on it. So it's going to say Conrad on the Conrad building, almost like it's a Conrad standing by itself. Uh, Las Vegas Hilton is going to say Hilton. And Crockford is going to say Crockford's. And of course, these are all existing brands. Conrad is a brand within the Hilton Empire, named after the founder, Conrad Hilton. And then the Las Vegas Hilton is an old name of what is now the Westgate, back when that property was a Hilton. And at one point, that was a big deal in Vegas and was one of the was the biggest hotel in the world at one point by number of rooms that eventually got surpassed, but that's what it was known for for quite some time. And uh, the Las Vegas Hilton, I guess, is going to be revived in name only through Resorts World, whereas the real Las Vegas Hilton is still going to be called the West, Westgate. And I guess it's kind of similar to how the MGM Grand took the name from the building, which is now Bally's. So Bally's really is kind of the MGM Grand, but they renamed it to Bally's and MGM Grand became something new down the street, which now is not so new anymore. So this uh, development here goes pretty far back. There's a pretty long saga here. Before I tell you this saga... It's important to know that it will have been more than 10 years since a new hotel showed up in Las Vegas that was actually something new and not transformed from a different property. So I'm like like a, a built from the ground up hotel. This is the first one in 11 years. The last one was the Cosmo in 2010. That's how long it's been. This was because of the big crash in 2008 that they're just, uh, it was difficult to get these projects completed after that. And in fact, that kind of affected this one. So this is on the site of the former Stardust. In 2007, the Stardust was demolished and they were going to develop something called Echelon Place. But because of the 2008 crash, they ended up not completing it. Then in 2012, Boyd Gaming, 
who owned it at the time, began negotiations to sell it to the Genton Group. Basically, they were just going to sell the site. And on March 4, 2013, now over eight years ago, it, the site was sold to Genting for $350 million. And the Genting Group then announced that they were going to build Resorts World Las Vegas on that site. And they were even going to use some of those uh, echelon buildings for Resorts World, even though uh, they weren't finished yet. Well, it still took some time. It took uh, two more years until they actually started to build Resorts World. Now, Ganting was infamous for that, where they would sometimes work very slowly on some of his projects, and this definitely was that case. They did calculate by almost a year later, in December 2013, that the, quote, first phase was going to cost $4 billion. The problem was that they uh, had some delays after this. They were hoping to open it up in uh, 2014. But the problem was that they had to keep uh, redesigning it. And uh, they did uh, a groundbreaking ceremony on May 5th, 2015. And they were expecting to open three years later, around May, June, July 2018. That didn't occur, and they're finally opening up here in uh, June of 2021. Oh, only three years late. They can't blame the pandemic completely. You know, that was less than half the time of that. <clears throat> then they had to deal with uh, some other issues. They had that lawsuit from the win, and they had to modify some more things. They had to deal with COVID, and that was... Uh, slowing down construction and also making them less desiring a quick opening. They didn't really want to open up while COVID was at its peak. So they're fortunate that it is now on its way out, or at least on its way down, and that the 100% capacity will probably be approved by then. As of March of this year, they were 90% complete with Resorts World. And at the time they open on June 24th, they're expecting to have 95% of the resort complete. Among the 5% that will not be complete when they open on June 24th will be an underground tunnel and also a theater. Those are not going to be done yet. They're expecting to have about 6,000 employees there. And apparently they've already gotten 85,000 applications for those 6,000 spots. So at least people want to work. <laughs> They're going to have uh, a very big pool area, a pool complex, which is uh, 220,000 square feet, a 27,000 square foot spa, a 350,000 square foot uh, convention center. They're Estimating 75% of their revenue is going to come from non-gaming, like live entertainment and restaurants. And they are dedicating 100,000 square feet to live entertainment. There will also be a retail area, including two Fred Seagal stores that will take up 70,000 square feet. This theater, when it opens, will be 
called, quote, the theater. They're very creative. But the theater is going to have 5,000 seats and is for musical performances. It's going to be one of the tallest stages on the Las Vegas Strip. Uh, there's going to be a lot of Asian-themed restaurants. This is something that is uh, trying to attract both a high-end uh, non-Asian audience who just uh, likes the high-end vibe of the place or the Asian theme of the place, and actually people from Asia they're trying to attract as well. In fact, the Ginting Group is based in Malaysia. They are going to have an LED video globe that is 50 feet in diameter. They're also going to have a 100,000 square foot LED screen that took seven months to make on the West Tower. And then the East Tower is going to have a uh, a 19,000 square foot uh, LED screen. Very, very, very expensive project. Brandon was mentioning they have their website up so let's go i i was not aware of the website until brandon told me so we're going to be seeing this for the first time together uh, i went to resortsworld.com and it's moving it's it's redirecting me to resortsworldglobal.genting which is not exactly very catchy <laughs> like why not run this on resortsworld.com why 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 put it on resortsworldglobal.genting <laughs> Who's going to remember that? So it does say coming soon, Resorts World Las Vegas. So then you can look at the different rooms. Now, I heard Crockford's, which is a UK brand. That's one of the places that sued Phil Ivey. Or actually, he sued them. They wouldn't pay him when he was edge shorting, and he sued them. It was Borgata who sued him. But anyway, Crockford's is the boutique area of Resorts World, and then Las Vegas Hilton and Conrad are the big hotel brands within Resorts World. And they're all different towers. But I'll take a look at uh, Crockford's. Let's see here. Crockford's Rooms and Suites. You can get a City View Superior Room or a Strip View Superior Room. Oh, you know, let's see here. Let's just take a, uh, a Strip View. Let's see how it's going to set me back. All right, so I just stay at Crockford's here. Um, it says Select an Available Rate of Package. Uh, there's no such thing, though. We don't have such a thing. Yeah, I'm looking at these pictures. I understand what Brandon's saying. Like, it doesn't look special. It just kind of looks like a, a like a nice hotel room. I mean, it looks like a nice, classy room, but it's not, like, going to wow you. That's presuming that's an accurate picture and not just lifted from one of their other sites. I guess we have two months left. Then they will open. I, I'm going to go there at least to see it. I'm not going to spend 400 bucks like Brandon was saying it costs to stand in a, stay in a standard room. I don't have the need to do that. But I'll definitely walk around and let you guys know my opinion of it. I will definitely uh, stop by and give my impression of it. I probably won't be there in June, but uh, probably by the end of summer I will get over there and take a look and let you guys know what I thought of the place. They even have a poker room, so maybe I will play there. Okay, I just want to – one correction before we end the segment here. Someone texted me that Circa was built from the ground up. So this is not the first one since the Cosmo to be built from the ground up in Vegas. And that's because I said the wrong thing. What I meant to say was that it was the first strip hotel 
to be built from the ground up. So sorry for that little confusion, and thank you to the listener for pointing out my mistake there. Okay, so we shall now move on to the coronavirus topics. We have two of them. And the first one, when you hear about it, might scare you a little bit, especially if you're someone who's been uh, getting the vaccine. And that is about an incident in a Kentucky nursing home which occurred. You may wonder how this might affect you or might affect your parents. So here's what happened. There was an unvaccinated employee who worked at a Kentucky nursing home. I don't know why they're allowing unvaccinated employees there, especially apparently because not 100% of their residents are vaccinated. Apparently, like 90% are vaccinated, which doesn't make sense to me. They should definitely have 100% vaccinated by now. But for whatever reason, they had 90% vaccinated. So this is in eastern Kentucky. An unvaccinated healthcare worker caught COVID and then caused an outbreak where 26 residents, 20 staff members, and... uh, got COVID, and of those 46 who got COVID, three people died, and of those three, one was fully vaccinated. Fully vaccinated is defined as at least two weeks passing from the last shot you need to get. So, for example, I'm not fully fully vaccinated yet, but in a week I will be. So, they haven't named the facility yet, but it doesn't really matter. It's not like I know nursing homes in Kentucky. But the significant thing here is that uh, 18 residents that were fully vaccinated got the coronavirus from this person who was not vaccinated. And of the 20 staff members who got COVID, uh, four of them were also fully vaccinated, which makes you wonder why you have 16 staff members there who also are unvaccinated and probably more than that who just some of whom just didn't catch it six residents were hospitalized and uh, as i mentioned one died so what happened here i thought the vaccine's supposed to work how does it happen where someone comes in who isn't vaccinated i thought being vaccinated means it's very tough for you to catch it So if this is supposed to be 94% effective, the vaccine, how is it that so many people caught it who were vaccinated? Because let's take out the people who weren't vaccinated, but the ones that were vaccinated, fully vaccinated, how come you had four staff members and 18 residents getting it anyway? And they only had uh, 83 residents there and 116 uh, of uh, staff members there. So of the 83 residents, 18 of them who ended up getting the coronavirus were fully vaccinated. So it's not even like 18 out of 1,000. This is 18 out of 83. So how did this happen? And, and by the way, they, as I mentioned, they were only about 90% vaccinated there. So really of the vaccinated people, it looks like about uh, 18 out of 75 caught it, which is not a very good rate. 
that means about uh, a quarter of the people who were vaccinated, who were residents there, got COVID. Well, I can explain this without it being too disturbing, but it is also something worth considering and looking at, and it's also making me kind of think about the behavior I'm going to exhibit after being uh, fully vaccinated, which is coming in a week. So let's look at the residents who got it, because there's actually more staff there than residents. And of the residents that got it, what's something they probably have in common? They're old, right? They're old. And some of them are probably very old. And some of them, or maybe most of them, are probably not in the best shape. Even if they're not on death's door, they probably aren't doing that great because they're in a nursing home. Usually if you're in a nursing home, it's because you need help. It's because you can't take care of yourself anymore. If you can live independently, you're not in a nursing home. Nursing homes aren't cheap. So you go there when you need it. It's not so much a place you'd want to go to, even when you're old. It's not a retirement community. So that's important to know. Nursing homes are where people put their parents when their parents are in really bad condition and need someone to constantly care for them and they don't want the burden of doing it themselves anymore. People who don't want to uh, or, or just don't have the ability to, such as someone who has to work all day and can't be around to care for their 90-year-old mom or dad who constantly needs care, they, they'll put them in a nursing home. So the reason I'm bringing this up is all vaccines, not just the COVID vaccine, all vaccines are known to not be as effective for older people because their immune systems aren't as good. And the way all vaccines work, even the mRNA forms of the COVID vaccine, they all work with your body being taught to build an immune response to the real disease to where your body's already for it and fights it off right away when, when you could potentially get it. And there's various ways of getting that done. And that's where there's the difference in the existing vaccines we have for COVID. But it's, it's all the same concept of your body, your immune system, learning to build a defense in advance. But what if your immune system just isn't functioning right because you're very old or you're immunocompromised or or both, then you're not going to be as immune from the coronavirus as other people will. And you may still be vulnerable to it. Now, you may say, well, that sucks because the people that are most important to protect are the ones who are old and sick. And I agree, but there's only so much you can do. That's uh, really when you're in the condition that a lot of these people in nursing homes are, a lot of things kill them. In fact, I've mentioned this before, but the flu, which we're going to talk about as our final topic, the flu is actually very deadly for that age group as well. The flu is not as contagious as COVID, so it doesn't rip through nursing homes like COVID does. But when you get it at that age, you're in trouble. So there really is not that much difference between getting the flu when you're 90 and getting COVID when you're 90. You're really screwed either way. Like uh, the flu was causing a lot of deaths every year. You just didn't hear about it because it was very old people. So you you didn't really feel that shocked if you heard, you know, someone 90-year-old died of the flu. 
you wouldn't say, oh my God, how did that happen? You go, yeah, you have the really old, you know, a lot of things can kill him. Where if you heard like a 50-year-old died of the flu, that would be something that would give you pause. But you don't hear that very often because a healthy 50-year-old doesn't die of the flu. It just doesn't happen. There may be very few outliers like that that can happen to. But for the most part, if you're middle-aged, you're safe from the flu other than just being inconvenienced by it and feeling crappy for a while. But COVID for people middle-aged can be dangerous. That's a big difference between COVID and the flu. And the reason I'm mentioning this is that... uh, you have a population there that there's only so much you could do to protect them. And the vaccine is not making them bulletproof. So if their immune system isn't working right, if it's not building a proper defense to COVID like it's supposed to, then they are vulnerable to it and then they may get it and die. Now, the good news is that it's not that it's useless and that even people who are immunocompromised or very, very old they will still get some protection, including some protection from preventing COVID from progressing into something terrible. So even if they get it, they're still better off than if they hadn't had the vaccine at all. So if, if you've been vaccinated and then you feel symptoms of COVID, don't say, ah, well, why do I even bother with this vaccine? The vaccine may be the difference of why you're not in the hospital and why you're at home. So the vaccine does two things. It stops you from getting it at all and it stops you from getting it seriously to where it could put your life in danger or damage you permanently. But as we see, it's not helping everybody. And someone even died who was fully vaccinated, who was in this nursing home because COVID was in there. Now, of more interest to me, because whenever I see that it killed such and such number of really old people who are probably in bad condition. Like it's sad, but I don't, I don't really think about that in terms of me and danger to me. I don't even think about this in terms of danger to my parents because my parents are old, but they're not in that condition. They're also not super old. They're in their seventies. So they're, they're not 90 and they're not uh, on their deathbed. So uh, while I wouldn't want them getting COVID and while COVID could kill them, it's uh I think the vaccine does a lot better for them than for someone who's super old and in bad shape. But remember from this report that there were also four staff members who were fully vaccinated who were infected with COVID. Now, to my knowledge, none of them were hospitalized. So it's possible they just tested positive for COVID, but they had very mild symptoms. Maybe they were asymptomatic. They probably tested everybody there after this outbreak. So that's something to also consider that it is possible that people who've been vaccinated are actually getting COVID and just not feeling it. And we just don't know it. So if you get vaccinated and you're just walking around living normally and you you get COVID and you don't feel it, you're never going to go get a test. You won't even know you had it. In fact, there's people who were asymptomatic before the vaccine existed that just didn't feel it. And it's probably not a big deal to get COVID and be asymptomatic, provided you stay that way. So that might be the case there with those staff members who are presumably not old and frail. But that's what concerns me more are those four staff members out of, uh, it looks like, they had like 116 staff and 53% were vaccinated. So we, we can assume that it's something like about 65 people there that were working there and were vaccinated. And of those 65, 
it looks like four got COVID. I, one way to look at this is that's still a, a pretty good percentage as far as uh, who didn't get it. So if 61%, if 61 out of 65 didn't get it, that's 94%. Hmm, where have we heard that number before? 94. Now, don't say, oh, great, it worked exactly as it should, because if there was no vaccine, it wouldn't have been 65 of those 65 getting it. Just as the ones who are unvaccinated, they didn't all get it, because you, you had another, uh, like, 61 there that, or not, 51 there. I guess it wasn't even 65. What was it? Uh, I did the math in my head wrong. Now I'm going to get out a calculator and do this. Okay, it's 61. So it's 61 and 55, basically. 61 vaccinated. So it, so it was 4 out of 61, which still is, is close to 94%. Not all of them would have gotten it. So it's, it's not 94% e- efficacy. In fact, we can see the efficacy here because it's roughly half were vaccinated, half weren't of the staff members. And 16 got it who didn't have a vaccine, who weren't fully vaccinated. And four got it who were fully vaccinated. So if we ignore the people that were in the middle that may have been partially vaccinated, which throws a wrench into this whole thing, but ignoring that, it looked like you were four times more likely to get it. And that would mean uh, 75%. For every one person that got it who was vaccinated, there was uh, four who got it who were unvaccinated. So it would be 75% effective here. It may be worse than that because some of them may have been partially vaccinated. But the question is, if somebody, if you're in a spot where it's very COVID dangerous, if you're in a spot that uh, someone comes indoors in a closed area where there's a lot of people, and they are unvaccinated and they're just transmitting COVID like crazy, then what is your real risk as a vaccinated person? And that's important to know because that can change the risks that you take in life because there's some risks which are fairly small, there's some which are medium, there's some which are high. Being with somebody who is a super spreader indoors is a high risk thing to do just generally being outdoors in a crowd of people where you're not closely packed, that's a very low risk thing. Uh, Being in a place like a supermarket for 45 minutes or being uh, in a plane, things like that, I'd say those are like medium risk. Being in a card room, I would say is something that's probably medium to high. So the question is, do you want to take that risk now that you've seen this happens, now that you actually see people are getting it? Now, the good news is none of those staff members, it looks like, actually ended up in the hospital. So are you willing to take that risk if you're either going to be asymptomatic or just kind of get a moderate illness, but it's not going to do anything that harmful? I'd probably say yes. But beyond that, the answer is no. And I do admit that while I want to jump in feet first to everything I was doing before, there would be certain things I'd feel uncomfortable at this point. Like, I don't think I'd feel comfortable going to a nightclub that's packed. I don't think I'd want to even be outside with people, the wall-to-wall people packed. I don't think I 
want to go to any situation indoors where there's a lot of people crammed into a room. Even going to like a Vegas show kind of scares me. Uh, I will not be anywhere near as cautious as I've been the past year because I will have been vaccinated. But I don't think I'm going to just not care. And this is an example why. You put someone who's rapidly spreading it in a closed room with a bunch of people and even some vaccinated people get it. But don't be too panicked by this study because, again, the ones who were getting it the worst were the ones who were either unvaccinated or very old. And that probably doesn't apply to, well, at least the very old part probably doesn't apply to most of you. And hopefully you guys got vaccinated. It is important to get vaccinated. The vaccine does have some unknowns. But the COVID has more unknowns and it is dangerous for someone who is over 40 years old and especially over 45 years old. And you may say, okay, I'll just wait. The problem is the amount of time you're going to need to wait to see how safe the vaccine is. It's a lot more time than you're going to want to wait. It's not a matter of waiting three or four months. They were already testing it last year. It just wasn't authorized for release yet, but they were testing it on people who volunteered to test it. So they've been testing it a long time. And also, uh, there were people who got it before you, the healthcare workers, the old people. So you got to see it probably a few months implemented in the general population, not just the people who volunteered for tests before you got it. And we're not going to find out that much more between now and then. Now, you may find out some weird things that happen where some people drop dead right away from it or drop dead very soon from it. But I'm talking about long-term effects. I don't think you're going to find out much about this until years from now. So you might as well just do it. And I say this as somebody that just hasn't completely felt right since I got it. And now it has been about 13 hours short of a full week. And I'm still not totally right. I'm not like really sick or I wouldn't be doing the show, but I'm still not feeling totally right. But I still think it was something I needed to do. So don't worry too much, but you may want to be cautious. Now, what do I mean by being cautious? Do I mean wear a mask? No. If you want to, go ahead, but I, that's not what I mean. I mean, stay away from situations which look dangerous. When I say look dangerous, I mean indoors with a lot of people. Indoors in a small space with a lot of people. Bad, bad, bad. Indoors in a big space with a ton of people. Bad, bad, bad. Probably avoid those. Do not trick yourself into thinking, well, they clean really well here and they wear masks and they enforce the mask wearing well and it's safe. I don't care if there's a thousand people crammed into this room. It's it's safe. No. In fact, This isn't a scheduled topic, but it was actually found by a study that indoors, social distancing doesn't seem to matter, and it seems that standing 60 feet away and 6 feet are about the same. That should tell you something, that COVID is not the same as other viruses the way it transmits. And that brings me to my next point. That brings me to my final topic. 
we're going to talk about the flu. We do not have much of a flu problem in this flu season. The flu season that uh, they've been keeping uh, track of since September 27th, and I'm getting this off the CDC site, by the way, off of cdc.gov slash flu. Uh, the flu season, which seems to be started September 27th for whatever reason, guess how many total flu cases there are in the period from September 27th through April 17th, a period of uh, six and a half months. How long are we talking about here? Six and a half months. How many cases do we have? Would you believe 1,766 cases in all of the U.S. In a big flu season, you could have 80,000 deaths, not cases. We had 1,766 cases of the flu. Isn't that crazy? And yet, some years we have 80,000 deaths from it. So the flu is basically non-existent in this flu season. How is that? How is that that in the U.S. that we are getting uh, almost no flu? Well, I'm sure you have a guess. I'm sure it seems obvious to you. Well, we're uh, staying away from each other. We're socially distancing. Things are closed. And that would be a good guess. But it's more than that. The flu transmits differently than COVID. And we've been treating COVID like it's the flu. And that's a mistake. At the beginning, it made sense. At the beginning, we didn't know anything about COVID. So at the beginning, we had to treat COVID like it was the flu until we knew more. Not like it was the flu, but that it acted like the flu. But it turned out it doesn't. It turns out even though some symptoms are crossed over, they have uh, symptoms in common that they don't transmit the same way. And after over a year of this, we should be adjusting what we are doing and what we're recommending. But we're not doing that because you know why? Because it's political. And adjustment would mean an admission that we were wrong, which is fine because it was new and we were inexperienced with it. And much like you probably admit that when you first started playing poker, you were a fish, And you probably think you're not a fish now, but you were a fish when you first played your very first day of poker. I bet you think you were a fish. I think I was a fish when I first played poker. So somehow we can admit we were a fish when we first played poker because we didn't know that much about the proper strategy. But with COVID, we can't. We can't admit with a brand new disease we'd never seen before that we may have made some incorrect assumptions about it and incorrectly compared some things to the flu, which turned out weren't all that similar and that with time we have learned about it and we've changed our minds and now we're doing it this way but we can't because that would involve certain politicians to admit that they uh, misjudged it so guess how many cases there were this is an estimate but there was an estimate that there were 29 million flu cases in the previous flu season 29 million We have uh, 1,736 verified flu cases in this little more than half season we have so far. 
Now that's verified. We probably have a lot more than that of unverified flu cases, but uh, still, there's a an exponential decrease here. Why is there almost no flu in 2020 to 2021? And I can tell you why. You may think it's because we're keeping away from each other or we're being careful. And I'll say, yeah, you're partially right. But in order to answer to this, you, you have to think about how the flu transmits versus how we believe COVID transmits. The flu transmits through droplets, meaning like when you cough, when you sneeze, and through surfaces. It is thought to transmit more through droplets. And as far as aerosol, it's really not thought to be transmitting that way. It's really thought it's droplets primary and surfaces secondary. Well, if you are cleaning everything obsessively, as we have been because of COVID, even though it doesn't do anything for COVID, if you obsessively clean and disinfect, guess what that does? That takes away most of the surface transmission of the flu. And if you wear a cloth mask, that brings down the droplet transmission significantly. And if you stay away from each other six feet, that brings it down even more. So if you're simply looking to control droplet transmission and control surface transmission, guess what you do? You wear a mask, you socially distance, and you clean everything. Oh my goodness, that's what we've been doing. Oh my goodness, the flu is virtually not here now. Huh, how did that happen? It looks like that our COVID prevention methods were perfect for the flu. Okay, good, you may say. We don't want the flu. That would just make things even worse. So since this does kill people, and at the very least makes a lot of people sick, uh, isn't it good that we're not getting the flu? Why does it sound like I'm complaining about this? Well, I'm not complaining. That's a good side effect of this whole thing. But we were doing these things for COVID, not the flu. But let's look at how COVID is believed to transmit. And I'm talking about believed today, not what was believed a year ago, what's believed today. It is believed not to transmit on surfaces. It is believed to transmit primarily through aerosol. And it is believed to transmit somewhat through droplets. Hmm. Well, all that cleaning, it ain't doing a damn bit of good for COVID. It's helping a lot with the flu. It's not doing a damn good bit for COVID. What about the mask wearing? Well, it's doing some for COVID, as COVID does transmit through droplets somewhat, but that's not the main form of transmission, it looks like. So it looks like the masking is only preventing a minor form of transmission. Uh-oh. What about the major form of transmission? Aerosol. Is a cloth mask going to stop that? No, it is not. So then what about the social distancing? Well, outside that will help because... When there's aerosol transmission, it dissipates everywhere because outside is so huge. But indoors, in a closed area, you think that's going to help you? Or is COVID just going to kind of hang there for a while? Yeah, that's a problem. And if there's a ventilation system, it's going to blow it around. That's a problem too, isn't it? 
Hmm. So it sounds like we're kind of powerless to stop it indoors, aren't we? Yes. We pretty much are. Even if you have good filters. The the COVID would have to pass through those filters in order to die. Otherwise, uh, if it doesn't pass through the filters, then if it's hanging in the air and you walk into it, that could be a big problem. COVID is also a lot more transmissible overall than the flu. So this means if there's you know, some uh, transmission of the flu, it's harder to catch it than there is if there's transmission of COVID. If somebody is in the same room as you with the flu, you're not going to get it as easily with COVID, probably because of the aerosol versus droplet factor. It's easier to transmit that way. So what this all adds up to is that we've accidentally done everything right to prevent the flu while trying to stop COVID while doing most of the things wrong to prevent COVID. Isn't that weird? That by trying to fix one thing and failing, we succeeded fixing something else because we were too busy modeling our COVID response to the damn flu. Now, that's understandable at the beginning, but the fact that this mistake is still being made over a year later shows how dangerous it is when something like this gets politicized. The message, and I've been saying this all along, and, and by the way, the CDC is starting to come around, and, and even the media is starting to come around. They're not quite there yet, but you'll start to see little rumblings of it if you Google it. They're starting to come around with what I've been saying all along, and that is the correct advice to avoid getting infected by COVID is to stay away from going indoors as much as possible. Stop obsessing over the mask and stop obsessing over the cleaning. You, you can put on the mask and you can clean if you like, but the big key, the major key is just stay away from being indoors with others you don't live with, period. Sometimes you can't help it, that may be your job you have to go indoors, and if it is, then it is. And then you just have to deal with it, and whatever happens, happens. But if you have the choice, don't go somewhere that is indoors if you're not vaccinated. And I've said this for so long on this show, and you know it. And that's why it annoys me to read about masks. I'm not an anti-masker. I'd be happy to read about masks if they were honest about it. If they were to say that we recommend wearing a mask either outdoors where you're in very close contact with people or indoors uh, at all. If you go indoors, wear a mask because it will provide a little bit of protection from COVID. But not saying, not treating masks like they're going to protect you. Don't say mask up like you're talking down to someone. Just matter-of-factly say, stay away from being indoors. But if you're going to go put on a mask, it'll give you a little bit better of a chance. And do this as, put this in a tone like you're asking people to rather than you're telling them to. Say that this will bring down transmission some. It'll protect you a little bit. It's better than nothing. So since being indoors is so dangerous, you might as well do it. That message would have gone over a lot better. It's a lot more honest. It would have prevented people from having a false sense of security. I have the same argument over and over in poker groups 
where there's a picture posted of people playing poker with no mask on and crammed together in some card room playing a tournament at like a, with eight or nine handed tables. And people comment, oh my God, this is so stupid. This is so dangerous. This is so terrible. How is this allowed? And I say, yeah, it is dangerous, but not for the reason you think. What do you mean by that? Well, because they just shouldn't be in there at all. Because if they really were concerned about COVID, they wouldn't be in their mask or no mask. But once you're in a place like that, with a bunch of people crammed all together in that room, uh, the mask's not going to help you. You're, you're going to get it or not get it. It's, it's not about the mask at that point. And then, boy, do they get at me. Boy, do they get all over me there. And it's because these people want to believe they've been responsible. They want to believe they've followed what Dr. Fauci told them to do. They want to believe that, uh, yeah, they've, had, they've gone indoors a lot of places in the last year, but they've worn their mask the entire time and they've worn it right. They've kept it over their nose. They kept it over their mouth. They, they were purelling their hands. They were keeping six feet away from people. They were being very responsible. And now a jerk like me who doesn't have a medical degree and does not have a, de- a degree in anything related to any of this is telling them that, now, this was mostly useless. It, it helped you a little bit, but it wasn't the main factor. So uh, if you didn't get COVID, you just locked, lucked out. And if you did get COVID, now you know why, because it, it's just dangerous to be there. And they get mad, but that, that, that's what's the truth. That's, that's from what I can see is the truth, and they're starting to realize it in the studies. And it, it makes sense. It's just not transmitting the same way. And look, look at what we've done to the flu. Do you wonder, if I'm wrong about this, and explain why the flu has plummeted down to almost zero, but somehow COVID we could not get under control until the vaccine, at least. And even now with the vaccine, it's still going up in some places, the, uh, the COVID uh, cases. Probably some people are letting their guard down. But I'm talking about before the vaccine, how come we couldn't get it under control? even in places that were very mask compliant. Now, I bet you're going to ask, well, how did some countries do it? How, how did countries like South Korea do it? Well, because they were treating it differently. They weren't going out. They were not hanging out uh, all together and wearing masks. They just weren't going out. They were doing as much as they could to not do that. They were actually doing it right. Uh, I think this was a, out of an abundance of caution rather than truly understanding the danger. But they get they have a lot more cooperation in countries like that, a lot more respect for government, which sometimes can be good, sometimes can be bad. But the U.S. does not. That's the way the U.S. has always been. That's kind of how the way U.S. was founded, if you think about it. The U.S. Uh, was basically a country that didn't want to be part of uh, Great Britain anymore. So... That rebelliousness has always been in the U.S.'s blood. And in a situation like this, you don't want that. But that's what we are. But knowing that's what we are, we have to know where the real danger is and where it isn't. And it doesn't matter if it makes Trump look bad or it makes him look good or it makes Biden look bad or if it makes Biden look good. It matters what will save lives and what the right thing to do is and what allows people to make the best assessment on whether to take risks and whether not to. That's why it freaked me out to have to go get a root canal 
during all this. Freaked me out to have to go in for a colonoscopy at the very peak of the COVID problem in January, which was the peak, by the way. Look that up. It was horrendous in January. And I went to go get a colonoscopy right there indoors. <laughs> That's, I knew, and I knew, I knew I was going indoors and that masks weren't going to save me. But these were two things I needed to do, and I, I did them. But I wasn't volunteering. So what I'm saying here is that when it comes to the COVID risk you're going to take after you're vaccinated, if you want to kind of figure out what's the best way to behave to not be completely reckless just in case the COVID gets past your vaccine, I think the best way is just to not put yourself in a dangerous situation with a ton of people crammed indoors. If there's something you can avoid, then still don't do it. Now, you may ask, well, then what am I going to do about the World Series? That's a good question. Fortunately, I have five plus months to observe. And I think by September 30th, when the World Series starts, I will have a very good idea of what happens when a bunch of people get together indoors who are not 90 years old and in a nursing home. And if I'm starting to see that COVID is breaking through the vaccine to a lot of those people, then I might choose to skip the World Series. If it looks like this isn't really happening to people my age, then I will probably play. But yeah, the World Series could be a place that's dangerous because you have a bunch of people all crammed indoors. And I don't think a mask is going to save me. So we will see. It was a little disheartening because I, after that Kentucky thing, I was like, you know what? I'm not going to live the way I was living this past year. But I maybe can't let my guard down completely. Maybe I've got to return to most things, but also be smart about it. Also be a little bit cautious. And that's the way I recommend you be cautious. Unfortunately, the caution is now recommended as make sure to wear your mask still, and people laugh at it. Well, some people laugh and some people say, oh, no, I will. I'm a responsible person. I'll do it. Do you want to look responsible? Do you want to feel responsible? Or do you want to be responsible? If you want to be responsible, it doesn't matter how you look or feel. It matters what results you're getting and what danger you're really putting yourself in and putting others in, by the way. So what I would suggest after you're vaccinated is if you don't want to just throw caution to the wind, which is which makes sense, then just stay away from crowded indoor situations. You may wonder, am I going to go to a restaurant? Answer, yes, I am. I don't think a restaurant is uh, of tremendous risk because the number of people isn't that high. And uh, I have to imagine most people there are probably vaccinated. So uh, I'm willing to do that. If I have the opportunity to eat outdoors, I may actually do it if the weather's nice. I, I hate eating outdoors if it's windy or cold. But if it's nice outside, I may start eating outside more often until it's better known. Like if you put vaccinated people with some unvaccinated super spreader what's going to happen but i actually plan to go to a restaurant soon 
yeah, I know I'm taking a small risk, but I I can't hide from everything forever. I would like to go to Dodger Stadium. I probably will. Why would I even think you're doing that with uh, so many people in one place? Because it's outdoors. If it was an indoor stadium, I would not. But because it's outdoors, um, that and being vaccinated, I feel pretty safe. So it'll be kind of weird. It's going to be navigating new territory. Of what, what do I feel safe doing and what don't I feel safe doing? Something I'll definitely return to is, is doing takeout, which I was already doing before the pandemic. I was doing a lot of takeout anyway. But like takeout slash fast food, I was doing a lot of that. And I will return to that because it's never even been proven that that's spreading COVID. It was never proven that it wasn't, but it was never proven that it was. And it's probably not a major form of transmission no matter what. So now that I'm vaccinated, I'm going to go back to it in a week. That's one thing I won't be afraid of. It's also possible that uh, the disease just kind of dies out and then we don't have to worry as much. Of course, it's all a function of how many people are spreading it. And if it really dies down to where it's not that present, then you have much less to worry about. If you took a vaccinated person and dropped them in early January of this year, they'd probably still be a lot more likely to get it, to get COVID than dropping them in today's world just because there was a lot more COVID back in early January. So something to think about. And again, if you disagree with me, then explain why the flu has gotten under such control. Someone from the 530 texted me at 775-372-8355 and asked me for my thoughts on the outbreak in India. Well, uh, it's hard for me to say because I, I don't know much about India. Like, I don't know much about life in India. I've seen some documentaries on it and stuff like that, but I've never even been to India. I've never seen it firsthand. I don't know what percentage they have vaccinated. The person who texted me can let me know if they know that. But if they don't have a high vaccination rate, then it makes sense. It's a country that is very densely populated, They have over a billion people. They have 1.3 billion people. When they weren't showing that many infections early on, I thought maybe they're lying about it like China was. But it looks like it might be possible that they just weren't getting a bad version of it for a while, that it just wasn't spreading that much, but that it was, uh, that it's finally happening, much like it happened to us in January. And also November and December, not just January. It peaked in early January, but in November and December were pretty damn bad too. So I'm not sure why this is happening, but it's probably something like it just hasn't hit that much of their population yet. And once it really ramps up, then it can really nail everybody. But like, I don't know what social distancing practices they're using. And I don't know how many are vaccinated. Uh, It says in this article I'm reading here that they rank lower in per capita vaccination, but I don't know how much lower. But I can picture a lot of unvaccinated people there who just don't really know the difference or don't really think about it or just say whatever and just do go about their daily life 
and then you know what happens. I mean, it, it is very, very contagious, the COVID-19. So if a bunch of people are getting it and they're going indoors together, you're going to have some bad news. Okay, we're done here. The next show won't be on Saturday. I can tell you that much. I have some plans for Saturday. Saturday is the first day I'm returning to normal life. So I'll have some people over here. And uh, the last thing I want to do is spend the night doing radio. As much as I love all of you. I've been able to speak to all of you for all this time. And a lot of other people in my life I've only been able to speak to and I could not see who I had been seeing beforehand. So uh, I, I targeted the date of May 1st, of the date I'll be fully vaccinated. For that reason, Saturday, May 1st, I won't be doing the show. So I, I'm thinking I'll probably bring this back to Friday because Friday I'm still not going to be going anywhere or seeing anyone. And uh, maybe we'll do it every Friday after that. That's where I'm looking right now. Well, I got through it. I'm tired, but at least I wasn't coughing as much. At the beginning, I was coughing more. So I guess that's one small thing to say. But I wanted to get the show done. Didn't want to miss it this week. So I'd like to thank Lynn Beaumont from coming on and telling her story, which is somewhat of a scary story, about a scammer who then sent some woman to stalk her. I mean, that's, uh, that's pretty bad. And I'm curious to see Resorts World. Something I'll definitely want to check out the next time I'm in Vegas after June 24th. I'll be watching the Seals with Clubs situation. I'm very curious what's going to happen there. It's hard to picture they're going to scam, but you never know these days. And will Christopher, will Christopher Mitchell's channel come back up? I think so, but when? Will it be next week? A month? Two months? Three months? Huh, who knows? And will I get my attorney's fees? from Mike Possum. Will it be awarded to me on May 12th? We have that question before us as well. Will all these stupid side effects from the vaccine finally go away and I can feel normal again? That'd be good. Maybe next week I can do radio without feeling tired most of the way. I think I faked it pretty well, right? I bet a lot of the time you couldn't tell how tired I was, but I was. I was tired the whole damn way. Alrighty. That's it. We're done. Thank you for listening to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. Shalom! Shalom!